What is that, Ted? I don't know, Bill. It's the Legion of Superheroes. Dawn Star, Bouncing Boy, Comet Queen, Reflecto Star, Finger Spider Girl, Validus and Mano, Persuader, Time Trapper, Dominators, Grim Boy, Duo Damsel, Lightning Last, Super Moby Dick of Space. So, what's next? Uh, I don't know. Something about Arm Falloff Boy? This is Shag's deal. Okay. They're all part of the Legion! Who's who? Yo, Saturn Girl is hot. Hello, and welcome back to the 30th Century, where we're here to cover who's who in the Legion of Superheroes, the definitive guide to the 30th Century's greatest heroes, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. This episode, we are continuing our coverage of the seven-issue miniseries, Who's Who in the Legion, from 1987 and 1988. Now, due to the length of this thing, it's seven issues long, I'm going to be covering multiple issues each episode. And today, we'll be covering issues three and four. To help me cover the miniseries, I'm joined by my buddies from the Legion of Superbloggers. In a bit, when we cover issue number four, we'll be joined by Dr. Ange. But right now, for this third issue, I am joined by my buddy, Mr. Tim Wallace, and fellow Fire & Water Network host, Siskoid. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Shag. It's been a long time coming. (laughs) Let's just cop to this right on the front end, folks. This episode is so late. I'm not even going to tell you how late it is, because I know how late it is the day we recorded it. Heaven knows when I'm going to finish editing the thing. We were supposed to record this a long, long time ago. However, multiple things got in the way, uh, primarily being Siskoid and his his, uh, improv competitions, and uh, Tim went and did something foolish like getting married. So, (sighs) screwed up the whole plan. (laughs) Well, we, we can just imagine that we, uh, you know, drop some pop on, on the Time Bubble console. We're, we're on time. We just phased into the, the wrong timeline. It's what it is. I like it. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> What's my excuse? Wibbly, wobbly, timey-wimey. Nice. Work, nice. Yeah. Being, being that we're all Doctor Who fans, that's a very well-played reference. <laughs> now, we we got a lot to do, a lot to cover, so I'm going to keep us moving here, but to start off, we've got to take a second to thank our sponsors. Folks, this episode of the Who's Who podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Each one of these uh, in-stock trades recommendations we're going to make are tied to the Legion or in some sort of conceptual way. And now, gentlemen, I have to ask you as guests, did you bring in-stock trades recommendations? Yes. Sir, yes, sir. Fantastic. You can suck it, Bailey. That's awesome. All right, uh, Tim, why don't you start us off? What'd you bring? Well, you know what? Um, how many years are we into the Legion of Superbloggers? And I'm still learning my way around the 30th century. <laughs> so I tend to dip my toe a little bit here and there um, where things are kind of more familiar for me and easier to access without getting too overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So this is a perfect example. And it ties into somebody that I'll talk about in issue four. I'm looking at uh, Justice League Team History, the trade paperback. And it makes sense because I'll be talking about Monel. Ah, okay. I was yeah. having a hard time getting there. Thank you. No, no, I'll be talking about Monel. And this collects issues 38 through 43 of Justice League of America, uh, written by James Robinson, art by Mark Bagley. And it's the JLA reborn with a brand new roster. Dick Grayson fills Bruce Wayne's cowl as the new Batman. Donna Troy steps into Wonder Woman's boots and Monel sports Superman shield, even if it's just for a short time. But it's a hundred 192 pages. It was 
was $17.99 and you get it for 45% off right now, only $9.89. Nice. That's a heck of a deal. Yeah, very good deal. Cisco, what you got? Well, spoiler, this issue has Karate Kid in it. Uh, so, uh, I chose Infinite Kung Fu. It's, it's not, it's not got anything to do with the Legion per se, but it's got something to do with martial arts. And Infinite Kung Fu, it's a graphic novel by Kagan McLeod, published over at uh, Top Shelf. 464 beautiful black and white pages. Normally retails $24.95, currently available at $17.46 from in stock trades. And it comes with the highest recommendation for me. Basically, McLeod reimagines the martial world of his favorite kung fu movies it's like an amalgam of a shaolin monks uh, able to meet black exploitation stars in a timeless place of action and zen buddhism and spirits animating dead bodies and it's poison kung fu five deadly venoms it's imaginative it's got watercolor ink art like large, large in scope and yet uh, has like intimate play-by-play martial art moves it's one of the best martial arts comics i've ever seen hmm. so i highly recommend it for fans of Karate Kid and others. <laughs> I going to say, I think the others is a larger category than the former. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to round us off, and mine is actually a Legion recommendation, so one of us did their job. Uh, Mine is Star Trek (laughs) and Legion of Superheroes, trade paperback. Now, IDW did this crossover, a very unlikely crossover, a couple years ago, where I think most of us, when we saw the solicitation, were kind of scratching our head going, really? Star Trek and Legion? Huh? I mean, I get it, 23rd century, 30th century, but let me tell you, I was a bit skeptical, but I picked up the trade paperback on a whim, and I had a blast with it. It is loads of fun. Basically, some events happen. I don't really want to spoil anything, but... uh, Characters from the continuity of both realms come together in very clever combinations to create a reality where these two coexist. And you get to see Captain Kirk side by side with the Legion, and it's super fun. It's it's drawn exceptionally well. Uh, the writer's Chris Roberson. The artist is Jeffrey Moy. You get it covered by Phil Jimenez. Super fun. 156 pages, uh, full color. It normally retails for 19.99. Right now, you get it for 40% off on in-stock trades, and it is only $11.99. And I I think it's so worth it. it have you guys read this thing? Yeah. I, was both <laughs> I, I actually covered it. Yeah, you did. Oh, okay. I covered it on the Legion of Super Bloggers, and yeah. I, I back you up. That was actually a really fun story. I didn't expect it going in, and I really enjoyed it by the end of it. Yeah, great fun. Uh, as a both a Legion fan and a Trekkie, I, I put my stamp of approval on it. Oh, okay. So based so, on your lack of enthusiasm in your voice, I was figuring you were going to go the other way. So, okay. <laughs> it's just like 4 o'clock in the morning for me here, so. Oh, wine, wine, because Canada has a different clock, apparently. But anyway. <laughs> there was also a Doctor Who cameo in there. Was there really? Yep. Oh, there's, uh-huh. a, there's a shot. There's a shot of all kinds of different time machines, and there is a TARDIS. Oh, that's that's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's Delorean too, isn't there? The Tardis, Delorean. Nice. Um, was there was there a Bill and Ted phone booth? Oh, yes, I don't there have was. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Super <laughs> fun. Awesome. All right, folks. Well, for these and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Go up to the contact us button and let them know the folks from the Fire and Water Podcast Network sent you. So, gentlemen, as we did last time, where we asked the folks their history with the Legion, I'm going to do the same with you. We'll start with you, Siskoid. Could you please tell us your personal origin with the Legion of Superheroes? How did you discover the team and what made you fall in love? Uh, well, the very first American comic book I ever bought with my own money, like in English, was DC Comics Presents number 59. I've told this story very often. And it's uh, it's got Superman, Ambush Bug, and the Legion of Substitute Heroes. Nice. So, so I've got the 30th century right there in the very first comic I ever bought. And then 
my first Legion comic with, with the, the team proper was number 304. So I, I missed the whole Great Darkness saga thing. 304 is just after. And, uh, you know, by the time I jumped in, truly, I like I bought an issue here or there. By the time I jumped in, it had turned into Tales of the Legion and then turned into reprints. But uh, so so I, you know, I didn't miss the whole Legion of Supervillains thing later on. How did I fall in love with it? Yeah, I'm well, not sure. Well, when, when did you realize that? I love this book. I think it's probably... Well, actually, number 304, the first one I ever bought, mm-hmm. it's got it's got this one bit of angsty soap opera where uh, Dawnstar leaves Wildfire. Mm. And there's a lot of uh, she's crying and he he's so upset with himself, with his non-corporeality, uh, that he can't consummate this relationship with this woman he loves, that he explodes in rage. Like, literally, his suit explodes. Uh, and like, the, I think the if I remember well, the. Uh, the sound effect is damn or something like that. Uh, it's just the the power of that and of all the other quirky elements from the two comics that I'd read uh, made me very interested in this world. And then I, I kept seeing the Legion here and there uh, in other comics and then finally made the move to, to buy it, you know. And But I think really where it became a, a must is when it turned into a, a reprint book and then it was like the Baxter series. Mm-hmm. So essentially the first five seven you know the first story arc of the Baxter series was really my my first big epic storyline with the with the Legion where I fell in love with certain characters fighting last and um, <laughs> it was that that part of it okay. uh, and I, I've been a diehard fan ever since nice so on the Legion super bloggers what what do you typically cover I do the who's who uh, section with with Russell Burbage uh, he does all the, the, the you know the original continuity stuff and then I take over and do the five years later reboot three boot re- retro boot uh, <laughs> s- stuff. So we share the load. And then on uh, Thursdays, which the, the next day, I do a, a rookie and veteran uh, review of the reboot series uh, with Shotgun, uh, one of my uh, podcasting friends from uh, Ohad More Not. Awesome. So Tim, same for you. What's your personal origin with the Legion? How'd you discover them? And when did you fall in love? All right. I think, I think I'm about 99% sure that my first encounter ever with the Legion was during Legends, uh, because I remember picking up the Cosmic Boy miniseries. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it, but it also kind of kind of scared me. Um, I didn't get into the Legion deep at that point. It struck me as being kind of confusing and, and daunting. There are so many characters and so much history. So early on, I, I, I kind of would see them pop up here and there and just be like, yeah, that's kind of cool, but uh, I'll stick with something I'm more familiar with. My first post when Russell asked me to be, be part of the Legion of Super Pluggers, I actually had to ask myself, do I love the Legion? Oh. And slowly that's that's starting to become, I'm pretty sure it's a yes. Between Russell's never-ending enthusiasm for for this book and these characters and just the pure Silver Age goofiness of it, it's kind of hard not to. I I really, really love those early adventures. And uh, like Russell mentioned, I love those labels. Yes, you do, apparently. (laughs) I absolutely (laughs) do. It's so ridiculously charming. It's it's hard not not to start to kind of form an attachment and look at those and, and just really get a kick out of it. So when you're over at the Legion Super Bloggers, beyond writing why you love them, what else? 
uh, what do you typically cover for Russell? Uh, when we were doing them regularly, I was part of the roundtable reviews. Um, oh, yeah. And that that was far and away my favorite part of being being part of this team, getting to read those goofy early stories while also getting a lesson in Legion history and getting it all in the context and help of the uh, more experienced members. Mm-hmm. But we haven't done those in a, in a while now, though, though I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. There has been rumblings that we're going to start that up again. Uh, I don't know that my Facebook Messenger app can take it. Because uh, <laughs> I'm in that thread, and man, it just blows up and says, you have 462 unread messages. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. There there has been some chatter that it might might be starting up again, and I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Uh, in the meantime, though, I've been looking at the more uh, tangential bits of Legion lore, the, the odds and ends that, like I said before, kind of let me dip my toe in and test the water a little bit mm-hmm. and collect pieces to this giant futuristic puzzle. So I've looked at things like the Time Trapper appearing in the Super Friends comic. Like I just mentioned, the Star Trek and Legion of Superheroes. I, I did a write-up on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Legion appearances in Convergence. And most recently, it was uh, Justice League versus Suicide Squad and the Emerald Empress appearance there. Very cool. Well, I think it'll be fun as we go through these issues to get sort of your opinion of me. I, I, it's not fair to call you a newbie, but you certainly have a, a different perspective than, say, Russell or Siskoid coming into this. So I'm, I'm excited to hear your thoughts, man. All right. Now, let's put this right out front, guys. And I, I think it's fair to say everyone can agree Hottest Legionnaire is Phantom Girl. So um, discussion over, right? Shadow Lass. Uh, it's Lightning Lass, but uh, she's in the top three. I, Guys, you're, you're mispronouncing <laughs> it. It's pronounced Phantom Girl. But either way, we'll... You guys are a lost cause. Okay. Are you, are you talking about Apparition? Is that who you're talking about? Uh, yeah, actually, I really I like that costume better. Yes. Yeah. I don't, that, that almost sounded like you said Dawnstar. <laughs> is, is that what I heard? Maybe that's how you think it's spelled. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, n- Night Girl. Night Girl. That's what you meant. Oh, yeah. Night Girl's hot. Well, I got to tell you, uh, Night Girl's number two on my list. So uh, apparently I have a thing for the Raven-Haired members. All right, well, we're going to move on. Just to give you a little background on the series itself, it's uh, Who's Who in the Legion of Superheroes, seven issues long. It's, it's very different than a traditional Who's Who. Each issue opens with a 12-page sort of, or it's roughly 12 pages, like a little story. And the rest of the issue then is dedicated to Who's Who entries. And again, as I mentioned, it's not traditional. There, there's no surprint. A lot of times you'll get like six heads per page in these little, what we call uh, senior class photos where you just see their head. But there are usually 10 to 12 main, what we call main characters, spotlighted per issue, where they get the full page of themselves. You get a lot of the, you know, the height, the weight, that kind of information. No surprint still, but it is more reflective of the classic who's who. So what we're going to do is we're going to touch on all those minor entries. We're going to mention everybody, and we're going to say something about them, but we're really going to spend most of our time on those main entries. Credits on the book include the writer and researcher is Barbara Kessel, with consultations from Paul Levitz. The editors are Mark Wade and Karen Berger. Colorist is Carl Gafford, and the designer was Keith Wilson. And um, let's see, issue number three is what we're covering here. It has a cover date of July 1988. And the release date was actually on March 29th, 1988. Thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that information. And the cover price was $1.25. But poor Siskoid, he had to pay $1.75 because he's in Canada. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Sucker! 60p in the UK, it says here. Oh, poor Andy Leyland. So, all right, the cover. <laughs> they pay things with P. <laughs> The cover is by Greg LaRock and Carl Kessel, and this is a huge departure from the covers of issues one and two. One and two were giant, you know, explosive images of the various generations of the team doing activities. You know, they'd be like the current team looking back on the past at what the old team was doing. And now with the departure of Steel Lytle on the covers, we have Greg LaRock coming in, and it's a completely different type of cover. Now, I have to say... 
I, I re- without comparing it to issues one and two, just taking the cover of issue three on its own, I really like this cover. It is, uh, you're standing on the surface of a planet or maybe an asteroid, and in the sky is full of planets. There are planets everywhere, lots and lots of colors. Space itself is not black, it's blue, and you see in the very foreground, far, far in the distance, there's these little tiny silhouettes of the Legion. You can clearly make out Dawnstar in probably Shadow Lass. Beyond that, gets a little sketchy who's there, but it's clearly supposed to represent the various worlds that the Legion of Superheroes interact with, because you can even recognize a couple of them in, in the distance there, because they're very, you know, iconic looking. Uh, what do you guys think of the cover? Let's uh, let's start with you, Cisco. What do you think of this cover? Well, I thought it was one of the weaker ones, in a sense, because, you know, you don't have as many, uh, you know, the characters aren't up front, uh, but, you know, it's Doctor Who's The Stolen Earth, is, is what it is. Um, <laughs> I can probably spot, you know, name four of the Legionnaires in the bag, Dawnstar, Timberwolf, and then Shadowlass is for sure next to Mon-El. Yeah. I'm not too sure the other the other ones are. What what it actually put me in mind to, of is Legion of Superheroes number 289, A Cold and Lonely Corner of Hell. I don't know if you know that one. Uh, it's where a group of Legionnaires are marooned on a frozen planetoid. Oh, uh, I actually know yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's one I found in a bargain bin very early on. It's like one of the earliest issues I, I had for a long time in my collection. Uh, but I checked in. It's not the same grouping of you know Legionnaires. So I, I guess it's, it doesn't have anything to do with that. I, I say it's one of the weaker ones, and yet, you know, I I do like it as well. It's just I don't know. I'm ambivalent about it. Okay, is, right. is what it is. That's fair enough. Tim, what do you think of it? You know what? I think I think you guys missed that. Is that fist pumping lad right there? <laughs> it's got de- it's right death metal death death metal lad. <laughs> so actually, the the silhouetted figure is actually kind of connected with me because the more I looked at it, the more I was like, they they are dwarfed by these planets the same way I occasionally feel dwarfed by the history of the Legion. Mm. It's it's this overwhelming but beautiful image of of these tiny figures in the foreground or in the, the background actually and all of these planets and, and moons just looming over them and I, I'm no expert because I was an art major in school I, I was not a science kid in any way but uh, doesn't this kind of break the laws of physics oh yeah absolutely there, absolutely. there, there, there shouldn't be that many things in that close proximity right somebody's going to be playing <laughs> pinball up in sky if they, if, if they kept it really like <laughs> now the more I look at these silhouettes I'm going right, to so we, we definitely nailed Dawnstar <laughs> we all we nailed Dawnstar uh, <laughs> Monel, Shadow Lass, and Timberwolf. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say Fist Pumping Lad is probably Wildfire. And I'm going to go on a limb on the guy in the mm-hmm. far right. It looks like he's got kind of like a, a bouffant hairdo and he's kind of crossed his legs. I'm going to say that's Matter Eater Lad. I'm saying that's, no, actually, you know what? I think that's Brainiac 5 because the baggy pants. Oh, and he, do, he does have the poofy hair too, doesn't he? Okay, so that yeah. just leaves the guy next to Brainiac 5 is the questionable one. <laughs> he's a very short legionnaire which might be Polar Boy. The body language implies angry because he's got his arms crossed. So huh. mm. Now, yeah, I don't know. one thing we didn't mention is thematically this cover makes sense because the lead story is all about the planets of the Legion. Uh, not the Legion members, but the planets that the Legions interact with. And so the, the cover is thematically matching the front story, which we should probably go ahead and get into. Go for it. All right, so like the first two issues, the lead story is, it's kind of like another one of those news magazines, like a 60 Minutes or something like that. It's kind of the setup. But they're covering, as I mentioned, the planets in which the Legion operate. And your host is Arad Adandara, who to me looks just like Devil and Orion, the guy from five years later. I'm not going to go through this in any amount of detail. However, I will just tell you 
all the planets that are sort of each one gets a half page entry that are, that are represented here. You get the asteroid home of R.J. Brand. You get the Dominion, of course, which is the Dominators. You get Cthune, which is the hottest, sexiest planet because that is Night Girl's homeworld. You get <laughs> Cahundia, which is of course home of the Cahuns. You get Corball from the, which is where you get the Lightning Beasts of Corball from, you know, of course, the Lightning Lab. You get Labyrinth, which is the prison planet that the Legion people dump their captives on. You get Lalore, which as in the heroes of Lalore, you know, thank goodness we're going to hear about, more about them in a minute. You get Lethal, which is a kind of a creepy slave and master S&M sort of vacation planet. It's kind of creepy. Then you get Mars, which is, tells you about their colony troubles they've been having. You get Medicus 1, which is, of course, the hospital planet with Dr. Gim. You get Nullport, which is apparently where you go to buy space cruisers and hang out with anthropomorph horses. You get Shangri-La, which is, of course, the planet of all the memorials and all the statues of all the lost legionnaires. You get Tacron Galtos, which is the old prison planet before they built Labyrinth. You get Tyraz, which is Tyr's homeworld, or his war world, if you will. You get Venegar, which is the Emerald Empress's homeworld. Ventura, which is the pleasure and gambling planet full of palaces, which I would like to go to personally. You get Weber's world, which is the artificial planet that houses the UP government. And from there, we go into, oh, thank goodness, we go into our first entry. But before we do that, thanks goodness, because it's the heroes of Lalor. Oh, is it, you say Lalor or Lalor? What do you guys say? I say Laller. Laller? That's probably right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Any comments on the front story about the planet? I know I just breezed right through it, but anything you guys wanted to share, any thoughts? comments i like the tourism board angle mm. uh you know it's, it makes it entertaining it's not just facts like cassoon's romantic moonlight they're being used you know it's being used for tourism you know it's interesting uh, i didn't know kundia was always uh, night as well i that, that's something i didn't know about the kuns and uh, for lithel you know all immigrants are judged and then become slaves i think there's a metaphor in that um <laughs> and fi- and finally you know that reporter guy arad and dara yeah names a palindrome Uh-oh. i just noticed that i just noticed that <laughs> interesting okay somebody's having some fun all right now i should have mentioned also the art and that in that whole the, all the planets the art is by keith giffen and bob smith so, all right here we go boys heroes of lalore or laller heroes of laller <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I have no enthusiasm for these characters. I really don't. But I'm going to give it my best. All right. So what you get is Heroes of Lalor with art by Jim Valentino and George Perez. And here you get four characters depicted and one memorial. And we'll go into who specifically they are in a moment because then we break it down by the individual characters. The gist of it is on the planet uh, Lalor, it's sort of Earth-like, except there's an, an accidental atomic detonation. And this radiation caused some mutations. Five children developed powers. And these five children were adopted by the government. And they were raised as sort of like, take a while the heroes of Lalor. Years later, they were exiled and they were tricked into attacking the Legion. That's where we come into, uh, you know, meeting our favorite characters, of course. And during this hubbub, uh, Duplicate Boy, who's one of the heroes of Lalor, ends up kind of connecting with Shrinking Violet. They discover the whole trickery and solve the whole situation, and they start to develop a bit of a romance. And uh, they, uh, they, pr- these characters then go on to protect Lalor as heroes. However, one of the members eventually left the team and died, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Their first appearance was Adventure Comics three. 324. Now, what I'm going to do, guys, I'm just going to keep going, and then I'll stop after each one of the individual characters, and you guys can share your thoughts, because we're going to talk about the exact same people I just mentioned. All right. Uh, first, we're going to have three to a page to get these full body shots so you get to see their entire costume. First one is Beast Boy by Kurt Swan and John Beatty. Don't be confused. This is not Gar Logan. In fact, if you want to do a little bit of research, this Beast Boy premiered in September 1964, and Gar Logan didn't show up till November 1965. So step off, Gar. That's probably why they changed the name to Changeling, because they didn't want to be confused with this guy, you know, because a lot of competition there. And if you look at him, he's wearing a red bodysuit with white trunks. He looks a little bit like Captain Comet to me. But yeah. Yeah. He's 
real name is, and I don't know if that's an L or not. I'm, I'm going to assume it's I-L. Ilshu Nor of Lalar. He, uh, he had the ability to transform himself into animals. Much like the other Beast Boy. Hmm. Copycat. Now, he was the moodiest of the heroes of Lalor. There was a situation where the heroes ended up being shunned because of their powers, and he didn't take to that well. So he split. He took off. And he left to take over this planet of legendary beasts. And while there, he died saving this little girl. So he is now deceased, which is why I mentioned earlier there was a memorial for one of the members. And his first appearance, like all the others, was Adventure Comics number 324. The whole heroes thing, I had Adventure 324. I had to go double check when it was released because reading the entry, my very first thought was, did, did these guys get created after the Chernobyl incident? Oh. And, and then I had to go back a little bit further and start thinking, or was it Three Mile Island? Hmm. But, but it's actually 1964. So it's just, I guess, just the Atomic Age fear. Bay of Pigs or something, maybe, you know? Yeah, maybe. Interesting. Okay. Fair, fair observation. All right. Up next is Duplicate Boy, which is Ord Quit. These names are so hard to say. Ord Quila? of Lalor, art again by Kurt Swan and John Beatty, and he had the power where he could copy the powers of others, so he could actually duplicate someone else's superpowers. And apparently he was the most popular of the heroes of Lalor, and had, a, as I mentioned, he had a romance with Shrinking Violet. What he would do is, in order to go visit her on Earth, he would copy either Superboy or Monel's powers so he could fly across space so quickly to, for a quick hookup. Yeah, that's a smart way to get a quickie. Unfortunately, he lost Shrinking Violet's love after it came out that she had been replaced. Remember, remember we talked last episode where she had been replaced by an Imsk terrorists and she was actually a, a Durlin and all this stuff. When all that happened at the end of it her and Duplicate Boy were no longer together and he was just racked with guilt over that situation. And his first appearance was also Adventure Comics 324 and he's wearing a green bodysuit with some little black and white sort of almost like Harlequin things around the neck and uh, briefs. Up next is Evolvo Lad whose real name is Sev Tchur of Lalor. Loving these things. Uh, Kurt Swan and John Beatty and he has got this enormous egghead. Like remember Egghead from the Batman uh, 66 series? Even bigger than that! And he's got these pointed ears, and he was the leader of the Heroes of Lalor, and he had the ability to project himself forward and backward on the evolutionary scale. Mostly forward, is most of the time. But uh, So he's an interesting thing, he was very, very evolved and very, very intelligent. However, it did not come, this intelligence did not come with wisdom or maturity. So he did recognize that he had some growing up to do. And the first appearance, again, Adventure Comics 324. Now, I mentioned the big giant egghead, but he's also got a blue and yellow bodysuit that looks like maybe he stole from Cyclops' closet. <laughs> Except the little... Uh, uh, loincloth thing. Yeah, well, the loincloth uh, is useful when he's a caveman, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> Evolvo, Evolvo did appear in the reboot quite a bit. He put in time with the Workforce, which was a team that had Ultra Boy, Karate Kid, and Livewire in it for a while. <laughs> yeah, so he appeared in that, and I had a, like a few appearances early on in the reboot. Nice. All right. Up next is Gas Girl, not to be confused with one of my college girlfriends. Uh, her name is Tal Nahi of Lalor, and again, Kurt Swan and John Beatty's the art. She has the ability to change into any gas element at room temperature. So she literally could just gas out, sort of like, what was his name, Mass Master in, in Power Pack, uh, except that she's able to uh, choose the gas element she wants to be. She can. She was a bit of a show-off, she was fiercely loyal, and uh, she was a little bit jealous of Duplicate Boy and Shrinking Violet's relationship. And her outfit, it's interesting, the color almost has a transition, almost like a gas, where the bottom is white, then it kind of goes into a pink area, and then it goes into a black area. It's, it's kind of neat. And then her hair is all gassy and sort of like fumes floating around her head. And of course, Adventure Comics number 3 24 is her first appearance. That is probably the cruelest nickname to ever give a teenage girl. I know. I know. <laughs> right? Especially one that is so obviously suffering from alopecia. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's it's like the deck is already stacked against her, and then you're going to take a cheap shot. It's terrible. Children can be cruel. Children can be cruel. All right, our last uh, hero of Lelor, thank goodness, is Life Lass. And you know I'm making somebody mad at home, but this is like their favorite characters too, by the way. Anyway, Life Lass, whose real name is Sami Gan of Lelor, again by Kurt Swan and John Beatty. She is wearing a red outfit with black piping, and let me tell you something about her. She's hot. Uh, I don't know if it's the raven hair. Maybe that's just a thing with me, but um, I think she's beautiful. Anyway, she has the ability to animate non-living objects. And the example they gave, I like this, is as a baby, when her mother wouldn't sing to her, she actually animated her own baby rattle to sing to her, which I think is just a great idea. Anyway, uh, first appearance, as all the others, is Adventure Comics 324. I think the other heroes of Lalor look much better in the original Who's Who. I think it was like Dan Jurgens or something. Mm. The, like both, both girls look hot. All the guys look fine. Here, not, they're not so great. I think that's part of the lack of enthusiasm on our parts. But you know, the, the heroes of Lalor are still better than the Wanderers. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, what do you think about that? we got to get to them in the W issue, don't we? Oh, sorry. Oh, uh, that's going to be painful. They did appear in the reboot, not just the Volvo, but the rest of them appeared eventually, but just like cameos. And by uh, in that series, they had another member, Arm Fall Off Boy. Oh, was he oh, a hero no. of Lalor? In the reboot. In the okay. reboot, he, he was not a Lalorian. <laughs> he just joined that team because, you know, what other team would want him? So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so he did He did reappear after that Secret Origins issue where he made his first appearance uh, as a hero of Lalor. Yep. Now, to be fair, in the total gender equality, I will say in the original drawing, the first one, this the team shot that I have to say Duplicate Boy and Beast Boy, well, Beast Boy in his individual shot, Duplicate Boy in the in the team shot, they, they're pretty hot guys themselves. They're pretty beefy and looking pretty sexy. So, you know, it goes both ways. A Volvo lad, he's just a sad case. All right. Well, we're done with the Heroes of Lalor. Let's move on to some individual entries. And now we get to these ones like I call senior class photos where you just get a little shot of the face. The first character we're going to talk about is Holder, and he is all orange. He's an alien with this ridged fin going up, you know, uh, like, like you would expect a, a, a mohawk kind of f- uh, fin on his head, and he's got pointed ears and red eyes, and his real name is Hade Atavoyo, whatever, of Earth. <laughs> and again, Kurt Swan and John Beatty did the art, and he is an augmented human who worked for a crime family. He had very, very strong and had this deadly grip, and he worked for Pulsar Stargrave. First appearance is is Superboy in the Legion of Superheroes, number 223. And does not look human at all. Not even remotely, and yet apparently he is an augmented human. You know, I'm feeling some guilt about the heroes of Lalor. I guess, you know, just going back to them for a second here, like... They are an interesting concept, you know, creating, you know, the Legion of Superheroes is who the comic's about. But you know what? It makes sense there's going to be other superhero teams out there that they're going to interact with. So conceptually, it works. But as as Cisco has said, the, the art is, it, it's not even Kurt Swan's fault. It's just kind of, it, it's that Marvel Universe stock pose where they're just standing there kind of thing. And it just looks so boring. So, oh. yeah. Well, I liked them when I saw them in Who's Who. That was the first time I ever saw them. But then I read stories with them in it. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Okay. Endorsement. So, perfect. All right. Last one of our little senior photos on this page. It is a character named Immune. Basically, just a, a guy wearing a green helmet, but it looks like a cross between, I don't know, like Magneto's helmet and a Multiplex's helmet or something. But he, he looks surly. Anyway, his real name is Dr. Merlin Duryu of Zorma. Goodness gracious. Anyway, his power, again, Chris Swan and John Beatty, his power is to be immune to all diseases, and he was tricked by Dr. Regulus into attacking R.J. Brand. And he used to, uh, later on, they used 
used his immunity to help others. First appearance, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, number 232. Moving on, our next entry, uh, we get two per page here, so you get a full body shot. They've really, I feel like they've really made an effort in these uh, later issues to move away from the senior class photos for the most part and try and give you more shots. Like these two, the ones we're about to cover, is rather than the stock still Marvel Universe pose, you actually get people doing stuff. And in this one, Infinite Man, you get side of a profile shot. He's got a star field behind him. He looks like he's ready for action. It's a cool shot. Infinite Man is Jackson Rugarth of Earth. The art is by Ty Templeton, so you know it's freaking gorgeous. And Infinite Man, I'm not going to do justice to the description here, folks, because to describe this costume is to attempt madness. But his legs are whitish, translucent-ish. He's got a purple sort of midsection with a giant infinity symbol, a, a, a fuchsia belt, and then this like mask that's yellow and fuchsia that's stuck on the front. Again, it sounds terrible, but it looks really badass. Anyway... Really great art. I love the Starfield. Cool headdress and all that. Anyway, he is, uh, he was a man who was sent forward in time, and apparently all the various timelines that he brushed up against snapped his mind and created this new persona of the Infinite Man. He now he's battled the Legion and Ron Vidar. First appearance was Superboy number 233. To your point, Shag, this was, looking at it, one of my favorite pieces of art in this issue. Really? It, it really was. There's, there's, there's a little bit of, of a dynamic pose to it as opposed to that standard stock pose mm-hmm. and like you were trying to describe and you're right it's really hard to that sort of translucent over the star field thing it, it's it's really awesome yeah yeah i like it too can we talk about time travel villains because uh <laughs> <laughs> yes let's <laughs> now because the, the the legion has several time travel or you know temporal villains sure. the two main ones are the time trapper yep. and this guy the infinite man and i like that both and they've, they've been at war you know in the, at the end of the five years later they were fighting i think but the the idea is that both characters represent a completely different take on the nature of time so whereas the time trapper is about entropy, about the universe having an endpoint where the time traveler lives. Mm-hmm. The infinite man is about time being a, on a loop, so that the end is also the beginning. It's like the big, the big crunch after the you know big bang, then the big crunch, the big bang, the big crunch. That's what the infinite man is about. So they've got the, both representations of what time might be like, what the nature of time might be like in the Legion universe, so to speak. And the Legion have fought both. Hmm. That is very interesting and deep, and I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> but damn it, Shag, aren't we doing a time travel show together? Um, you know, and after Flashpoint, uh, you know, like this character appears in Crisis, then he appears in Zero Hour, and he's referenced as to uh, as being in the, the baddie in Crisis in Infinite Eras, which we never saw, but was uh, at the very end of the uh, Superman Grounded storyline. It's referenced. But after Flashpoint, he appears, but he's got a different name. Um, Ultra the Multi-Alien is prophesied to one day become Infinitus, destroyer of worlds, and the Legion returns to the 21st century to kill him as a child so that the 31st century doesn't perish. And by all outward appearances, despite the different name, you know, it's the Infinite Man. He looks exactly like this. Ah. So, the enti- so the entity follows the Legion back in time and fights the Justice League, you know, Justice League Canada, and it's all unraveled when the Martian Manager takes Ultra's young mind away and, the, it, you know, it destroys whatever was corrupting him, and then Infinitus never comes to 
to be. But Infinitus is uh, the Infinite Man. It's the same character. Sounds a little bit like Ooh. Doctor Doom and Kang and uh, in Immortus and all that. Yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. Essentially, you just mentioned a lot of comics I've read, but I don't remember ever seeing this guy before, except in Who's Who. That's so strange. So you, you mentioned like he's in he's in Zero Hour. I have no recollection of that. I've read that thing tons of times. You said he's in Crisis on Infinite Earths. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, like I don't remember ever seeing this guy in a book. It's so weird. Like you know what? Maybe he created a paradox, and that's why I can't remember seeing him, except in Who's Who. Yeah. Well, on Earth Canada, uh, we remember him. <laughs> perfect. Absolutely perfect. Well, he he is definitely a cool visual character. I don't know if, know if I said it or if it was just in my head, but the the original Who's Who entry for him was really really sharp as well. So interesting. I'm gonna have to look this guy up more because you know I love me some time travel, and you recommend some stories for us, Cisco. Tell us which ones to read with in the comments. Okay. Uh, in the comments. Yes. <laughs> right now, I don't know. On the spot, you seem so well versed in the character. <laughs> All right. Up next is the Interplanetary Bank Beast Guards. Art again by Ty Templeton. And these are the, not surprisingly, the beasts that guard the Interplanetary Bank. Even in, This is even hinted at in the opening paragraphs by, by Mark Wade. This entry is completely not necessary. I'm sorry, it's not. However, it's totally worth it for the Ty Templeton artwork. These are some weird, freaky creatures. Like this is Purple Dude, who's supposed to be the combination of multiple characters. He's got giant wings. He's got eyes in his chest. He's got crazy feet and hands. Then you've got this weird snake-like creature, and then this other one with a giant, like, uh, blaring mouth horn and stuff. Really funky, weird stuff. Again, not necessary. Don't deserve half a page, but they're really cool looking. First appearance, Adventure Comics 350. I'm trying to figure out how this didn't end up as a Saturday morning cartoon. (laughs) Interplanetary Bank Beast Guard sounds like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Mighty Morphin Power Rangers or... Right. It is ripe for Saturday morning. On Fox, after (laughs) X-Men, it's Interplanetary Bank Beast Guards. Ty Templeton really is the MVP of this series. Yeah. There's always there's always like one artist that they use a lot in these side who's who's uh, like in uh, like the who's uh, who's who in Star Trek had its MVP. This Ty Templeton is definitely the MVP of this series. All his pieces are great. Yeah, I would agree wholeheartedly. All right, folks, we are moving on now to another main entry. The first one of of Legion characters, actually, it's Invisible Kid the First. And Siskoid, I'm going to hand it off to you. Sure, Invisible Kid the First, Lyle Norg of Earth, art by Kurt Swan and Ty Templeton, and it's a combo I like a lot. It, it's the same combo uh, we saw in the Secret Origins issue where Arm Fall Off Boy and you know the, the Fortress <laughs> yeah. Lad, uh, the origin of the headquarters. But you know I'm not a big Kurt Swan fan, but Ty Templeton inking him, I love it. I love it. Somehow that just works. Lyle first appeared in Action Comics 267. That's way back in August of 1960, and the story in is one in which Supergirl first meets the Legion. But he's just a background character there. That happened a lot early on. You saw like Legionnaires in the background. Hmm. Their first appearances weren't very effective. But uh, Lyle was a brilliant biochemist on par with Brainiac 5 in his particular field. He created a serum that gave him the power to turn invisible. And he was one of the Legion Academy's early teachers, but sadly killed by Validus of the Fatal Five in Superboy and the Legion number 203 in August of 1974. With an odd subplot about him talking to a ghost never truly resolved. He was also the Legion leader in the the team's sixth year, and of course a member of the Legion espionage squad. Now, here's the thing about Invisible Kid. According to the definitive guide to the character 
members of the DC Universe, which is like an encyclopedia, Lyle was in a gay relationship with Kondo Arlick, a.k.a. Chemical King. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, But this was never stated explicitly in the comic book itself, of course. But it, it was like a bit of fan service because LGBTQ readers had long adopted the fan theory that the two were a couple. I mean, there's certainly a link between them. They're both biochemical characters. One one is a, biochemic, a biochemist. The other one you know, has chemical powers. Uh, and Kondo got his powers under control thanks to Invisible Kid. And then maybe there's the fact that neither ever had a girlfriend, which is rare for Legionnaires. And that invisibility is one of those defensive powers that female Legionnaires usually were saddled with. So it makes the character somewhat androgynous in superhero terms of, in the 60s. Like Invisible, there's an Invisible Girl. Uh, so Invisible Kid has like a, a female power hmm. sort of thing. So there, there's something there's something queer about it, if, if I can use that word. But by the 80s, anytime there's a flashback to this era, including Secret Origins, they make a point of showing Kondo and Lyle having a very close friendship. And then the reboot version winked at this, at like a developing interest between Lyle and Kondo. And Kondo in, in the reboot is not a superhero, he's just a journalist. But there's, they, they have like this flirtation almost. But again, it's not, it's not explicit. It's never explicit. But this is something that the girls from Ohadmo are not really latched onto. They created fan art for it. Uh, oh, wow. they, they made they made a cake in remembrance of his death. Oh, <laughs> there are pictures for this on the Legion of Super Bloggers. So it's it's all there under either Chemical King or under the Hot or Not for um, Invisible Kid. Now, so, question for you in that: go what, go. what was the book you referenced where they definitively said they were in a relationship? I think it's called the Definitive Guide to the Characters of the DC Universe. I'm, I mean, that's that's what they're they're calling it on here. What, what is uh, what is that though? I mean, is it a was it a comic? Was it a book? I I, I don't know that I've heard of that. I, I don't know why that that's the title of it. On on this page here, but I think it's like it's the DC Comics Encyclopedia oh, is what it is. Interesting. Okay. Huh. I have it, and it's in the little blurb. It just gets a little blurb, okay. and it's it's on there. It's written on there. I wonder if also because that that would have been published much later. I wonder if there was a bit of I don't know if they're worried about backlash because you know cor- corporations were always very conservative in these sort of things. They were always nervous they'd get hate mail or something like that. So I wonder if they felt a little more comfortable coming out and saying these characters were in a relationship at that point because both characters were dead, so they didn't have to worry about telling further stories of that or people you know asking why don't you see more development with it they go oh well those two yep they were but you know it's in the past so let's move forward I wonder if that played a role in the corporate comfort level of, of putting them out there well it came out in 2004 the encyclopedia oh, so, so okay you've read the five years later Legion books that was full of LGBTQ content yes very much uh, by that so uh, yeah already at that point uh, we have Legionnaires in gay relationships we have uh, characters coming out as being transsexual so you know the Legion always been this kind of haven for the LGBT community mm-hmm. uh, where a lot of characters were either presumed to be gay or and then eventually there were writers who just tapped into that and said yes sure let, let's make this about make this story about that five years later really embraced the whole idea and there was a lot of sexual fluidity mm-hmm. uh, let's say in that book you know it's in a thousand years so really whatever hang-ups people might have now or you know in the late 80s early 90s when five years later came out projecting it to the future Future, you know, why would we have those hangups a thousand years from now? Yeah, absolutely. And why should why should we have them now at all? It's a book that did a lot for diversity as far as sexual identity went. We here at Ohatmu or, or not uh, central or whatever the <laughs> hot or not uh, feature uh, totally embraced whatever gayness they wanted to give to characters. Mm-hmm. So Cisco, I got a couple more questions for you. So uh, he's a he's a brilliant biochemist or something like that. So when the, I was reading the entry where it talks about where he created a serum to give himself the uh, powers, it sounded a little 
vague. When he did that, did he know he was giving himself invisibility, or did he just know he was giving himself powers? No, I think he knew. He knew that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. The way it was written, it made it sound like he just knew he was going to give himself some powers. and didn't. I got the sense that he maybe didn't know what he was going to get, but either way. I think, yeah. Uh, the, the ghostly story about Myla, I, I do want to point out, that was covered recently on an episode of our uh, Warlord Worlds, a friend of our podcast, so we definitely worth checking that out. And then, so he was killed by Validus, right? Right. So I'm going to think... Crushed. Kind of, yeah. I, I've seen the panel. I got to think, you know, in hindsight, like Saturn Girl and Lightning Lad, they must feel pretty shitty about this. Uh, I'm just saying. Yeah, for sure. That's like, that's a raw deal they got from Dark Side for sure. Yeah. Pile on the guilt. Right. Pile on the guilt. <laughs> One thing Invisible Kid did not have is fashion sense, what? I must say. We didn't talk about his look, but in the reboot, he's got a very nice black and white ensemble. <laughs> the original costume is pretty gross. It's, you know, tan and orange with a green, green belt and green uh, boots and this, uh, what the girls call a phallic symbol coming off of his belt buckle. It's it's a letter I. <laughs> yes, of course. It's a letter I. <laughs> it's not a phallic and symbol. The letter I is phallic. I'm sorry. Well, but yeah, no, the color scheme and the headband, it's not a great look. It's not a great look, uh, which is why he turns invisible. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned the black and white costume because I absolutely love that. That one of, looks cool. That's actually yeah. my notes is how much I love that black and white costume. So Now, that was technically that showed up. Was it in the reboot first or was that in the uh, SW? Six first. I think the SW6 used it, didn't it? Yeah. Didn't they? Yeah. Personally, I like to give the props to the SW6 before I give it to Reeve. Well, you know, one became the other, really. That's true. I know he is a product of the 60s, but that, that outfit looks very much like, like a 1940s or 1930s movie serial sci-fi costume. Mm, yeah. Yeah, a lot of the Silver Age costumes kind of, that you know, that's what their idea of the future was. They really made it Buck Rogersy. A lot of the characters, you know, the fins on, on the shoulders, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right, by the way, about Ty Templeton's inking really just making this a beautiful piece it just smooths out everything perfectly he looks uh, it's just the, the clean line over kurt swan's you know body definition and in, in sculpting you know body sculpting if you will uh it makes for a hell of a great combination and then invisible kid 2 jacques Focard of earth art by colleen doran jacques first appeared in legion of superheroes annual number one that's 1982 so he's a very he's, he's a late comer and that's where he took the original invisible kids serum to help him save his sister who had been taken over by Computo. So he developed the same invisibility powers, uh, but he also found that he had the power to create warps between places and dimensions, and he didn't really have that under control, so it's kind of a power that he tried to get rid of and then get back. He's had quite a career. The white streak in his hair was due to a blast from Darkseid during the Great Darkness Saga, so he's been he's been through some stuff. In the Five Years Later era, he led the resistance against the Dominion occupation. Uh, he married a very hot, infectious lass, mm. and briefly became president of Earth uh, in the wake of its liberation. Unfortunately, Lyle has been the primary invisible kid across the various reboots, so he didn't fare so well later. Uh, today, after the retro boot, of course, you know the timeline's been reasserted, and he's once again uh, invisible kid. Now, I have a personal connection to this character because he was in my first issue, that, that Legion 304. Mm-hmm. It featured him and the White Witch uh, brushing up on their skills at the Legion Academy. Therefore, I have an affinity with all the characters that were prominently featured in that issue. He's also a French speaker, so obviously. Though he's from the Ivory Coast, and as far as these things go, really, he wasn't one of the main offenders when it came to bad French in comics, which is one of my you know pet peeve of mine. Whenever <laughs> characters, oh man, every Sacre time somebody, bleu. Sacre bleu, sacre bleu, You know, Alpha Flight is all over the map on the French things. But watch it, step carefully, sir. Oh man, it was like the worst Quebec French ever. I'm uh, editing but, all of that out. Uh, well. <laughs> yeah, it happens to be true. 
But, but Invisible Kid is mostly guiltless of these crimes. I do think his name is kind of strange. It's not really an African name, which it's, it's fine. It's, a, it's like it's a very French name, which is entirely possible today as it will be in a thousand years, you know, that to have uh, that kind of descent or, you know, they have a, a family name that isn't actually from your country. But I also can't believe that they went with something that sounded like a curse word in English is really my <laughs> thing. I mean... Am I the only one here? Is, have you ever? A little bit, a little bit. When, when you read the name, I almost said, watch your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and again, not a fashion conscious character. It's He's very plain. That pale yellow is like a rare choice. Yes. Eventually, like today, he's added like black, black straps all over it. And uh, it looks a little bit chunkier and it looks better. But here it's, uh, you know, it's made to be invisible. Right. Is what it right. is. It's what it is. You needed Dave Cockrum on this one, I think. Yeah. And, you know, his uh, kid sister would eventually join the SW6 Legion. And I kind of miss that character. I wish, like, I wish the Computo, Danielle, Computo 2 or whatever you want to call her, would have somehow transitioned to the reboot. That would have been nice. You know, not a lot of characters have her powers, like techno telepathy or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you can't have Invisible Kid 2, if you can't have Jacques in the the reboot Legion because you've already already got Lyle, how about, you know, how about just making Danielle a character there? Because I really like that character as well. So, yeah. I remember very specifically in the Cosmic Teams trading card set there was a card for her it wasn't right. the that, reboot legion or was that still the sw6s that's sw6 yeah oh okay that's what i'm thinking of okay well a couple different things one is if you asked me to name the artist i would never in a million years come up with colleen duran for this drawing it looks like maybe it's her pencils inked by somebody else i don't know do you see colleen duran in this art uh in the face uh there, there's something if you look at all her, her other pieces the there's there's something to the face there's like a you know i don't know there's something in the expression that's that's a bit of her but it does look a little bit you know, scratchier mm-hmm. than what she usually does. Yeah. The only last comment for me is he has adrenaline-activated teleportation, which he, he yeah. had to get rid of because he's having a problem with it. And, I, and of course, being who I am, I am a bit irredeemable. I can't help but think adrenaline-activated teleportation. That could make <laughs> sex really awkward. Wow. Yeah, I went there. Sorry. Yep. L- let's ask Infectious Lass. Whoa. <laughs> you know what? We're going to get to her in just a bit. All right. Moving on. So now we're on one of the next page where it's three per page. You get the full body shot of each character. And the first one is Isaiah, High Father of New Genesis. You know who I'm talking about. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Just know that in the Great Darkness saga, Darkseid came back. So he came back. You want more details? Go read it, for goodness sake. We've been telling you since last episode, go read the dark Great Darkness saga. Jeez, O.P. First appearance in Legion of Superheroes, number Legion of Superheroes, 292. Art by Grant Meum. It's a, it's a great picture. I like it. And every time you say the word High Father and you look at the picture, it's like he's acknowledging you. <laughs> he's waving. Yes, hello. <laughs> Guiding my sheep. <laughs> he wants a high five. It's um... Well, he's the high father. Maybe he's the high father of fives. <laughs> All right, up next is Kandrew, whose bolt hacks of earth. Goodness gracious. It's just a guy in a black suit, basically, a 30th century uh, suit. And art by Grant Meehan still. He is the former president of earth and probably best known for having been kidnapped and replaced by Universo in disguise. And his term ended, and then Colossal Boy's mom, took over the role of President of Earth. First appearance at Adventure Comics number 359. Finally on this page we have Can 2 of Dijin or Jin I guess is how you say that. Still art by Grant 
premium. And uh, basically, it's like someone sat down and decided to write a story in from a sci-fi perspective of why we have genies. Because that's what this is. It, it explains why you have genies in bottles. They're a warrior race that the Owens, the little blue guys, turned into genies. Because that's just had to be a thing. Catu <laughs> was accidentally freed by Bouncing Boy and Duo Damsel in an adventure. And eventually, he was rebottled. And it's uh, he's this green dude. And it has your sort of typical, you know, Jafar angry face. Except he's green with glowing red eyes. Uh, Legion of Superheroes, number 266, was his first appearance. And I gotta imagine his only appearance. This is a, more of the work of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Or Guardians the, of the, the Galaxy, universe, really? Star-Lord and uh, Rocket Raccoon <laughs> and all them had a hand in this. Interesting. Let me say that again. And this was all the work of the Guardians yeah, of the I'm universe. not editing that out. You, uh, I'm leaving that in, you. sir. <laughs> I mean, if they've got, they're going to have the same name. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's another crime by the Guardians. Yes, that is a long, long list. And I love how the Legion just likes to dump it on after a while. Like, you know, they had Universal and they're like, eh, you know what? Let's make him another victim of uh, the, the Owens being shitty to people. So, <laughs> all right. Up next is Karate Kid the First. Tim, why don't you take it away, buddy? Sure. Karate Kid the First. Secret Identity. Val Armor of Earth. Art by Dave Cockrum. Woohoo! So Val Armor, named for his mother Valentina, was the son of a Japanese supervillain named the Black Dragon. When the dragon was killed by the hero Sensei, the Sensei promised to raise Val, teaching him not only martial arts, but also an appreciation for peaceful things like art. Leaving Japan for Metropolis, Val set out to join the Legion, which he saw as a challenge for a non-powered human like himself. Trying out on the eve of the Kund invasion, he was accepted along with Princess Projectra, Pharaoh Lad, and Nemesis Kid. He served as leader of the Legion, fell in love with Princess Projectra, eventually marrying her. They left the Legion, moving to Orando until the Legion of Supervillains invaded. Karate Kid was then beaten by a traitorous Nemesis Kid and died trying to destroy a device that the villains had planned to use to move the planet to another dimension. Mm. Brutal stuff. Yeah. So from childhood, he learned every form of unarmed combat, mastered almost all of them, making himself a living weapon. His Specialty is his self-created super karate. Uh, he is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's su- it's super karate. You can't laugh at that. I just did. <laughs> Uh, he has also studied the fighting techniques of every new world that they've encountered, that the Legion encountered, devising defenses and attacks to use against them, even adapting several moves for specific use with a Legion flight ring. He's also trained many Legionnaires in hand-to-hand combat. Basically, he's a dude in a white karate gi with a yellow high collar and black trim. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's got those 70s bracers on his wrist, too, man. They're sweet. He does, and a black belt, of course. Of course. First appearance was Adventure Comics 346. That collar, man. That thing's huge. It, I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced that that's good for martial arts. <laughs> it it kind of leaves you with some blind spots. But but if you know super karate, maybe there's a way around it. Yeah, super karate for sure. One of the things about Karate Kid is, well, first, he had his own series. Mm-hmm. So he's one of the very few Legionnaires to ever get. Is he the only one? No, he's not the only one. There's mon but Probably the first. Yeah, no, definitely the first. Yeah. And then a, f- a few other Legionnaires had miniseries. Series. But it wasn't. It wasn't a great series. But it was a series. It was a series. <laughs> they had to capitalize into- on that. Uh, the nineteen seventies fad with karate. I mean, it, right. it made perfect sense. And I always get a certain measure of joy from the fact that you know DC Comics has to be credited at the end of every Karate Kid movie because of this. It's true. It is absolutely I, true. If it's it, in the credits. That's crazy. I mean, if DC were to trademark more of their character names, things like this, you know, like.
like when the Terminator movie came out, if they had gotten you know Slade Wilson out there first, they would have they would have had that trademark. So I mean, there's a lot of opportunities they've had, and Karate Kid's one of the ones that paid off for. <laughs> Strangely, I I don't know how much cash they make off of the franchise, but uh, does anyone understand how Karate Kid is back? Because you know his his death was very vivid. Of course, I talked about it earlier, mm-hmm. but uh, now he's alive again. Oh, in, the, in now, the retro boot. In the retro boot, he just shows up alive in the 20th century, like his death has been undone. And I never, it's so convoluted, I have no idea how that happened. Does anyone oh, know? No. no. I don't either, but I have a speculation. Is it possible that since since his own his own series was uh, time travel based, he actually traveled back in time to the 70s and lived in the 70s for a while, is it possible this is Karate Kid from that same era before he died? Huh. Well, there's a paradox there because he goes from that, you know, those 20th century stories to the 31st century and then in like volume 7 of the Legion uh, he and Projector are back together and it's like it never happened are they married? like it did happen but he's resurrected somehow okay so he's back interesting Hmm. well who knows now who knows now but I mean last time we saw Hmm. so if anyone knows if anyone understood those damn stories (laughs) please leave a comment I want to read that by the way speaking of the comments I should mention this uh, and and I don't remember if I said this before or not there were an insane flood of comments on the first episode of this show. Thank you guys so much. It was amazing the amount of feedback we got. And what we're going to do is we're going to have, uh, we're going to do these three episodes of Legion of Who's Who in the Legion. And then when that's done, we're going to actually have sort of a, uh, a, a recap episode where we're going to do all the feedback from Who's Who in Star Trek, Who's Who in Legion, and we're going to have a special treat. It's going to be Rob and I in Ciscoid. And this is actually the first time Ciscoid has heard that. Welcome to the party. And uh, <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. Trust me. And I'll tell you more about it later, Ciscoid, because I forgot to tell you two months ago. <laughs> no problem. I do like Karate Kid's origin, though. I mean, the son of a supervillain raised by the hero. I mean, that's a really yeah. cool sort of iconic. It almost has like a Eastern philosophy sort of vibe to it. I, I think it's pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah, and if you've read the story where after he dies uh, in his will, he, he asks Timberwolf to go back to Sensei's planet and where just to plant a flower on Lithal, I think. Mm-hmm. There, there's something about Karate Kid. It, he wasn't just a fighter. He was a philosopher, and it really embodied uh, all those values. Yeah, an interesting character that uh, I was glad to see alive again in in reboots. But at the same time, that you know his epic death is really the key moment, and and really does it almost not worth being undone. And not to uh, take away from that emotional punch, but I just like to think when I, when I think about him, Super Karate versus Mordru. Yeah, I mean, he's the MVP man right there. All right, Karate Kid Two. That's the one with the Peter Cetera song, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so Karate Kid Two, Secret Identity. Mig of see now I'm gonna I'm gonna say this Shag you were saying before lethal Siskoid you were saying l- lethal and yeah. I was originally reading it as lithil oh jeez okay and <laughs> so so but I actually I think I think lethal makes more sense well I I said lethal on the last episode and then got schooled by one of y'all's fellow Legion super bloggers they said no Shag that's lethal and I went oh so I think it's lethal. Lethal makes more sense once we start to read into this origin because because this is a part of the the Legion lore that I have not yet been exposed to. So so reading this entry was was pretty much my first encounter with Karate Kid 2. But Mig of Lethal, artists Greg LaRock and Robert Campanella, as part of Karate Kid 1's will, as uh, Siskoid pointed out, Timberwolf and Sensei visit Lethal and its ruling council, the three judges. Mig, the youngest, takes the heroes on a tour of the planet, but suddenly 
suddenly turns on them, battling Sensei in a test of skills. Uh, they're almost perfectly matched until Sensei distracts him by pausing to compliment him and then using that opportunity to knock him out. The heroes then smuggle him off planet, and when Mig awakes, he remains silent until the trio visit the grave of Karate Kid at Shangala. Awed that a man with similar skills can command this kind of respect even in death, he vows to follow in the footsteps of Karate Kid 1, taking his name and enrolling in the Legion Academy. His attitude has prevented him from becoming a full-fledged legionnaire, but he has tried to improve himself, studying the gentler arts of his predecessor. So, with the whole fighting planet, lethal makes more, more sense to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His powers, he is a master of martial arts, especially proficient in lethal styles. He learns quickly, can make decisions under stress, necessary on his home world, uh, where status is determined by fighting prowess. He has been given a flight ring on a probationary basis, and is learning to apply his talent to teamwork. What does he look like? He's, he's a guy in a red spandex suit covered in tribal tattoos. That's, yeah. that's the best way I can describe it. I've had to describe this guy before for previous Who's Who, and I always say it is an unnecessarily busy costume. Yes, that is uh, that is perfect. And as Siskoid might say, he's screaming for the invisibility power. It looks like what I would say. <laughs> Got some ninja, some ninja skills. There you go. Uh, first appearance was Legion of Superheroes thirteen. Now, given that he attacked Sensei and Timberwolf, like, why didn't they just leave him there? Why did they take him from Lethal? Obviously, if I read the issue, it would probably make more sense. Nothing yeah. in this drawing makes me want to go out and read this issue. If you look at the guy, it's like I'm going to use this joke again later, but it's like you know, knock, knock, knock. Uh, who's there? It's the '90s calling. Can we come in two years early? Because that's what this guy <laughs> looks like. Yeah, the, the issue itself is great. It's a really good Timberwolf story or Timberwolf slash Karate Kid story. He's not the, the best part of that, that tale. Poor Mig really had like a checkered history after that. Well, he, he sent him to the Academy and then he became a member of the second Legion of Substitute Heroes. Mm -hmm. And then if you've read, you know, your, your five years later Legion supplement for the DC Heroes game, uh, you'll know that he wasn't just a sub. He became a Gap Legionnaire, a Legionnaire during the Gap era, during those five missing years. Mm -hmm. And that didn't work out very well for him and uh, then his past was used really to smear the Legion's reputation and then he was broken by the Dominator so when we do see him in five five years later he's on the, the side of the of the villains and uh, he's ultimately murdered by Radiation Roy during an attack on the uh, United Planets Council in Final Crisis. Oh jeez. In, in actually Five on Crisis or Legion of Three Worlds Final Legion Crisis? Legion of Three Worlds yeah. Legion okay. of Three Worlds. I mean Radiation Roy jeez. <laughs> Siskoid, was it was it actually in that issue? Because obviously I haven't read it, and Shagda said he hasn't. Was it was it fleshed out why they thought it was a good idea to kidnap him from his homeworld? Uh, well, kidnap him. <laughs> uh, well, they see in him potential, and it's about really in the memory of the original Karate Kid to take a kid out of that uh, criminal environment and put him on the right path was basically the idea. So okay, okay. Now I have to say he's a bit of a disappointment following up on the original Karate Kid because why? No super karate. <laughs> Yeah, I know. He can't join the Legion. He doesn't have, like, a, a, a an actual superpower. Right, right. Yeah, well, that costume might count for something. 
All right. Up next is the Cahoons, or Coons, or however you want to say it. Everyone's got a different opinion on it, and some of them are cruder than others. Art by Greg LaRock and Robert Campanella. And the image here is three very different-looking guys, and we'll get into them individually in a minute. But you've got one giant cybernetic guy, one yellow guy, and then uh, one guy with a crazy sort of tuft of hair. None of them look like the stereotypical Cahoon that I think of, like from the Invasion series that Siskoid's covering for us on the, on the site. Either way, they're all very interesting-looking. And the gist of the Cahoons, their planet is, as Siskoid uh, mentioned earlier, it's very, very dark, always eclipsed, and they have an overpopulation problem. So violence and militaryism is is like just that's the norm. And there's a lot of these things called challenge courts, which we've seen in some of the Legion issues where you can challenge anybody for the slightest defense anytime you want. The Cahoons did attempt an invasion of Earth, and they coordinated with Nemesis Kid to infiltrate the Legion at that time. And then again, after they were defeated, they tried again during the Earth War. And basically, these guys were got to be the Klingons of the 30th century. It's kind of what this is, as far as I'm concerned. First appearance is Adventure Comics number 346. Now, before I get into the individual guys, uh, do you guys got any comments on the Cahoons in general? Uh, well, we did eventually get some Kund Legionnaires yes. in uh, five years later. Yes. So that was interesting. But otherwise, yeah, you're, you're right. They're, not only are they Klingons in your book, but in the, the in-stock trade suggestion you gave, they're mirrored. They're, they're very exactly mirrored in that Star Trek Legion series. I thought about uh, actually saying that during the in-stock trades thing, but I was like, well, I'll steal my own thunder for later, so I didn't. <laughs> All right, let's get into the individual Cahuns that are, are, are shown here on the next page. You've got three senior class photos, or four technically, and I'm going to fly through these guys. Warlord Galmark, uh, art by K.S. Wilson. He's the current warlord of Cahundia, and he he, fo- he focuses on strategy versus blind aggression. And he was involved in the attack on Nullport, because maybe he wanted a Star Cruiser. I don't know. First appearance, Legion Superheroes, 285, and he has got this giant silvery egg-shaped helmet. And he's got a yellow face, which apparently your skin color is also very inconsistent depending on if you're Cahun. Up next is Warlord Garlack. He is known as the Mad Warlord, and again, art by K.S. Wilson. He is crazy, and he is responsible for both failed Earth attempt invasions, and the Dark Circle used him and left him like a vegetable. And he looks like, honestly, he looks like a silly villain from like a cartoon version of Robin Hood. He's got the he's got the Van Dyke, and he's got a giant smile, and he's got a weird kind of crown. And again, he, he's a pink-skinned version, like, you know, regular skin tone version of a Cahun. First appearance, Adventure Comics 300. And 46. Up next is Ambassador Gadrak, art by K.S. Wilson. And uh, he's a very weird guy. He's got like this funny little patch of hair sticking up. It's almost like a faux hawk, except it only seems to come out of one spot. He is the Cahundian ambassador to the United Planets, and he comes from a very rich family and has like a really cushy job in this ambassador spot. First appearance, Legion of Superiors, 307. Then we have Charlak. Again, K.S. Wilson's the art. He is he gets a full body shot, because he's like this giant beefy guy. He's half cybernetic. He's got this huge collar thing that goes are all silver that goes around him. He's got regular flesh-colored skin as well. But he's bald, and he's got this, as, as I mentioned, the giant silver collar, and he's got giant boots and things like that. I actually read the issue with him, so that must have been either in the Great Darkness Saga, the collect, the, the big version, the big collected one, or the curse I've read him in. Either way, he's very, very violent, very tough cyborg guy, and he has only ever lost once in a challenge court, and uh, that was to the Legion espionage team. And he fought the Legion twice, and after setting a trap on an asteroid for the Legion, he was defeated by the White Witch. First appearance, Legion Superiors 287. 
Final Cahoon member, Field Marshal Lorca by K.S. Wilson. He is apparently one of the finest military minds. He tricked the Legion into attacking so that he could match wits with Brainiac 5. And at the end, he, uh, he lost and he goes boom. And he has this gold sort of helmet on and he's got giant pointed ears and he's got sort of like this giant fin coming off the helmet. First appearance, Superboy number 217. I was just going to say, looking at this page, I see three villains from three other sci-fi franchises. Yeah. <laughs> Warlord Garlack looks like the Anthony Ainley master from Doctor Who. Yes, he does. <laughs> Karlak looks like Dengar from Star Wars. Okay. And Field Marshal Lorca reminds me of Ming the Merciless. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Karlak, I was nailing for that. Oh, God, it was some really bad 80s movie. It was a sci-fi dystopian future where Michael Ironside played the bad guy, and there were cyborgs in the planet. Like, there was almost no water. It was all poisonous, and everyone was cyborg. Oh. I can't remember the name, but yeah, I, it's triggered in the back of your head there, too. It's like an HBO when you yeah. watch it all the time. Either way, and someone's writing in the comments right now. Thank you, Michael Bailey. <laughs> and uh, I just, uh, that's who I, it makes me think of. We are done with the Cahoons, folks. Now we're moving on to Kids Psycho. Art by Ty Templeton, and it is spectacular. This guy has a giant turban on, and it's a very simple costume. It's just a light, pale green. He's got a black belt, black boots, and a, a black neck collar piece. Beautiful line work, and he's got this little floating ball in front of him. I absolutely love it. The reason he wears a turban is because he's got this giant, enlarged head. His power is to create force fields, and the sad part is his powers, as you use them, it's actually shortening his lifespan. And he ended up trying out for the Legion. They they didn't accept him because of that fact, and uh, it turns out he didn't even know that his powers were killing him. In the end, he ended up dying in the Crisis, Crisis on Infinite Earths, and that's why I, that's where I always think of from, is from Crisis. So, first appearance, Adventure, I'm sorry, Superboy number 125. Another great Ty Templeton drawing, really. Yeah, stealing the show, that guy. Oh, yeah. Alright, uh, by the way, I should mention, this is three per page, and you get a full body shot of each character because there's two hotties on here, so they were going to make sure of that. You get Lady Memory of Talok 8, and if you know how Hot Shadow uh, Lass is, they want to make sure Lady Memory is as well. Art by Beauvais, and she, again, from Shadow Lass's planet, she was forming a resistance on Talok 8, and then the Fatal Five attacked, and she met the Persuader, and then together they they rebelled, and they conflicted with the Legion, and they draw her in this very provocative sort of pose. It's She's laying on her own sort of bearskin rug cape, and she's got a uh, you know, very revealing outfit, and she's got a little daggery type thing, and she's showing a lot of blue skin. First appearance, Tales of the Legion of Superheroes, 318. One of my first Legion comics, because, you know, I read Tales in my early reading, and I really like this character. It helped build the myth of Shadow Lass, you know, the fantasy trappings of Talok 8, Mm -hmm. to have this this strange memory cult, uh, the toy with people's memories. You know, a fondly remembered character. I'm a tiny bit conflicted here, because earlier I said that Infinite Man picture was my favorite piece of art in this in this issue mm-hmm. and, and i changed my mind this is my favorite piece of art lady memory lady memory wow absolutely that might even change my preference for shadow last looking at her there's there's something about an evil blue-skinned woman she's hot do you need a moment or... <laughs> <laughs> i might does this have something to do with your love for blue beetle like a rule was it rule 42 or 63 or whatever <laughs> Because Lady Memory had like a greenish tinge to her skin. It's like it was almost, it was going to green. <laughs> Sorry. You need to mix well, that Star Trek fantasy in there, too. It's okay. <laughs> we are pigs, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> 
Speaking of the witch, up next is Lamprey, a basically naked woman. She is Taylor Shot of Earth, and again by Beauvais and K.S. Wilson, and her uncle conducted experiments on her to give her gills to help her breathe underwater. This turned her green and allowed her to absorb ambient energy, as she, which she can release as blast. She tried to join the Legion and ended up joining the Legion Academy. So yes, she's entirely green, essentially naked, except you don't see the bits and parts. And she's got big pointed ears, and her hair is like this enormous, poofy, long, sort of, almost uh, like Starfire, like just goes on forever and ever and ever. First appearance of Legion of Superheroes, 272. Like Nightwind and Crystal Kid, she was a, a fan suggestion oh. uh, in the uh, Amazing World of DC Comics fanzine. All three characters were picked up and put in the Academy, and yeah, that's where she's actually from. That's really cool. So does that mean her name, Taylor Scott, is based on a real person's real on, name? Right, on the, the creator's name, yeah. Very wow. Cool. Very cool. Up next is the Cole Natives. It's a, it's a really nice drawing by Ty Temple. It's a close-up of this guy's face. It looks a little bit like Monel. In the background, there's a sort of a woman who's judging you, going, mm-mm, uh, elderly lady, and then a couple more people in the background. And the drawing is great, but the text is so freaking dry, I fell asleep three times reading it. I'm not kidding. Um, the gist of it is, it is a planet of cultists. They call themselves the Army of Coal. They worship coal. And their primitives and Brainiac 5 and Dawnstar end up on this planet, and they accidentally brought an illness that affected the children there. It's very sad. And and they're being hunted, and they're about to be uh, in a lot of trouble, except Dawnstar starts a little bit of a romance with one of the natives, and that ends up saving them. And the colony appears to be a lost Earth colony, like one of the Earth ships from the 24th century. And I, I can't help but wonder, is, like, is there some subtext there I'm not getting, or a reference, like maybe a Star Trek Next Generation reference? I don't know. I feel like I was missing something when I read that. But the art just is absolutely gorgeous. First appearance, Tales of Legion Superheroes, 321. It's like a selfie. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, that's a very good <laughs> wow. point. Wow. Selfie before selfies. Yeah. Amazing. Up next, the pig parade continues, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, up next is Laurel Kent, who I have mm-hmm. always, always, my heart's gone a bit of pitter-patter for her, because she basically doesn't wear any clothes. She wears a, a sort of very loose, very revealing toga, and it happens to be all red with a Superman shield on it. Yeah, her name's Laurel Kent. That's not a, that's not a mistake. She's got black hair. She is clearly descended from Clark Kent, or at least the, uh, the better half of that family, Lois. And art here, you're not going to believe this, unless I told you, art is by Rob Lightfield. Not Whoa. I know. And if I were to look at this, and someone said it's Rob Lightfield, I'd go, okay, but who's inking him? Nobody. According to this, Rob inked himself, which is just amazing. It, it looks like any other standard, you know, 80s drawing of a very, very sexy woman. So I, I'm impressed. So And and fairly realistically portioned at that. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. <laughs> Dare I say she's hot? Um, the, she is a descendant of Clark Kent, and who is invulnerable and has a weakness to kryptonite. And here's where things go off the rails. Because of post-crisis, because of the Millennium miniseries, she got retconned into being a manhunter. She is a manhunter sleeper agent who has apparently slept for thousands of years, or a thousand years from the Millennium crossover. And she awakes and realizes she's a manhunter. She hacks into the Legion files looking for traces of the new Guardians. <laughs> Sorry, they didn't last a thousand years, folks. Color me shocked. In the end, she ends up self-destructing, and it's very sad. And uh, her first appearance was Superboy, number 217. Boo. And my boo is just about that Millennium retcon. Uh, you, you know, this was a character I who was in my Legion number 304, of course, mm-hmm. where she usually wore just that the skimpy. That was her actual uh, unique power, just the skimpiest. <laughs> bathing suit possible. <laughs> it's just like, is that a bathing suit or is it just like shadows? You never knew. 
but I do love the poncho though. I like the like that red mm-hmm. poncho uh, thing is real nice. You know, she was like one of the few legacy heroes in the 30th century. Where it's like nobody was. It wasn't like the Guardians of the Galaxies. Uh, you know, the original Marvel team of the Guardians of the Galaxy, where they were always interacting with Captain America's Shield or whatever. It was like a legacy thing. Mm-hmm going on some a few hundred years after legion was never really like that except for the superboy and supergirl you know flying over you never got the sense that like batman's descendant was around or it was very rare except for that one story that's called who shot laurel kent and that was a story where she got hit by a kryptonite bullet and then you know they went out looking for the killer who was also trying to bump off the descendants of the justice league hmm. you know who shot laurel kent the freaking dc comics did with by turning her into a manhunter <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah, I know. It's, it's like this character was stuck in the Legion Academy because her only power was invulnerability. And that's a power that's shared by many Legionnaires. And you couldn't get into the Legion with without a unique power, which she didn't have. And she could never really have, you know. So there was something to that character that we lost when they turned her into a robot. And it's a very convoluted explanation for, for making her <laughs> a robot and all that, especially with what had gone before. And uh, the robot was faking getting hurt by the kryptonite bullet uh, whatever well they were they were caught in the post-crisis trap of anything kryptonian so they had to write her off somehow um yeah. they could have just quietly never had her appear again and forgot about it but they they went this route instead so it's all we're all a little less for it all right moving on next is the uh it seems like all the main entries i get are all teams this issue i didn't get like any characters i just have teams oh well all right league of super assassins art by grant meum now this is uh, if i remember right this is Angie's like one of his favorite teams so they are from Dryad, which was a planet that was destroyed, and uh, they are convinced, all these people were convinced by the Dark Man that the Legion was responsible for the destruction of Dryad, and he ends up giving all these people powers. When the truth of it is, the Legion was actually trying to save Dryad, and one of the members was our buddy Block, who ends up joining the Legion, and he's the only one here that does not go on to join the Legion of Supervillains. First appearance here is Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, number 253. Again, Grant Meum does the art here. It's only worth noting, because as we go on, the rest of the entries are done by somebody else. It's a fun shot. You see the whole team here. In the front, you see uh, Titania, who is the quote-unquote hot member. She's a long, red-headed lady with a short micro-skirt and everything. But you get a couple of hot guys there. You get Lazon and Mistmaster. Both, uh, in, uh, Lazon's in his all-orange suit, and he's zipping around because he's super light fast. You got Mistmaster, who's turning into gas in there, and he's got like super cool, flowing 70s hair. And then, of course, you have Block in the background, who we talked a lot about last episode. And you've got Silver Slasher, who lo- who's looking very sort of timber wolfish. And finally, you have your new tracks, who I'm going to talk more about, but he's he's kind of a Professor X floating in the background, like, hmm, or Chief from Doom Patrol. You know, one thing that strikes me here is I, I kind of miss the layout of the old uh, Who's Who issues, the, the the team shot and then the, the floating heads. There's something about that that, that I really kind of liked, and I, I kind of miss that. I, I get that we have, and we've seen it with the other teams in this issue, you know, you go on from here and, and they need an individual shot, but I kind of liked that, that column of floating heads. There's something about it. I agree completely. I mean, that's what got me to buy Justice League was the Crisis on Earth Prime with the little floating heads around the borders there. Uh, yeah. So I like that imagery. However, I, you know, now that I look at the next page, everything are just floating heads. So that may be why they didn't want to do it on the front page is because they're repeating <laughs> it on the next page. Because on the next page, we get five characters listed, and they're all, again, those senior class photos, except for, yep, wait for it, Titania, because what did I say about her on the front page, boys? She's the hot one. Yep. Th- this one is blatant sexism, why she got the full, the full body shot. I think that's... 
uh, me of all people are, is saying I think that's wrong. So you know that you know they're way out of line there. All right, first one uh, again. Senior class photos here. You're gonna blast through these. Lazon by um, art by Jim Reddington and Larry Malstad. His name is Che New of Dryad. He had the ability to turn into living light, sort of like Captain Marvel from the Marvel comics. You know, uh, Monica Rambeau. And uh, one, one of the things I liked about these characters, about the the Legion of Super, uh, what do they call them, Super Assassins, is that clearly by reading these entries, they really tried to give personalities to each member. A lot of these who's who entries are very clinical, like you know the history of the character, but you don't feel like you really know the character. These, they made an effort to really give you something you can cling on to. Like, for example, with Lazon, he's super enthusiastic. He's really, really eager to complete his missions, and he gets really into Even though he's doing villainy, he's really excited for it, and he's apparently not very bright. So uh, it gives you kind of everything you need to know in a little sandwich there. First appearance for all these, by the way, I'm not going to keep repeating it. Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, number 253. Next little head is uh, Mistmaster, whose name is, oh, jeez, Yi Tsu Tazan of Dryad. Uh, still art by Jim Reddington and Larry Malstead. He can turn into any gas, whether it be poison gas, etc. And uh, he's very protective of his teammates. He's always sure not to put a poison gas on them. And his power apparently goes to his head a little bit, and when he turns into gas, he gets a bit giddy. And uh, he went on to join the Legion of Supervillains, because apparently he didn't want to be alone, so he just followed the rest of the Legion of Super Assassins. Kind of sad. Up next is Nutrax, who uh, his name is Wee Khan Murr of Dryad. Again, Jim Reddington, uh, Reddington and Larry Malstead. He is the cold-blooded killer of the group. Uh, he can produce a beam to neutralize others' powers and abilities. So he could zap you with his beam. As long as he's concentrating on you, you would lose your specific power or ability. Very interesting. I would love to see this guy in a fight with Nemesis Kid. That would be very interesting to see how that turned out. And uh, he is sort of like, again, Professor X floating in a chair with the T-1000's face. Then you get the Silver Slasher, whose name is Kai Lan of Dryad, uh, Jim Reddington and Larry Malstead. And she's supposed to be like the ferocious one, the Wolverine or the Timberwolf of the group. She spins at high velocity, and she, this allows her to slash through almost anything. Now, she looks like Platinum from the Metal Men, as if she was drawn as a bad girl. And uh, her armor, interestingly enough, has sort of, because the armor protects her skin, it has desensitized her skin, so she actually can't feel a lot, and has driven her to become sort of an unfeeling person and very, very bitter. I, I like that story plot idea. I think that's really cool. And then finally, we, again, we get the full body shot of Titania. She's in that uh, sort of magenta costume with like a super micro skirt. Jim Reddington and Larry Malstead. And she is super strong. And because of this, she was a little bit jealous of Block, who was on their team, because they kind of had the same power set. But now that he's off the team, that makes her very happy. She's not too bright. And she's really, for the most part, when she's with the Legion of Supervillains, she's really only interested in hanging out with her friends. You know, this this whole team is kind of depressing. Yeah. They, they've, all, they've all been tricked into being supervillains, and then only one of them stops being a villain once they find out that, that it was all a ruse. Yeah, yeah. That, that's actually really sad. And they're kind of described as, it's like a kind of a therapy group they've got going. <laughs> it's really the losers of the the super the Legion of Supervillains later, like a subgroup of <laughs> losery kind of uh, villains. I, I like that they gave each one a little personality, though. Like, I, again, as someone reading The Who's Who, I just feel like I know these characters a little better than the rest of these ones. So it makes me happy. All right, up next is the Legion Espionage Squad. Tim, you want to walk us through this one? Sure. The uh, Legion Espionage Squad. Artist is uh, Richard Howell and K.S. Wilson. So shortly before Chameleon Boy's admission to the Legion, the Legionnaires were called upon to undertake a mission on a non-United Planets world, the details of which have never been revealed. Or at least that's what it says. Uh, <laughs> 
Because the Legionnaires would not be officially recognized as law enforcement agents there, Chameleon Boy headed up a task force consisting of Phantom Girl, Shrinking Violet, and the original Invisible Kid. Together they achieved their goal, and in recognition of their good work, the Legion Espionage Squad became a duly recognized sub-team within the Legion. In more recent years, the Espionage Squad has played an important role in several missions, including the defeat of Universo in the criminal's first attempt at world domination. Chameleon Boy, Phantom Girl, Shrinking Violet, and Invisible Kid 2 remain the core of the team with other Legionnaires drafted from time to time as their abilities are needed. So you would uh, you would get the powers, obviously, of the individual members. What, what it looks like, at least based on this picture, a Phantom Girl looks like a 60s love child. Uh, <laughs> Sh- Shrinking Violet is kind of a 70s punker. Chameleon Boy has those nice 80s shoulder pads, and Invisible Kid is in 90s spandex. <laughs> It's kind of like looking through the decades right there in one shot. Um, <laughs> first appearance was Adventure Comics 360. I always like this idea because from like a role-playing perspective, you always ended up with one character who was like what I would call a utility character where they, they didn't have a power to blast the bad guy, but they always had a power that could help in a situation you know, with, that wasn't necessarily not, uh, non-combat. And this, this team gave this, uh, these folks with all these mishmash of powers a chance to ex- uh, excel and shine with these non-combat powers. So I, I like yeah I like the the espionage squad. It's like a black ops crew, and when they're best used, it's almost like they're doing some Mission Impossible stuff on the side, and you mm. you don't know that it's been happening until they reveal it at the end. So they use them in their reboot as well, quite effectively, and and added the triad, a triple good girl in there as well. Mm, okay, the art's not doing this page any favor though. No, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, up next, the moment everybody has been waiting for, and I mean that. Uh, I posted this page on Facebook. Facebook a, a couple of nights ago before this recording and just people exploded. They love these guys. It is the Legion of Substitute Heroes, the first version of that team. Siskoid, I know you love these guys. Why don't you walk us through it? Well, they were part of my very first Legion experience, right? So Keith Giffen gets to do the team pick. So, of course, it's the inept comedy version of the Substitute Heroes. <laughs> yeah, because my first contact with the team was a, a Giffen plot. You know, this seems like the normal paradigm to me. But, of course, before DC Comics Presents number 59, they, were, they weren't exactly played like that. Underdogs, yes, but not foolish, you know, like they were like in, this, in these stories. So in the 60s and 70s, they stopped invasions. They saved the lives of Legionnaires. They fought the LSV, the Taurus Gang, the Super Assassins. In the 80s, they were among the heroes involved in the Great Darkness Saga. When Legionnaires needed to leave the main team temporarily, they could actually find Haven uh, in the in with the subs. The Starboy and Dream Girl, for example, joined the team for a brief while. So, so their reputation as clowns is really just from two or three comics. It's, it's DC Comics Presents number 59. It's the Legion of Substitutes Heroes special. And I guess their issue of Secret Origins. But otherwise, before before that that point, the subs were actually a legit team. You know, perhaps underpowered, perhaps a bit clumsy, perhaps you know ignored by the, the you know the, the main heroes. But they weren't foolish clowns like in in this at this point. So instead of a group shot, we get an eight panel grid with the main subs in it. 
excluding that girl who was unavailable for comment, <laughs> part of the, which is part of that joke, you know, that she, she's ashamed of the team, which right. she she wasn't originally, of course. So don't get me wrong. I love this version, but uh, I do respect that other readers who came before me, who started reading before me, do think this was a corruption of the idea uh, and because they loved and respected the substitute heroes as this underdog team uh, that sometimes jumped in and did right and somehow prevented. <laughs> Whereas they're very much, you know, comedy characters in in those Giffen stories. Well, it, interestingly, Giffen would redeem himself in the 5YL era uh, when the subs are revealed to have almost all joined the Legion during the gap drafted by Polar Boy and are now pretty competent members of the resistance against the secret Dominion government. They eventually became very competent heroes that liberated, liberated Earth. And that was under Giffen. So, you know, Giffen redressed the, the wrong that he did them. I guess. But then from the reboot on, when we see the subs, they're usually used for comedy. So, you know, that really this is what writers today seem to remember about the subs. So in the next few pages, we get all the subs. But do you have any uh, thoughts on the team in general? Well, I do real quick. I I wonder if the Legion subs by Giffen was a bit of a proto-JLI for him. Like, because the, the DC Comics Presents appearances would have been before he started writing JLI, and mm-hmm. maybe he was kind of getting his groove on trying to do a funny, satirical superhero team that just couldn't get a break. Yeah, well, this was closer, perhaps, to what he eventually did with Ambush Bug. Like, the Legion of Substitute Heroes special is really a, an Ambush Bug comic. Oh, wow. Uh, really. And in tone, it's, it's really, uh, you know, it breaks the fourth wall. Suddenly, there's a memo from the editor saying, how about you move this plot along? And then the, <laughs> suddenly the heroes just pop into the action on the planet. So it, it's got fu- it's full of those kinds of ambush bug jokes. I think uh, Justice League is a little is a little closer to what he did with the DC Comics Presents issue. Mm-hmm. But the Legion of Substitute special really is more of an ambush bug thing. Giffen played around in comedy all through the 80s and eventually, you know, uh, I think Justice League is his greatest hit yeah, as a, far as that goes. Masterpiece, yeah. Yeah. Well, one more thing, and it's actually tied to the Justice League. Before we leave this page, I didn't realize this. Someone else pointed this out to me: is that Keith Giffen was influenced by a lot of different artists over the years. You know, we've all heard about his style in the '90s. I know the influences there, but there was a period in the late '80s where he was actually influenced by his collaborator on Justice League, Kevin McGuire, and he started doing a lot of Kevin McGuire-like stuff with facial expressions. And I didn't notice this. I, didn't, I wasn't aware of this, and I had noticed it. But here, it is clear as day that this page. The eight-panel grid here with the various faces of the uh, uh, Legion of Substitute Heroes. He is totally spiritually coming, you know, uh, channeling, channeling, Kevin, yeah, yeah, channeling Kevin McGuire. Each face has its own expression. Each face tells its own story, you know, and that is clearly a Kevin McGuire style right there. Yep. And you see but, in the, uh, the the bit with the planets as well, the front. It's that in that style. Tim. E- each face has its own expression, but only one looks like Will Ferrell. <laughs> F- Fire lad. T- Totally looks like Will Ferrell. <laughs> On a diet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in the, so let's get to the subs individually. Now, all the original subs first appeared in Adventure Comics number 306, and that would be Polar Boy, who is not covered here because he's got his own entry somewhere else, Chlorophyll Kid, Stone Boy, Fire Lad, and uh, Night Girl all appeared in Adventure 306. And then the other members jumped on later, and I'll, I'll mention those issues at that point. 
So we get all the subs, including the so-called auxiliary members uh, <laughs> that join very much later during the, the clown period. Except for Polar Boy, like I said. And one other. Did you notice? Uh, one other. Uh, There's one missing. I'm flipping back and forth. I'm not coming up with it. I don't think I'm familiar enough with this team. It's Antenna Boy. Oh, well, wait. Didn't I thought he joined. When did, when did he join? He joined at the same time as Porcupine Pete and Infectious Last oh. and Doubleheader. Uh, he joined in the DC Comics Presents number 59. Uh, it was the first time we saw we saw him with the team. For some reason, maybe they didn't have plans to, to spread the team this way. Maybe, you know, I don't know what the plans were, but he got his own entry, right. his own little headshot in the first issue. So uh, that was uh, well, it's too bad because, uh, you know, I like my substitute heroes together. <laughs> but uh, And again, a lot of these art pieces are by Ty Templeton. So, Tim, prepare to change your mind again about the, your favorite art piece. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and the others, when it's not him doing the art, sometimes it leaves me scratching my head. Okay, let's get to it. Chlorophyll Kid is the, the first one on here. So we see him where uh, he's got a costume with a big old tree on it. And it's the same one that we see in the original Who's Who. And he's holding a branch. So he's like he's got his little prop. So he is Ral Benham of Marjoru. And it's just an, agric- an agricultural planet. Very boring. Just farming. And one night he just, you know, sneaks into the the fertilizer vats and he takes a dip in a pool which is a fertilizers and it's uh, experimental fertilizers so of course it gives him powers so you know in other words his powers come from poop is what it is so so he gets the power he's able to make plants grow faster or slower (laughs) or slower right so that's why the legion sort of basically shrugged him off also because he didn't really have any you know much control over his powers and they they just went, you know, what if we go to a plant where there's no plants? Obviously, no one's thinking that he might bring some seeds along, which at least in this version of the the hero, he does have a big belt with uh, seed pouches, so he can actually do that. After the clown period, you know, he became much better. The resistance fighter, chlorophyll kid, was good. He used plants to a great effect. He brought seeds with him and that could do all sorts of things because you're in the future. You've got access to all sorts of strange plants, right? So they finally made something with him, did something with him in the three boot he was known as plant lad so that's uh, and he was one of the wanderers so he wasn't he was taken seriously there yeah well not the same wanderers but you know they they, they sort of poached a name and in the retro boot they brought back the legion of substitute heroes or jeff johns did in the action comic story arc where earth has been sort of uh, turned xenophobic and there's a justice league run by Earthman who just getting rid of aliens and the legion has gone underground anyway Anyway, the Legion of Substitute Heroes is in that, and uh, there they sort of the, lead, the the subs weren't foolish, but they sort of made them kind of quirky and you know kind of still comedy, but darker comedy. So Jeff Johns kind of made Chlorophyll Kid a crazy plant whisperer who thought plants talked to him. Hmm. I, I wasn't too keen on the on the portrayal, but I guess that's where Chlorophyll Kid is now. Uh, I gotta say, I do love how they mentioned how he does uh, garden shows on the side to make money. That makes me happy. That makes me laugh. <laughs> and great job spending like 40 minutes on a little one-third page entry. Good job, sir. Sorry. You know, I thought you wanted me to be thorough. Uh, no, it's fine. Look at Chlorophyll Kid's face. You see it? That's Ryan Daly. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. But, uh... <laughs> That's Ryan's face. Yeah, you're right. Isn't that amazing? It, it totally is. 
So Color Kid, Color Kid was not one of the original members. Ulu Vak of Lupra basically stumbled into a laboratory experiment, was irradiated by multidimensional light rays, and gained the power to change the colors of things. Hmm, I think he's the reason that the subs ultimately became clowns, in my opinion. He like he was the first whose powers were just silly, fun, it was like fun to find useful uses for it. But when they added him to the roster all the way back in Adventure Comics 351, it opened the door for Giffen to add similar useless auxiliary members later. I think this was like the example of why the subs could be stupid or were stupid. So his ultimate fate is kind of sad because he, he was uh, blinded because Jeff Johns is a freaking ghoul uh, and uh, he, re- he was replaced by a rainbow girl. Yeah. Um, and here he also gets, yeah, like uh, Chlorophyll Kid, he gets like jobs on the side in this entry, uh, you know, like working on light shows and such. And one of the permutations that everybody remembers and enjoys was from the Legion of Substitute Special, uh, where uh, he got a sex change virus from from uh, Infectious Lass uh, by mistake and was turned into Color Queen oh for goodness. the length of that issue. <laughs> oh my goodness. It, it's pretty cute. Now, one of the things referenced in here, it does say that he sort of saved the day one time when a cloud of green kryptonite was coming and he changed it to blue uh, so that it wouldn't hurt Superman. And that, like, that really left me scratching my head because like I'm thinking, really, just changing the color actually change the properties of that? Because like I know when I eat blue cornflakes, they still taste like cornflakes. So I, uh, I I don't get that. But light is radiation, and what hurts or doesn't hurt Superman is the radiation coming off the rocks. Judges, judges, ding ding. Yes, they accept the answer. Are you angling for Bob <laughs> Rosakis's answer man job or something? <laughs> well, you know me, I'm the no prize guy. <laughs> then we have double header, uh, who is two people really, David and Frank Retson of Janus. This is a he's just an auxiliary member. He was he appeared to be with the team in DC Comics Presents number uh, 59, but he first appeared as a Legion reject in uh, in Venture Comics 323. Uh, so basically, from the, on this planet, everyone. Is is born as one being and then starts splitting into two. And when there are two people, they die, is, is what it is. Uh, usually they're very much in sync, but uh, in Double Header's case, they are not in sync and they're always arguing and one is kind of happy and the other one's kind of sort of a sad sack. So they tried out for the Legion, but uh, weren't accepted because they had no powers, first of all. There's basically multiplex, but it takes a whole lifetime to work. And um, <laughs> they also had a very crappy attitude. Or, you know, it was like they're always arguing. And so that was it for a double header until suddenly appears in DC Comics Presents as a member of the Substitute Legion. Next! Fire Lad! Roasting a marshmallow here. Thank you, Ty Tuppleton, again for a, a fun entry, a fun art. Well, Fire Lad uh, breathed in some fumes from a meteor and got the power to breathe out flame. But on his planet, it was just like a tiny flame. It was almost nothing uh, because they had like a low oxygen atmosphere. Uh, so sort of like green flame originally. And and then what Fire Lad goes to Earth, finds out he's got this, you know, there's lots more oxygen, so he can, you know, a large breath of fire. Unfortunately, he also has allergies, so it's very difficult to control. And he, would, he wouldn't really have it under control until the five years later era where he worked with a speech therapist to control his breath. He kind of gave him a lisp, uh, and he really buffed up, too, during that period. I mean, he wouldn't have made the legions just because of Sun Boy. He's got the same basic power. On, on the side, he's a glass. Glass blower. He makes he makes glass sculptures. That's nice. <laughs> well, if Green Flame was good enough for the Justice League, uh, 
he should have been good enough for the Legion. And then we have Infectious Lass with her goopy snot cape drawn by Colleen Doran. She first appeared in Superboy number 201 with, uh, at the same time as uh, Pete, Porcupine Pete, which is also right next to her on the page. And this is, this is a, a special issue for me as well because when Superboy died, obviously there was an issue where he gets uh, buried and whenever there's a funeral, but that was a Baxter issue that was not reprinted in the Tales of the Legion. There's just instead they reprinted Superboy number 201. I don't know why they just skipped over that one, but it was the, like the first two appearances of Wildfire where he tries out for the Legion and uh, basically doesn't get in. The two other people who don't get in in that, in that issue are Infectious Lass and Porcupine Pete. Uh, Infectious Lass because she can't control her powers and her powers are uh, to give people diseases. Basically, on her planet of Summatur, she's really called Drura Sept. That's her real name. Uh, on Summatur, everybody's a carrier of all sorts of diseases. And, you know, so she's projecting diseases, but not very well. So she made, she gave uh, Starboy a uh, real bad flu virus. Uh, and they rejected her. So she turns up in the Legion of Substitute Heroes again in DC Comics Presents number 59. At that point, she's a, just a very sweet person. She, there might be a romance with Porcupine Pete. Uh, I loved her in the five years later era. Uh, and then after all of that, she was part of the Dr. 13's crew where she went up against, well, she had like sort of romance with the ghosts of Captain Fear and wound up uh, fighting the architects of the DC universe, including Grant Morrison himself. What? So, what are you talking yeah. about? Have you not read the Dr. 13 uh, story? Is that from no. Multiversity or something? No, no. Uh, it's in, uh, what was it called? Architects and whatever. They, they, they put it out in a uh, collection, but it was in the back of uh, whatever the like uh, spirit of vengeance or whatever the you know, whatever the, those specter series were it's no, really no clue what you're talking about oh my god you've got to read this you've got to read a, the doctor 13 let's call it a graphic novel where he basically assembles a crew of forgotten heroes including captain fear infectious last from all over the all over the time stream uh commandies in there isn't he or, or maybe it's kong uh, the untamed whatever whatever so uh it's like all these really random limbo characters characters and it's kind of a meta textual kind of piece and the end villains are the architects and the architects are just from their look of them are basically the main the big writers who were architects of the DC universe at the time you got Grant Morrison you got Jeff Johns you've got you know those guys who were sort of all writing the the big the, like 52 or whatever yeah you know, find, find this book it's it's really good hmm, and infectious okay. and infectious last is really cool in it sounds great it is Wow. <laughs> now, one of the things about her, I mean, she she is hot in her own weird sort of like hippy dippy seventies outfit. But like part of the attraction, I think, is like how dangerous she is. Like, you know, if I if I you know have a romance with her, what am I going to get? That's a little v- scary. The answer is VD. Well, but, probably. Um, yeah. <laughs> what can I say? That's what it is. But uh, yeah, no, I know. It's just, I mean, it, it's, this is the kind of character that would not work in the Legion necessarily. But in the five years later, as like the right arm of Invisible Kid and uh, her his wife, and she was really like the person who would call him out on his on his uh, bull, and you know she she kept him honest, and I, you know that, that was she had like a great personality at that point, but of course earlier when she, when we saw her in the Substitute Legion, she was much more demure and uh, 
kind of insecure, uh, but she grew into herself, which is what I like. But in the Doctor 13 thing, she's back to the sweet, naive thing, which is still a still a cute portrayal. Okay. Well, yeah, she was great uh, five years later. You're absolutely right. I had forgotten oh, yeah. about her role in that until you mentioned it. Yeah, she was fantastic. And then we got Porcupine Pete by Stefan Stefano, who draws him to look like a leprechaun because he's from Ireland, I guess. <laughs> it's very weird. I, I have one note for this entry. That hat. That hat makes this whole book. Like, that's the best thing in the whole book, is that hat. I love it. I, I can't tell if it's the worst thing or the best thing, but um, it's both. a thing. Yeah, it's, it's both. Again, uh, appeared in Superboy number two, 201, where he sprayed the whole room with quills kind of haphazardly. They were bouncing off Superboy's eyes as he was screaming, reject it. It was one of my favorite things. I loved it. And he and Infectious Lass made the subs again in DC Comics Presents number 59. He was also a resistance fighter. Uh, so his power, Peter Durson of Earth, uh, his power, he was like born with this mutation, quill-like hair, and his power is to sort of, you know, spray it out. Uh, but not usually on cue. It, that was a big problem. It's like, you know, he, by the time he would force him out, uh, the villains would have moved out of the way. Jeez. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> they can't all be good. <laughs> Obviously. This page is actually a very interesting combination because I, so far in, in the several issues that we've covered, I believe this is the only page featuring three different artists. Ty Templeton, Colleen Duran, and, and Stefan DeSofano. Because every other page, usually it's one artist per page, maybe two. But this, you get three distinct different images. And I, I think that's probably just goes to the testament of the love of the subs. How much people love them that so many people want to be involved. Oh yeah. Uh, Moving on to Night Girl and back to Ty Templeton art. Uh, he does Night Girl and Stone Boy actually get like bigger entries, half a page each. Why the love? Well, let's see. Uh, well, <laughs> the love for Night Girl is obvious. Uh, she's not. Yeah, sh she's gorgeous in this picture. The I mean, she's always had like a nice look to her and even in different costumes here. She's very, very pretty. And she was never part of the clownish subs. You know, every time they used the subs as foolish clowns, she was not present. Instead, she was at that time. She was at Cosmic Boy's elbow. Uh, she was his confidant. She was his girlfriend, obviously. But um, she was also part of the uh, Cosmic Boy Cosmic Boy miniseries Tim was talking about earlier. Yep. Uh, admittedly, she had a silly and sexist origin because she begged her father to give her powers so she could go to Earth and meet Cosmic Boy, whom she had a thing for. You know, it's, it's like I want to meet this boy band kid kind of thing. And her powers were just basically uh, super strength. But uh, when she came to Earth, she she found out that her strength only worked in the in the nighttime. Uh, her own planet of uh, Cthulhu, like we saw earlier, uh, only has nights. And so uh, as soon as it's light out, she loses her strength. You know, so she wasn't good enough for the Legion because of that. But she sort of operated as perhaps the most level headed and competent member of the uh, Legion of Substitute Heroes earlier on and eventually gravitated towards the Legion proper and today is considered a member. Like she, she was made a member during that those Jeff John issues. Mm. Um, but in 5YL, we saw quite a lot of her. She was yes. married uh, to uh, to Rock Crin. And I especially liked in those issues, I liked the combo that, you know, they teamed her up with Shadow Lass. And the Shadowlass would just like project darkness around her and just you know keep her powered up. Oh yeah, I mean, that, you know that's a natural combo. That's one of the cool things about her is you know Cosmic Boy has got a girlfriend who's not on the team and yet she's still super powered. So it's not like a, a 
Superman and Lois sort of situation. It, it's more like a Lightning Lad and Saturn Girl, but she, again, her not being on the team, it's, it, there's some dynamic there that's just kind of like charming. And I realize her origin is sexist. However, it's handled in such a way that they, they treat it more as cute, more from an innocent time, I think is really kind of how they do it. In fact, the entry is even written sort of cute, where it says here that, talking about how they're, uh, both her and Cosmic Boy are members of the Legion of Subs, and she's a little bit sexy. It says, when Cosmic Boy resigned active Legion membership, Night Girl was slightly disappointed, since she enjoyed a vicar- vicarious membership through her relationship. But now that the second Legion of Subs has been created, they are both members of the same group for the first time, dot, 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 which she likes very much. Which, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's cute. It's it's endearing. So, And uh, you talked about earlier that the, the Ty Templeton thing. Wow. She is stunningly cute. She is sexy. She is the girl next door, fresh-faced. I mean, wow. This is an absolute home run, out-of-the-park uh, artistic interpretation. And uh, yeah, adorable. Yeah. Yeah, she is right oh, behind yeah. Phantom Girl for for my love. And I have to say, even though she has that origin, ever since like at least from the '80s on, she's always been a hard ass. She's always been like someone who has no patience for tomfoolery, probably from her experience from with the subs. <laughs> uh, but even when uh, in the Cosmic Book miniseries, for example, sh- she's the one that's that you know that doesn't really care about history as much as Cosmic Boy does. And let's just go home already. She's not as flighty as this origin would make her seem she's a lot more grounded as a character i'm glad you mentioned that because that is part of where my passion for her comes from is her personality very real down to earth and and that's what i love about her and she can kick all the ass which is great (laughs) all of it night and day (laughs) and then we have the unfortunately named stone boy uh, Dagwentum of Zwen, who shares the power with everyone on his planet. Basically, uh, these guys have uh, a slowly revolving planet and have nights that are over six Earth months long. So consequently, they uh, turn into a dormant state, which is stone-like, invulnerable stone, uh, to protect them from you know that sunless period and whatever else might happen while they're asleep. So uh, he decides to become a superhero with that power and <laughs> essentially becomes that guy who turns into stone and then doesn't really wake up uh, or can't move. He's not he's not like the thing. Uh, he's just a stone statue is what he turns into. Interestingly, Stone Boy, uh, you know, won a contest. Uh, the the Legion uh, ran a contest for the for the substitute heroes and said, well, whoever wins this contest gets to be a, a full on Legionnaire. And Stone Boy won uh, not by success succeeding in his mission that he was given, but by ignoring his mission to help uh, uh, someone in need. Uh, so they offered him membership, and he refused because he wanted to stay with his friends. So that's nice. But essentially, his power is to turn comatose, is, is what it is. Uh, later in the five years later era, uh, he's a resistance fighter, and he learns to sleepwalk as he becomes like a, you know, he's, he's got a way of actually moving while he's stone. So, uh, you know, they, they sort of amped up everyone's powers that way. Uh, but uh, really, he's probably of the original Legionnaires, uh, substitute Legionnaires. He's probably the most theoretically useless of the characters. And, and I think the only reason he got a half page is simply because they're going to give one to Night Girl. Yeah, but he's also got <laughs> that one little story to him, you know, that the others don't have, which is the winning the contest. Uh, and there's a little more material to him, not much more. I guess so. Uh, I did not know the hibernate for six months thing until I read this entry, which I, is actually a pretty cool way to explain his power. Yeah, you want me to get into the Legion of Subs? 
2. It's yours, brother. Well, Legion of Substitute Heroes 2. I don't have much to say about this one. We've already sort of touched on it. Uh, but when Polar Boy joined the Legion and disbanded the subs, you know, I really wish they'd stayed together regardless, you know, even without Polar Boy. Because instead, anyone can apparently steal their name, including Comet Queen, who I hate. <laughs> uh, but really, the others make sense. It's even, you know, Bouncing Boy and Duo Damsel could have been members of the Substitute Legion in another life. You know, they're the kind of characters that really did wind up in the Substitute Legion based on their powers, though I'm glad they were in the, the, the full-on Legion. And really, this version of the Legion of Subs had one big outing preventing the Dominion from invading Weber's world. We saw them a little bit after that, uh, but not much. It just seems to be like where Cosmic Boy wanted to, to slum with a couple of Academy kids and his girlfriend and, uh, you know, like a couple's dating with Duo Damsel and Bouncing Boy. You know, it doesn't hold a candle to the original Legion of Substitute Heroes. It's just not the same thing. It says here that the art is supposedly on this entry by Greg LaRock and Robert Campanella. I don't know that I buy that. Because if you look at each one of these characters, this looks more like a jam piece to me. Because all the artwork doesn't isn't completely inconsistent. Like, look at Cosmic Boy next to Karate Kid 2. Cos is Greg LaRock. Yes, I the rest, that. The rest, I'm not so sure. Exactly. The Karate Kid 2 entry looks like the exact same artist that did the previous Karate Kid. The, the, the actual entry, I guess I should look it up. It's probably him. Yeah, oh, well, okay, it was Greg LaRock. Oops, maybe this is all a Greg LaRock piece. But it's just, <laughs> they, the characters all look so diversely different artistically. Now, let's talk about Night Girl, folks. Remember Night Girl on the previous page by Ty Templeton? <laughs> All took our heart. This is another one of those cases where it's like, knock, knock, knock. The 90s would like to come in two years early, please. Because she has got the, you know, the, the broke back, crazy arced back position. She's got Pat Benatar crazy hair, you know, and everything looks very amped up and 90s-ish on her. It's, I don't know. It's it's weird. I kind of got the sense that maybe Paul Levitz was a little ticked at how far the Legion of Subs joke went. You know, like it went a little too far when Keith took it. And he's kind of like, you know what? I'm reining this back in. It kind of created a more serious Legion of Subs. That's That was yeah. the impression I get from a distance. I've never read them, so I don't know. Yeah. First appearance, Legion of Superheroes Annual number three. All right. Up next, the Legions just keep on coming, folks. The Legion of Super Rejects. And Tim, why don't you walk us through this one? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the the Legion of Super Rejects, uh, artists Jonathan Peterson and K.S. Wilson. Uh, the Super Rejects were formed by six disgruntled applicants who were rejected for membership into the Legion because they were from the same homeworlds as six Legionnaires, and duplication of powers is a violation of the Constitution. Yes. Uh, Calorie Queen from Bismol, home of Matter Eater Lad, Chameleon Kid from Durla, home of Chameleon Boy, Esperlass from Titan, home of Saturn Girl, Magnolad from Brawl, home of Cosmic Boy, Microlad from Imsk, home of Shrinking Violet, and Phantom Lad from Bigstol, home of Phantom Girl, decided to challenge their Legion counterparts and prove that they were more powerful and deserving of membership. The Legionnaires refused, but the rejects attacked anyway and were stopped by Superboy. To prove a point, though, the Legionnaires then agreed to a rematch the next day, and it became apparent that the rejects may have been more powerful individually, but had less experience and skill uh, in teamwork, traits that are essential for a good Legionnaire. Shamed, three of the rejects returned to their homeworlds, but the others, Esperlas, Magnolad, and Microlad, turned to a life of crime, uh, joining the Legion of Supervillains, another group of sadly misguided, superpowered 
teens. First appearance was Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes 212. Now, for those characters that uh, you just mentioned who joined the Legion of Supervillains, you and I, sir, are going to be talking about them in just a little bit on the backside of this episode. Um, that is correct. Yep. So that is did, correct. Did, did anyone take the time to translate the interlac on the back wall, the interlac graffiti? I considered doing it, but I, I, I never finished. <laughs> I realized I didn't care enough, so I didn't do it. I figured Cisco I did it, or he could read I actually, I figured Cisco could just read it. Well, I, I figured you would be doing it. <laughs> Don't we have a key in one of the issues? Sure. Someone at home do this for us. It's very late at night. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it's... Um... Leave, it to, leave it to someone else, Discord. Come on. Okay, I will, I will. <laughs> All right, so first, we have Calorie Queen, Taryn Loy of Bismol, pushed by her scientist father into becoming a chronic overachiever. Uh, she was constantly trying to outdo any and all competition, both academically and physically. When her father developed a way to reroute Bismolian physiology so as to prop- process caloric energy into super strength, she was his first human subject. She used her newfound power to try for the only honor she hadn't yet achieved, acceptance into the Legion. Uh, but she was rejected. Um, and it may have been because she stole uh, one of Dazzler or Halo's outfits here. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like she's the... It's like she's the missing sister of Dazzler or Halo. I can kind of see that. Well, the art here is by Jim Valentino and K.S. Wilson. And uh, this character is – there's a real following for her. People love her. And uh, I can see why. I mean, she's a beautiful woman and she's interesting. She is. I like that she she does the the thing like Matter Reader led except it converts to super strength. That's actually really cool. You know, it's a neat little twist on it. So very, very popular character. All right. So next up then we have Chameleon Kid, Tug Lintons of Durla. Uh, after illegally leaving Durla to make his fortune on Earth, uh, he was granted limited amnesty for heroic acts by a judge sympathetic to the Durlin's plight. He kept his identity as a Durlin a secret until he fell prey to his own ego and decided that he could better fill Chameleon Boy's role in the Legion. Guess what? He also got rejected, like we just uh, <laughs> said in the group entry. First appearance, uh, Superboy in the Legion of Superheroes 212. There's not much to say about him. He, he's Chameleon boy in a sort of white outfit yeah yeah again jim valentino and ks wilson here now the, the, they make a real big point of pointing out here that he, he was one of the only ones who turned his his powers into something productive financially well and it's fair to say these three that we're going to talk about here that you know we've talked about calorie queen talked about now chameleon kid we're gonna talk about phantom lad and in just a second those are the three that didn't go on to villainy so again nice that he didn't and i kind of think at the back of my mind the real reason he didn't go into villainy and join the legion of supervillains is that this legion of supervillains already had chameleon chief and it would have been a little confusing right uh and then uh, next is Charles Atlas. <laughs> you may recognize him from the uh, comic book ads of Kicking Sand and Poor Skinny Boys Faces. Flex Botello! Um, <laughs> uh, no, it is Phantom Lad, uh, Solon Darga of Bigstall, a listless student and would-be dilettante who preferred to spend his time lounging outdoors. He approached the age of mandatory employment and chose to visit Earth rather than submit himself uh, to the horrors of regular work. <laughs> when his plan to replace Phantom Girl in the Legion didn't work out, he tried his hand at other professions on or near Earth with little success. During his travelers, he met the Countess of Krantor, an aging socialite who desired the company of a young escort and has been traveling with her ever since. Just a gigolo, everywhere he goes. Sounds kind of like Booster Gold. Yeah, I, Booster did do that <laughs> in, in one series, yeah. I mean, this guy's yes. a total himbo, and his costume, it, well, loosely based on 
Phantom Girl is a complete sexual exploitation thing too. <laughs> and I mean, Phantom Girl, now she had the the you know the open boob window kind of thing going on when she had this parallel costume. But other than that, her costume wasn't that sexually exploitative. I don't think his is pure on you know like you said Charles Atlas sexy sexy sex. And uh, yep, r- reminds me a little bit. There there was a special that DC did in either the late nineties or early two thousands. It was called Titans West. And it was sort of a trick. Everyone bought it thinking there was going to be a new team, and they just the whole team got murdered. It was it was just a fake out. But there was a character on there named Power Boy, and he was uh, basically a male version of Power Girl, but he was a himbo. Now, it was the whole point of me. He wore a white, super tight costume, and he looked a lot like this guy. That's what makes me think of him. All right. That is the last entry in the book, folks. However, we have a special treat. You know, throughout the back of many of these issues has been a, a reprint, a complete and utter text, uh, or complete text, not utter, <laughs> uh, complete text of the Legion Constitution. And we just happen to have with us today an expert on the Legion Constitution, a man who has committed to memory, who keeps it written down under his pillow at night so he can sleep on it, who's written numerous articles about it across the Internet. Ladies and gentlemen, Let's please give it up for Siskoid as he tells us about the Legion Constitution. This is going to be some dry stuff, folks. Uh, as you know, I am a Legion constitutional scholar. I've written several constitutions of my own. And, uh, and this, the, the, the Legion constitution, it was one of my favorite things in the whole who's who in the Legion, really. When, when I saw it, you know, start, when they started putting it out, uh, and it's, you know, it covers like five of the seven issues before they get it all out, I was, I, I was overjoyed because I, I know, I, I love this nitty gritty stuff. I, because as a, as a, as a teenager and you're reading the Legion and the Legion is about a, a club, really. It's a club of teenagers, superpower teenagers. And you sort of dream of having superpowers of your own and what kind of team you'd be in. And, uh, you know, and this was really showed like a template for how you yourself could get into the Legion with the powers you imagine you have. And what would you do there and how would it work? And then seeing it actually play out in the comics. Anyways, uh, some of this is very, very bureaucratic. They really try to make it a constitution so there's like bylaws that are not interesting to us but it codifies a number of legion traditions in particular the strict rules for memberships and tryouts which is like a main a very important legion tradition and elections so those are the more interesting ones which i'm, I'm going to cover the, con- the constitution was created from on-panel evidence but as you can imagine with a series that was already 30 years old at that point uh there are some important discrepancies especially with the Silver Age stuff. Still, it, it holds well. When, when you're reading the 80s series, uh, that constitution seems to be what's really in place. Or it, you know, it seems to make sense. Uh, so membership. Rules to keep you out is basically what this is. <laughs> there shall be no more than 25 active members, which is still a whopping big number yeah. of heroes. It's, you know, 25. The Avengers had six at that time, right? <laughs> Right. Of course, today, the Avengers is like the All-Star Squadron or something. Everybody's a, a member. But 25 active members is a lot. And it's part of the reason why people find the Legion so opaque, perhaps. So many characters and in another time, and I don't know who anyone is. And, you know, Tim has been going through this. Uh, but, but 
But um, yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, that was part of the attraction, right, of the Legion. That it was such a like its own world, and there was a lot to know. It, it's like being a Doctor Who fan or a Star Trek fan. There's so much to know, and there's so much trivia that it becomes sort of an insider kind of thing. Anyway, you also have to be on call 24/7 unless you're Superboy or Supergirl, because they're always the exception. There are rules for honorary and reserve membership. So you don't have to be a full member to, to enjoy some of the perks. Honorary members are just sort of, oh, we'd like you to be in the Legion. You can't be in the Legion. You're not in the Legion, but we're, we're just going to give you an honorary membership. So like Pete Ross is an honorary member, for example. A reserve member is someone that's is called up in an emergency will just go over the 25 limit and take every hero in. So that's where you put your kid psychos and your your Ron Vidars or whatever. Or your insect queen. For some reason, Lana was in there for, as a reserve member. Hmm. Which actually breaks the rule because a reserve member has to obey all the other bylaws of membership. And sh- her power was not natural to her. It was, you know, it was like a, a special ring or elixir, depending. You know, it's one of those discrepancies that I talked about. Uh, you have to be no more than 18 when you join. Inexperience required is what it is. And this is something they waived for, for, for Polar Boy. When Polar Boy came in, finally, he right away said, I want you to waive the, the, the age limit because you gave me my shot a long time ago and I, I didn't make it in. And since then, I think I've proven myself, but I, I didn't want to leave my team. So I didn't, you know, I didn't do a go to the tryouts anymore. Uh, and this time I know I'm over 18, but, I'm asking you to break that, you know, break that bylaw. And they did. I guess that's a pretty fluid constitution. Is it, isn't Monel like over a thousand? Well, technically, yeah. Uh, Just saying. You're right. You're right. You're right. But he's physically 16. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah pro- you, you know, they, they bend over backwards for Kryptonians and Daxamites is what it is. That's true. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you, you're, you have to have a genuine superpower. So Iron Man can be in the Legion, for example. Some of the members you might ask, well, is Brainiac Brainiac 5 and his force field belt? Who's he kidding? But super intelligence counts. Yeah. Karate Kid's uh, super karate Kar- is always oh my yeah, gosh. a big point of contention. Is super karate really a power? No. And, well, he, he can use it to beat up Superboy. Whatevs. What Whatevs. What does that say? I like that the DC Heroes game actually gives them, like, iron wills. It's like a the, the it's basically a power, right? To, to sort of uh, not take damage or ignore damage. Mm-hmm. So I like to think that that's his unique power, regardless. <laughs> okay. You have to have full control of those powers, which, which is why most of the substitute legionnaires <laughs> became substitutes. They didn't have full control. You have to be courageous and of good character, which contradicts reams of Silver Age continuity. Uh, where the kids are basically just crappy to each other and hazing each other. and But, of course, in the modern era, they're all courageous and of good character. Well, wait, if Invisible Kid 2 can't control his teleportation, shouldn't he be booted off the team? You're right. Mm-hmm. I see how they but, play this. Yeah, yeah, see? So, what, what, if you're friends, if you like the person, then you make exceptions. <laughs> wow. No, but I to was, be fair. And, and, and yeah. Shag, weren't you paying attention? The, the exceptions are for Daxamites and Kryptonians. Yeah, but Invisible Kid's not either one of those. Right. Right, so so he doesn't he doesn't get to, he doesn't qualify for an exception to the rule. He can't control the power. Oh wait, no, now I just realized what you said. Never you mind. have that yeah. completely backwards. I did. Yeah. Ignore me. Thanks for joining but the conversation. It's but, late. 
<laughs> yes, it is. Imagine for me. But and I have to talk about a constitution. Uh, so, but, but really, <laughs> to be fair, to be fair to Invisible Kid, when he found out he had these uncontrollable powers, he immediately tried to get rid of them, That's true. and he did. That's true. And it, when he, they eventually came back, he did have control over them. So his invisibility is still fine. And of course, you need to have a unique power that no one else has on the team. Again, Superboy and Supergirl are exceptions, and so is Monel. They can have all of the powers, and then Ultra Boy can come in and say, "Well, you know, uh, I, my Ultra Boy's. Do you know what Ultra Boy's unique power is? Yeah, he can uh, have exactly Super Boy's powers one at a time. Well, that's not the uniqueness. Oh, his. Well, I mean, he because he basically duplicates Monel. Right. But but his unique power is that his uh, he doesn't have X-ray vision. He has penetravision, which can see through lead. Unique. Oh my gosh! Wow! <laughs> totally breaking the rules for the for the Kryptonian Daxamite like people as well. So it extends beyond actually being born there. It's people like that as well. See? And you know, Starboy didn't Starboy join when he had Superboy like powers too? Uh, yeah, but electric vision. Oh my! Which gosh. which which sounds to me like li- like Lightning Lad's powers, but. I you know, but he did get drummed out, uh, you know, soon enough. I, I, you know, uh, these are civil rights stories where the rules weren't set quite yet. And I think when they set the rules, they sort of had to find reasons why they kept some legionnaires on, even though they broke the rules that they were now writing, you know. And, uh, uh, and apparently, apparently none of that extended to a uh, lightning lass who had to become light lass. Yeah. So she had to be, uh, you know, powered down just to, to obey those rules. Wildfire didn't make the team originally because he had all the powers of all the others. He had like chemical King's powers and he had Superboy's powers and everybody's powers. His one unique power, though, the whole antimatter energy thing, uh, he could only use once. He like he opened his visor and then the energy shot out and destroyed things. And then he'd be just like an empty suit, and he didn't know if he'd survive that. So he was like the one-shot hero. That's what he was called. So he comes into the tryouts. He shows all these powers, and it's all the powers everybody else has. And they say, "Well, you're you, you're you're more powerful than any of us because you've got all the powers of all of us." Uh, but you know that breaks the rule. Oh, but I have this I have this unique power. Okay, show us. I can't show you because then I'm sort of dead. Oh well, you know. Then if we can't see the power, then it doesn't count. <laughs> Of courageous and of good character. Um, (laughs) What a collection of dicks this team is! Like I, I love this team, and yet you're making me hate them. They're like, they're like that clique in high school that are like so rude to everyone else, and like you don't want to be part of them. They're like the Mean Girls, you know? It's like, I think that really the '60s and even the '70s Legion really was like that. But by the '80s, uh, by the Legions that we know, the ones we know most, they weren't like that anymore. Um, Yeah, there and there's a vote. That's one of the things. The tryouts are whatever the legion decides what they'll be whatever the challenges they decide whether it's hazing or not uh, but there is a vote from all members present so there are politics involved it's not just not just one person that decides and uh, it's not just about the, the bylaws it's about choosing the right candidate i guess you can be sent down to the academy to get to brush up on your skills which i guess would be humiliating if you get married you're out it's like being a woman in starfleet um <laughs> Yeah, so that's what happened to Lightning Lad and Saturn Girl when they got married. They became honorary members or reserve members and had to leave. You can't kill, obviously. If you kill, if if you lose any of these things, if you lose your powers, if uh, whatever, you can be drummed out. But if you kill someone, 
well, then you're out for sure. And, you know, Starboy was at one point framed and got drummed out. And I guess Queen Projectra can't be a legionnaire anymore, except she is. Uh, in the, the current continuity, oh. there's uh, there's Article 4.6, uh, which I doubt they've actually implemented past the Silver Age. I call it the, Z- the Zatanna Clause. If they kick you out or if you resign uh, and don't become an honorary or reserve member, they get to wipe your memories of being in the Legion. <laughs> what? That's in the Constitution. This is the craziest damn thing I've ever heard. Well, so you don't tell any secrets. Right. Uh, that's in there, and it seems like something you, I, you know, if I become Legion leader, I, I promise I will remove that clause. You know, and under Article 5, you also, you can't mo- make money while you're a Legionnaire. And if you're rich, it all goes into a blind trust. No way. Yeah. And the Legion provides, it provides with, well, uh, you know, food and lodging and health services and and whatever, you know, clothing, which may not be a whole lot of clothing, depending on the era. But um, do you Article turn, 5 do you have, says... Do you have to turn over your tax returns if you become a Legion member? I, it's... it's <laughs> It's harder than being president of the United States. Apparently so. So, yeah. Uh, now, the other big part of this, uh, or interesting part, is the elections. Because the Legion has a leader and a deputy leader, and they have to be voted in. And uh, and there, there are lots of Legion stories that are about this. It's really a Legion tradition that you don't see in a lot of books uh, uh, other than the Legion, where they, ha- they hold these elections. And sometimes the readers actually are the ones voting for who gets to be leader. Uh, so that, that's, And they've done this a number of times so that's fun but in the obviously the, the constitution doesn't mention the readers you know so and it's also the elections are how you track the years that go by because there's an election there's supposed to be an election every year uh, although it's possible some legionnaires uh, don't complete their terms so you have to vote for a leader and you have to vote for a deputy lead- leader what the electoral process is isn't the same every time because the the constitution doesn't specify how you elect a leader. So we've seen random draws and you know that little spinning ball thing that just shoots a ball out and whoever gets hit gets to be leader. Uh, you know we've seen them cast ballots. So what the lead, what the constitution says is that you have to vote on a method of choosing a leader, but it does not specify that you have to vote for a leader. So you might decide well this time around we'd like. Uh, the leader to be selected from whoever wins this race, you know, that kind of thing. They could do that because there's not an, there's no election. There's a vote on how we're going to select a leader. Right. Which to me is really weird. But, but oh, this is also a world where candidates to Earth's presidency are, you know, selected by a computer based on your biographical data, which is it's actually true. So that's how Colossal Boy, Colossal Boy's mom became president. She was chosen by computer. So, and then there's this, and then in the Constitution, this is my last thing, really, almost, is that there's the <laughs> there's a massive loophole in it, which says that the original founders, Lightning Lad, Saturn Girl, and Cosmic Boy, so long as they stay at least honorary members, uh, which they're always likely to be, are in perpetuity the Committee on Constitutional Matters. Okay, and they're who you appeal to. If a legion leader steps out of bounds or goes crazy, now, so any if any of them are leader and misbehave, you're screwed. Right. And this has happened. They're just like this one classic Silver Age story where Saturn Girl goes ballistic. Right. And it's all part of some sort of ploy. Of course, it's a, it's a Silver Age. So it's like a big con on the readers and on the rest of the legionnaires. But you've got a, a founding member being leader and being insane and basically spending all the legion's money on pictures 
pictures of herself and that kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, it's there's nothing you can do if those members are in perpetuity in charge of basically this. And the Constitution actually names some legionnaires in those kinds of perpetual positions, which is a big no-no if you're writing a constitution. It, it becomes a tyranny. So like Wildfire, for example, even though he was screwed by the whole tryout process originally, mm-hmm. is named specifically as the head of the Committee on Membership. Hmm. So he's, he's always the chairman of the, the the selection committee, no matter what. What if he's not on the so team? Then, then there's a process by which they can choose someone else. Oh. But if he is on the team, he's automatically chair. So I wonder what kind of deal he struck to get that. Right. Uh, so just like the Committee on Security is automatically the members of the Espionage Squad. That doesn't make sense. Uh, but it does specifically mention Chameleon Boy, Phantom Girl. It mentioned it, it like names them in the Constitution. So it it doesn't have like that that you know it's, we wrote a Constitution. And it's about well, you know let's let's write the Fire and Water Constitution, Shag, and let's <laughs> let's name you in perpetuity in you know in control of something. Uh, I would like to have the ability to disband uh, the the network at any point so that we could have Fire and Water Detroit. (laughs) Shouldn't that be Rob's uh, special ability? Probably, yeah. That's actually absolutely true. And your ability would your your thing in the Constitution would be no, you can't disband it, Rob. And then Rob would say, "Well, are you going to devote twenty four seven to the network?" And you go, "Oh no." Professor Stein doesn't want me to. Right, I know. So. He has a job. <laughs> so, but the, those are like the, the highlights, like the weird spots and the highlights of the Constitution. But a lot of it is just very much, you know, bureaucratic stuff, uh, you know, side committees and how to make an ad hoc committee and uh, stuff you'd find in, in any association, any organization's uh, bylaws. So I'm not going to go through all of that. But I do find it fun and interesting that it's there. I, you know, I it's just like when we uh, talked about the on another show we talked about the atlas of the dc universe and it it talked about their sports teams in the dc universe you know that that kind of stuff that's just like little details that just make that universe more real yeah and that's why i like the constitution well it's also a great, great example of just the ridiculous bureaucracy that that they get mired in and stuff so it's i wonder who wrote it you know i mean it, it doesn't seem like something that you know the the typical comic writer would have done it would almost seem like they take a a real constitution from an association or something uh or bylaws and, and adapt it. I think it's possibly like that that Justice League charter that we covered on DC mm-hmm. on the Hero Points, uh, where it first appeared in some fanzine or other, uh, and then was adapted for this because uh, it, it would be that kind of that that kind of fan made material, perhaps. Or uh, I don't know. I, I don't know the origin of it, unfortunately. Man, the amount of research people had to do to look back and go and see the weird, quirky exceptions that were made, and go, okay, we need to make a rule about this. And, oh, just mind blowing. Now I. Honestly, I tried to read the Constitution. I read a couple lines of it, and I was out. Just done. So thank you for, for doing that. Uh, for anyone still listening, uh, we sincerely appreciate Siskoid's efforts and uh, to quell to quell that beast and to uh, really get it down to a granular level of pieces that were the most interesting. Thank you very much. No problem. Well, Siskoid, I think this is where you uh, take your leave, at least for this episode. Uh, why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find you on the interwebs? 
Sure. Well, you still write regularly at Cisco's blog of geekery and obviously at the Legion of Super Bloggers, uh, where we all do some work. And I'm also a member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. So you'll find me on such shows as The First Strike Invasion, Ohad Mu or Not, The Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast, uh, and Give Me That Star Trek, as well as, you know, the things we do together like this and Hero Points. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you, Cisco. We appreciate it. And we are going to have you back next episode as well. But for now, we say goodbye and Tim, I need you to hang around, sir. Will do. Because you, me, and Dr. Ange are going to tackle issue number four right after this podcast promo break. member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, Melbourne. The end of the world is approaching. Soon the planet will be engulfed in a nuclear Armageddon. And the only people that can prevent this from happening are considered to be the greatest villains of all time. The only thing standing in their way is the Justice League. In 2005... Uh, wait a second. Are, are we sure about that date this time? Yeah, it's 2005. We're sure this time. Let's just be perfectly clear. I hate all of you so much. Okay, good. Got that. All right. In 2005, DC Comics began publishing a 12-issue bi-monthly comic called Justice. Written by Jim Kruger with art by Alex Ross and Doug Braithwaite, this series was essentially a Super Friends for adults. And now another group of Super Friends has come together to discuss all 12 issues in a podcasting crossover called J.L. May 2017. The excitement begins on the April 30th episode of the Fire and Water podcast and continues into Supermates, the Idle Head of Diabolu podcast, Views from the Long Box, the Pulp to Pixel podcast, the Lantern cast, the Shazam cast, Comic Reflections, the Silver and Gold podcast, the Power of Fishnets, Waiting for Doom, and Justice's First Dawn, J.L. May. 2017. Last year, they covered the beginning of the Justice League. This year, they discuss and review the League's toughest battle. The coverage begins on April 30th on the Fire and Water Podcast, located at fireandwaterpodcast.com.
from break, folks. Now, Tim Wallace is still with me, but now that we have jettisoned Ciscoid, we're now joined by Dr. Ange. Welcome back, Dr. Ange. Thanks for being here. Hey, thank you so much. I asked Zymer to teleport me to the right place, and here I am. <laughs> Well, you seem to have done a good enough job last time. The uh, the listeners, we got a tremendous amount of feedback, as we talked about in the first half of the show. And surprisingly, they were okay with you being here again. So I figured I'd let you in. Well, I'm very excited for this issue. It has two of my absolute favorite characters. I know how much you love Magpie, so I'm, I'm excited about that, too. Now, before we get going, one of the things we did talk about on the last time Ange was here was we did Zoom Yukonori's, uh, you know, addition to the Who's Who in the Legion, and we dealt with what character was it, Ange? Anti-Lad. That's right, the butthead. And we, it may have even been you, I don't remember exactly, someone put the Sutherlands on the hook and said that they should ask Mike Grell what he remembers about this character. Well, folks, the answer is, go on over to Warlord World's podcast, episode number 13, where Darren and Ruth Sutherland talk about that. They actually did ask Mike Grell about it, and they give the answers on that episode. So that's Warlord World's episode number 13. Go check that out so that you can hear all about Anti-Lad the Butthead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, folks, we are here to discuss Who's Who in the Legion of Superheroes, number four of seven, $1.25, five quarters, five shiny quarters. And uh, now Canada, it's $1.75. Poor Siskoid, he had to pay more. Now, this thing was released, or has the cover date of August 1988. Release date was April 26, 1988. And thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that information. Now, the cover art is by Ty Templeton. I'm just going to give a quick description of it. This is an unusual one. I mean, we've really broken away from the Steve Lytle stuff from before, and even cover from issue number three. It's, it's a little bit different from that one. It has, uh, <laughs> on the side facing you, on the stands, it has this green alien, and he has one of those, you know, what do you call sandwich boards that says, Hollow Maps to the Legionnaire's Homes. Just three credits, and it tells you, you know, visit Tangy Bismol, see why everybody loves Daxum, meet a Durlin. Just three credits, and you see maps falling out for Kolu and Brawl and things like that. And so it's, it's a funny, sort of goofy one. It's got a sort of Batman 66 angle like at 45 degrees and in the background you see the legion headquarters you see block walking by you see dawnstar flying which she was on the cover number three as well thinking somebody's got a thing for her it'd just be me anyway and then you see a red cape on the backside, which could be superboy or supergirl given this is post-crisis i'm thinking superboy gentlemen what do you think of this let's start with you Ange. you know i don't know if i was a legion fan if i didn't see the title that this would grab my eye it's kind of understated i actually think the cape is sensor girls because of the yellow inside oh Ooh, good catch. Very good wow. catch. Look at the sharp eyes on Ant. And really, who, who doesn't have a thing for Dawnstar? <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. That's probably true. Uh, what do you think, Tim? I actually thought this was this was really fun. It reminded me of something I'd see at Tomorrowland in Disney World. Mm. And actually, the guy selling maps, my, my immediate thought was, does he know Sunny Eclipse? Which is a Disney reference that no one else oh, is going to get. Oh. Um, <laughs> well, the, the people in the audience will. I think Ange and I were left, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Sunny Eclipse is an animatronic lounge singer in the Tomorrowland restaurant in Disney World. Oh. <laughs> Okay. And this, okay. Nice. This guy would go perfectly with that same setup. I would. Okay. I would definitely buy a hollow map from him. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing works better than a reference you have to explain. Man, that's awesome. I'll be here all night. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, I agree. I think it is a fun cover. In fact, it feels like it's something you would see on a Justice League International cover. Yes. Because, you know, it's 1988. JLI is rolling. Not that I'm pimping for the JLI. Okay, maybe I am. But either way, it's still got that fun sort of feeling to it. You know, like you said, it's it's whimsical, and I enjoy it. It, it does make me happy. Going back to Angie's point, I'm not sure I would pick it up. It's, it's not going to be my first issue of this ever, probably. You know, you're going to have to, like, oh, that's the new one. Yeah. Anyway, all right, let's get into this, folks. So once you open the cover, you get a text piece from Mark Wade, who is your editor, and then you get into the front story, just like the previous ones. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. It's like 11, 12, 13-page story on the home worlds of the Legion of Superhero members. Now, this is important to me because the way I learned the Legion was from reading Who's Who entries. And I don't mean this Who's Who. I mean the original Who's Who. I would read about the, the Legion characters. I would write down who they were, like their superhero name, their real name, a little bit about their powers, and what planet they were from. And this was this was like my Rosetta Stone to understanding the five-year-later run. Because I everyone went by, you know, Rock and, and Reap, and no one went by the superhero name. So I was trying to figure it out. But because I had the planets there, that always stuck with me. So as I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, I know who was from this planet. I know all this stuff innately. So those of you at home who don't know the Phantom Girls from beginning you need to get on the stick and learn this stuff, folks. All right, so real quickly running through this. Art by Paris Collins, Martin Wing, and Robert Campanella. You get Begitzel, which is just a fun to say, which is where Phantom Girl is from. You get Bismol, which is where Matter Eater Lad is from. We're going to be talking about that later. You get Brawl, which is where Cosmic Boy and Magnetic Kid 2 is from. You get Karg, which is where Triplicate Girl is from. Kalu for Brainiac 5. Daxum for Monel. Dryad for Block. Durla for the Chameleon Boy. Earth, well, that's where I keep all my stuff. How do you say this next one? Hycrasius? Hycraxius? Oof, I'm not sure. That's Telus. You got Imsk for Shrinking Violet, Naltor for Dream Girl and White Witch, Orando, which is for Princess Projecta, or if you add an L, it's where that funny alien is Tim is probably <laughs> telling us about. Flan, which is where Chemical King is from, Rimbor for Ultra Boy, Starhaven for Dawn Star, Talek 8 for Shadow Laughs. Teal for Quizlet. Thar? Is that how you say that? Mm-hmm. My handwriting's a little sloppy here. Sorry, guys. I'm going yeah. by my handwritten notes. Okay. Yeah, Thar for Polar Boy. Titan for Saturn Girl. Trom for Element Lad. Winath for the Lightning Lad and Lass and Lord and all the Lightning people. Xanther for Starboy. Xerox, apparently, for Sorcerer's World, which is White Witch also. And Zoom for Timberwolf or Microsoft's failed audio-playing MP3 device. <laughs> so, before I give my comments, gentlemen, what do you think of these entries? Why don't we start with you, Tim? Um, I thought Rimbor was where Little Russell Burbage was from. <laughs> That's the one I always <laughs> would default to. Whenever I was saying, like, uh, and we got a comment from Little Russell Burbage, I would always default to Rimbor. So, yes, that is, in fact, where he's from. That jumped out at me. And Starhaven just recently got a shout-out on Supergirl. Did it really? Yes, but the female character from Starhaven looks absolutely nothing like Dawnstar. She have wings? No, she's got a weird, crinkly forehead and giant, like, white eyeballs. Oh, wow. Yeah. In, in full disclosure, I haven't caught any of the Supergirls since the new year started. Life's just been too crazy around mm-hmm. the irredeemable household. So I'm far behind. Don't hate me, Andrew. I'm sorry. So, okay, so Starhaven, very interesting. Yeah. What else you got? Were, were these all new to you, or, like, did you know who these, like, when you saw Planet, you go, oh, Kalu, that's Brainiac 5, or was it like, oh, I didn't know that? No, there was a few, there was a few that jumped out. Starhaven jumped out because of the Supergirl reference, Rimbor because of Russell. <laughs> And, you know, it's hard to pass up any planet where uh, Shadow last came from. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That is true. All right. What about you, Ange? Well, having been a a lifelong reader of the Legion, I kind of recognized all of these names and sort of knew who came from all of them. But what I found interesting, like all of these things, is you learn a little bit more about some of these planets than than I knew before. Just a couple of things that stuck out to me as I was reading this. For Karg, that's where Triplicate Girl comes from, it actually says the death of a singular self usually means the sympathetic death 
death of the triad. So the fact that she survived when one of herselves got killed uh, makes her kind of special. To build on that, I was stunned by that too. I don't. We covered Do a Damsel in the last episode. Yeah. I don't remember that being in there. No, that wasn't in there. So that's why it kind of stuck out for me. Hmm. And then Imsk, that's Shrinking Violet's planet. It says the world itself may actually shrink, but that is unsubstantiated speculation, which I find strange in the 30th century with, I'm sure, technology that they wouldn't be able to tell whether or not the planet shrank uh, and grew. <laughs> um, that's uh, a fair so that, point. So that kind of stuck out to me a little bit. And then uh, one last thing, Rimbor, I thought this was fascinating. It, it says, it seems to be seething with crime, but the actual statistics of reported or observed acts of crime do not exceed those of other worlds. And so the point there is that there are lies, damn lies, and statistics, right? So uh, <laughs> even, even though they say there's not a lot of crime, I've seen Rimbor. It's a crime world. Yes, apparently we only ever go to the seedy parts, that's for sure. <laughs> well, for me, I, I knew almost every single one of the planets and all of the and the people that were from there, because if they appeared in the five-year-later run, I recognized it. So the only ones to me where I was like, huh? Who's that? Were like Telus's home planet and Quizlet's home planet. You know, those ones kind of jumped out at me because of not knowing, because again, they're not really in the featured in the five-year-later stuff. I gotta say... I I hate to be critical, but there is some weak sauce art in this, but not... All of it. Like, I don't know. Let's just let's look at Starhaven for a second or something, all right? Or, or Talak 8. They're both on the same page. So on it's, it's page 9. So on Starhaven, you know, the, the image of Dawnstar and, you know, the, the topography and everything looks fine. Nothing really wrong with that. But then you get the little inset pictures. That's where the weak stuff comes out is these inset pictures. It's like it's just some buildings. And it's even worse on Talak 8 where it's a planet and you see uh, Shadowlast. But then what beneath that, some guys holding a machine. I don't know. Yeah. It's <laughs> The inset pictures get really weird. Some of them are so vague, I don't even know what I'm looking at. They didn't wow me as much. Oh my gosh, I just got the cover. The guy selling the maps to people's homes? This is everyone's home world. Oh. <laughs> oh I was going to say, Tim's the one who's sitting over there going, you guys didn't get that? <laughs> oh, well. He chimed in too late. Sorry, buddy. Uh, yeah, he's selling maps to the people's homes, and it's the home worlds. Durr, we should have all got that one. Okay, embarrassment. We'll live with that. What else? The other thing, the stuff that really stuck out of me actually jumps forward to the text piece. Now, uh, Mark Wade wrote that text piece in the front, and it talks about those planets. And in there, there was surprising, surprising stuff to me, because as I've mentioned before, I learned most Legion history from a textbook perspective. Again, reading those who's who entries. Rather than reading about the the, the issue where Shadowlast joins the Legion, I have read the history in text form. So the way I understand these planets, I think of things a little differently than the way they really happen. So when he said things like, let's see, Orando was the most visited of the homeworlds. I was like, really? I mean, I knew there was that stuff where they dealt with Nemesis Kid and all that, but I didn't realize that was the most visited. And he said, we've only ever re- gotten a glimpse of Brawl and Begitzel. And to me, Brawl and Begitzel are like really established planets, and I like lots of stuff should have happened there. But apparently up to this point, they never saw those planets very much. So it's sort of like my perception of Legion versus apparently what was really in the comics is a little weird. It was nice to read Mark Waite's article because it kind of put some of that perspective for me. Yeah, I, I agree because, you know, I, I tend to think of Cosmic War being such a central part that you would think there would have been more adventures on this planet, but now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know if I've ever read a story that took place there outside of some quick flashbacks of his origin or Magnetic Kids. Huh. Right. Well, and then and then five years later dealt with a lot of that with Venado Bay yeah. 
yeah. and them versus the Imskins and stuff like that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap up the planets. Let's move on. Now, essentially, the format of this issue number four is pretty much the same as issue three. But I will tell you, there are less of what I call the senior class photos this time around. That's where you get the like two inch by two inch panel and it's just a close up of their face and that's it. And that's all the information you get. There's still some in here, but not nearly as much as we got in issue one, two and three. So that's nice to see those starting to go away. And for the first half of this comic, the vast majority of it is all Legion of Super Villains entries. So just be know that going in, the alphabetical order is going to get kind of weird because we're going to go through a huge chunk of the alphabet, get all the way to Z, and then we're going to start back on, I think, like L or M or something like that. And it's like, what? Who's, who alphabetized this thing? But it's all because they're Legion of Super Villains. All right, first entry. It's one of our main entries, and by that we mean it takes up the full page, and it's more like a traditional who's who entry. And this one is the Legion of Super Villains. Dun, dun. Art by Ty Templeton. Now, real quick information on this. Legion of Supervillains were formed by Tarek the Mute as a bad guy version of the Legion Academy. And later it was reformed by Nemesis Kid, the Sun Emperor, and Lightning Lord. And this image is it's just a bunch of characters. It doesn't give you any names. It includes tons of the Legion foes, would-be dictators, and as they call them, Legion rejects. And these characters will be individually named as we go further along. Real quick, I just want to say the art by Ty Templeton, I really like it. I especially like his inking. I really like the way he, like, if you look at the outline of Community Chief, I mean, I just really like the line work there, or Esper. They all just look really, really nice. They, he has a, Ty Templeton has a way of using very few lines to convey what he wants, and it looks solid. I like it a lot. First appearance, Adventure Comics, number 372. Gentlemen, what do you think of this one? Let's start with you, Ange. Um, like you, I really like the art. It's, as you say, it's almost economic sounds like faint praise, but so much is conveyed with sort of simple lines, and it has sort of a fun feel to it. I think that's always part mm-hmm. of what I think about when I think of Templeton. You know, there are some members of the League of Super Assassins, so we're not going to cover them here, but they were part of that big group in the Baxter run, so there are more people in this picture than we will necessarily cover here, but I think it's great. A bunch of villains running at me. Perfect. Tim? I agree. It looks really fun. I think I, think I mentioned last episode an hour ago, two hours ago, <laughs> during a, feels like a lifetime during issue three. One of the things that hit me going through this was trying to shake off my expectations from the original who's who. So I'm used to seeing mm. a team shot like this with, with the headshots down the column. Right. It almost is interesting that I can still pick out a lot of people based on the fact that a lot of the Legion villains have, have a mirrored costume of the Legion heroes. So it, it kind of helps in that respect, but I, I, I kind of miss that, uh, those headshots. I love those. And, you know, to me, they always stand out because uh, whenever I think of that, I, I immediately go to like the George Perez covers from Justice League of America when they did the Earth on, Crisis on Earth Prime. Right. You get all the heads on the side there. So cool. And so then whenever I see the heads in Who's Who, it always makes me think of that. I love that sort of stuff. But you're right. It is sort of missing here. But it's funny that there are so, you're, you're at, you hit on that there. There's so many villains that have parallels. You know, I mentioned Chameleon Chief as opposed to Chameleon Boy. And the next character we cover is one of those too. In fact, why don't we jump next to the, to that character? Cause I think we want to talk about that for a minute. So we're going to jump on to Cosmic King, not to be confused with Chess King, which is David A. Gutierrez's favorite place to shop when he was in high school. But anyway. <laughs> It's, it's another main entry, so full page for Cosmic King, art by Kyle Baker, which is really unique. I'll come back to the art in just a second, but the, his real name is LeVar Bolto, almost sounds like 
LeVar Burton, but LeVar Balta of Venus. And the artwork here, it draws him, it shows him very, very beefy, but he was an alchemist on Venus. And he was trying to solve the housing crisis they were involved in. So he, he dabbled in some forbidden experiments to transmute objects. And he wanted to create housing within the planet's structure. So Bolto, stum- Bolto is his name, stumbled into his own ray. And when he awoke, he discovered he had gained transmutation power. Sort of like a element lab. And again, this is a Legion of Super, Supervillain entry. That's why we've got C for Cosmic King in the middle of the L's. Interestingly enough, then they mention, and this is where it gets a little wonky, is that there is a second Cosmic King, which was an, apparently an adult version of this Cosmic King, or may not be an adult version of this Cosmic King. They're a little fuzzy on that, because Cosmic King, Lightning Lord, and Saturn Queen all were together as adult Legion of Supervillains at one point, and that's, I, that's what I want to delve into in a moment. So real quick on the art, though, uh, it looks very much like Cosmic Boy's original costume, but they've got some purple in there, a lot more black in there, and then Kyle Baker's got his own unique Kyle Baker-ishness, which looks a, to me a little bit like Frank Miller during uh, his Dark Knight Returns phase. What do you think about this one, Tim? I actually liked it. It was one of the ones that really jumped out because of the art. Hmm. And like you said about the, the Kyle Baker, the, the line work is really simple on the body, but a lot more detail on the face, which in my head shouldn't work, but it actually kind of does. Hmm. All right. Ange, what do you think of the artwork? Yeah, I really like it. I've always been a fan of Baker, and I think that this really screams his style. Like, as you say, there's, there aren't many lines in, in the body, but he's this, like, hulking, brooding figure. It looks like he's stomping towards you with his head almost in the foreground, almost like he's walking like Yosemite Sam or, like, a little leaned forward. Uh, <laughs> but um, but he definitely looks menacing, which I think is important for him. And I think it's interesting, the way they draw him here as bulking, and then you look at him in a Legion of Supervillains entry, and he's very slim. Now, I... I love Kyle Baker. I respect him as a great artist. During about the same time, he drew one of my favorite images of the Joker of all time that I think I wore on a watch for many years, and Baker does a great job. I hate this image. I just hate it, guys. I think it's ugly as sin. I like the shadowing on his face. I think if I could just take the face off, I'd be happy. This one would have been one of those good senior pictures, I guess. I I can't stand this. I think it looks terrible. But this one will probably make it onto our website, which, by the way, I think we mentioned it before, but it's firewaterpodcast.com. Go up to Who's Who. Look for Who's Who in the Legion, uh, part two, and you will see, uh, for issue four, you'll see one of these. Hopefully this image will make it there if I remember to do this, but not my favorite. All right, well, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. So we've got the, the the Cosmic King, we've got the Saturn Queen, we've got the Lightning Lord. Those are all like villain, uh, what do you call them, analogs maybe? Yeah. Of the original founding members of the Legion. And, and I guess they come from an alternate timeline because you would think Cosmic King would have what kind of powers? Yeah, magnetic, magnetic powers, right? Exactly. This guy has transmutation. What the funk? You know, very different. And I don't know if that was intentional, and I am curious if, because the way they talk about it, it almost sounds like maybe two different timelines, maybe these Cosmic Kings are actually different guys. I wonder if the one that was with Saturn Queen and Lightning Lord, if he actually had magnetic powers. It'd be an interesting question. One of our Legion experts to tell us that. But anyway, we're going to see a few more of these. So why don't we keep going? I'm sorry, uh, Shaq. Can I make one more comment about him? No, absolutely not. No, sir. You've overstepped your boundaries. In the last issue that I did, Element Lad was there, and his powers are very similar to Element Lad's. They even say it in his powers. But Mm -hmm. in the Element Lad entry, they made this strong point about saying, like, it's very difficult for him to make a simple element into a more complex element. It all depends upon electron shifting, and he might have to take a nap afterwards. There's no (laughs) – right? They literally say, like, he'll have to rest and eat after he does that. In Cosmic King's, no mention of that at all. So it's hard for me to know if he's more powerful than Element Lad or less powerful than Element Lad, but um, he doesn't get the same degree of discussion that element lad did which i found interesting that is interesting and it, the power is such a game breaker you can do anything and we talked about that with element lad last time too just how powerful that is so well, hopefully the guy has to take a nap otherwise uh he's just gonna <laughs> beat the crap out of the <laughs> 
I didn't mention, by the way, first appearance was Legion of Superheroes Baxter Edition, uh, volume issue number two. All right, up next. Now we're onto one of those where you get three entries a page. It's three vertical sections. First one up is Chameleon Chief, art by, wait for it, hold on to your hat, Rob Liefeld and Al Gordon. And by the way, all three of these images, you can see the people's feet. This is crazy. It's like <laughs> parallel worlds here, folks. Anyway, his name is Jal Tanuz, and his homeworld's unknown. He looks a lot like Chameleon Boy, but it says here he insists that he is not a Durlin, even though he looks like a Durlin, changes shape like a Durlin, walks and talks like a Durlin, and you, you can figure out the rest from there. But the big difference is not only can he change his own shape, but he can change the shape of other objects that he touches. Hmm, interesting. First appearance, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, number 208. There's a big mistake in this entry, by the way. He is, in fact, they let Rob Liefeld draw it? Uh, that could be it. But he is not supposed to have antennae. I mean, so his really? his big thing is that he's like, I am not a Durlin. Do you see antenna on my head? I am not a Durlin. Don't call me that. So the fact that those are on this is like a big gaff. <laughs> wow. Now, I wonder if maybe you know maybe his first appearance didn't have that. Which, by the way, I misspoke. It's not Superboy in the Legion 208. It's just Superboy 208. But I wonder if maybe a subsequent appearance he had that. Because he can change his shape. So there's no reason to say he couldn't give himself antennas. Uh, I suppose. If you, if you just Google search him, you'll see plenty of pages from all sorts of things with none. Oh, you know what? If you even just flip back a page to the Legion of Supervillains art by Ty Templeton, no antenna. Yeah. Ah, way to go, Rob. <laughs> I'm used to saying that for expression anyway, folks. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right, up next, Esperlast, art still by Rob Liefeld, now Gordon, and she is Meta Olmore of Titan. She was a very, very promising psychic. Uh, she grew up on the same planet as Saturn Girl, and so she was apparently the most promising psychic since Saturn Girl. In fact, she came and challenged Saturn Girl for her spot in the Legion. She was very hot-headed and tempered and very arrogant. She was rejected by the Legion, not surprisingly, and then went off to form the Legion of Super Rejects, which we just talked about a few minutes ago. Then she joined the Legion of Supervillains, to get revenge, and she was a very eager member of the Legion of Supervillains, and she was very happy to use her psychic abilities against her foes and against her own Legion of Supervillain teammates. What a class act, this lady. Wow. First appearance, Superboy in the Legion of Superheroes, 212. The way she's dressed is she's basically just wearing almost a, you can't even call that a halter top. She's just got some cloth covering her boobs, folks, <laughs> and it's connected to sort of a Egyptian kind of big necklace, and then she's got just a loincloth hanging off her hips, and she's got, like, metal bracers on her legs, and she's got funky, you know, little lights coming off her head and hands, which always represents psychic powers. I will say that when Steve Lettle drew her, to coin your phrase, she was pretty hot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the other thing that I'll say is that I thought for sure uh, she was uh, in my top three candidates for being Sensor Girl. Oh, huh. really? Uh, yeah, but I was grasping at straws. <laughs> <laughs> So you thought that maybe as a – like, did you think she had turned a corner and became a good guy? Yeah. Or did you think she was infiltrated the Legion and was uh, trying to fool them all? No, remember, Sensor Girl was like – Saturn Girl went up to them and was like, hey, you can trust me. She's going to be okay. You need to enter her. And at that point, Saturn Girl had retired. So I thought it was yeah. like, oh, I bet Saturn Girl is putting in somebody who is going to be her replacement. So I thought it might be Esperlas. Oh. Right? She's using logic. Yeah, she wanted to be a Legionnaire at the beginning. And, True. Right? So well, – It sounds like she turned pretty Pretty rotten, pretty quick there. Yeah, <laughs> I was wrong. I mean, so. 
<laughs> the first of many times, I'm sure, right? <laughs> All right. Up next is one of my least favorite <laughs> looks. God. This, we covered this guy in the regular Who's Who as well, and I just went to town on this guy's look. But his name is Hunter. And again, Rob Liefeld, now Gordon. And, th- and folks, this is not Rob Liefeld's fault, this artwork here. His name is Adam Orion of Simbali, which I like the Orion aspect because he's a hunter. Anyway, he, he, forget it. He's essentially the son of Craven, folks. Son of Craven the Hunter from Marvel. That, um, that is exactly what I was thinking. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I even started doing some Google searching going, where, was it the same creator? But it's absolutely not the same creator. Oh, interesting. Oh, that's good to do the searching. Okay. His father hunted the Legion. Now he hunts the Legion. He's got these ridiculously high <laughs> red ponytails. I mean, I get that it's a thousand years in the future and fashion's different, but I don't see ponytails ever working on a guy. Or, are, <laughs> no, that's not ponytails. What it, pigtails? What do you call it? You've got daughters. Uh, Ange, help me out here. Yeah, I think I'd call them pigtails. Like, he's got like a little pippy stocking thing going on there. Yeah, except instead of in braids, it's poofy yeah. and just flapping around. <laughs> oh, it looks redunculous. And he's got an eye patch, and he's got the whole leopard print thing going like Craven. So, first appearance, Superboy, number 199. All right, up next is our next main entry, and we're going to throw this one over to our good buddy, Mr. Tim Wallace. Take us through Lightning Lord. Yay! Yes, this is Lightning Lord. Secret identity is Mecht Rands of Wineth. Interesting enough, and this did jump out at me, art by Mike Mignola. Woohoo! Big, big fan of Mike Mignola, and the first time I looked at this, I didn't see it, but the more I look at it, I can, I can see it. I see, uh, I see Cosmic Odyssey era Mike Mignola. Oh, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I see that. So, he was born something of an oddity on Wineth, where twins are the norm, but he was an only child, until his twin siblings, Ayla, and Garth came along. Uh, he tried to break their bond unsuccessfully and only became more jealous of them as he grew older. When an accident granted the siblings power, he decided to use his to punish his tormentors. He later joined the Legion of Supervillains, determined to save his sister from their brother Garth and the Legion of Superheroes' corrupting influence. Much like Ange would like to do with her. <laughs> <laughs> Corrupt her? What? Uh, all of the above, actually. But anyway, please, um, I interrupted you. I apologize. It's okay. So he's tried to kill his brother several times, but is always defeated, including once when Garth's lightning bolt turned his hair white. After escaping the labyrinth with the help of the Luck Lords, he failed again, and his mind was snapped in the process, so he was returned to the labyrinth to undergo psychotherapy. Uh, his powers... Uh, the lightning beasts of Corbal gave Mech the ability to project bioelectric blasts of enormous destructive power that resemble lightning bolts. Uh, while his brother and sister have worked to refine theirs, his is still more powerful but uncontrolled. He is a vicious but untrained hand-to-hand combatant, uh, relying more on his bolts when he's in battle. So he's so he's got this. Uh, it, uh, it looks very similar to the Lightning Lad costume, but instead of the uh, familiar blue, white, and yellow, uh, we're now in Christmas season here. <laughs> <laughs> Red, green, and white. You know, I wonder because he's got the uh, adult Legion counterpart as well, or adult anti-Legion counterpart as well. Yes, I wonder to- if. Which appeared first? I wonder if the adult Legion bad guy version or the the brother version. I mean, I know they're the same character, but I wonder how he first appeared. Which, by the way, was in uh, Superboy 147. Correct. 
Now, Ange, he was in a supporting character in The Five Year Later, wasn't he? Yeah, he actually sort of uh, became a good guy. You know, he rehabilitated himself, was living on Winneth, actually was revealed that he was gay and that there was uh, some feeling that maybe all of his rage and frustration was in sort of denying who he was and actually was very reluctant to use his powers in that run. We only saw him do it once fighting Roxas. Huh, interesting. Hmm. Okay. I remember him being a good dude. That's what I remember out of the five year later. Like, I remember liking him and sort of being like, yay, family yeah. kind of thing. So hearing the terrible things he did, I mean, God, he, like, reading this, his plan, like you said, it was to kill Lightning Lad, is because he wanted Lightning Last to be, quote unquote, his twin sister. I mean, that's just creepy, man. Oh, I, yeah, I kept it, thinking weird uh, Cain and Abel stuff here. Mm. No, I was thinking kind of like weird, like some sort of incestuous sort of thing. Like, he is very weirdly obsessed with Ayla. And in the Baxter run, when uh, he kidnaps her, he's like, I'll have Esperlas put mind blocks in your mind so that you'll listen to me and do everything that I say. And it's just kind of weird. Ooh. Well, you know, drawing a parallel there, he's got a green costume with lightning bolts on it. He's got white hair. So if you look at the original Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, uh, a little similarities huh. going on there then, uh, huh? with brother-sister sort of stuff. Yeah. Creepy. All right. Moving on. Next page, two entries. We've got Magno Lad. Yeah, that's right. I said it right. Magno Lad by Jim Mooney. Not not that you can, I don't know. When I look at it, I see Bill um, Willingham. But anyway, he is Court Grez of Brawl. And he's from the same planet as Cosmic Boy. He was a Magno Ball champ. So, by the way, if he's from Brawl, that means he's got the magnetic powers. So he's a Magno, Magno Ball champ. And uh, he's very, very... Like, athlete sort of victory focused he's all about winning so he retired undefeated from magno ball and he was very intent on joining the legion because you know he's a victory guy he, he thinks all everything's going to go his way so he tries to join the legion but is ultimately rejected he's horribly embarrassed and did not want to go home and face the media uh, much like our president and instead he followed esper lad to legion of supervillains now as i read this entry i don't have a lot of familiar with the character but it sounds like he's a bit of a reluctant member of the legion of supervillains like maybe he got in over his head but ultimately he decides he's going to go ahead and do his best to help his bad guy friend and uh, to me, as I read through this, I get a real sense that he's kind of a uh, sweep-the-leg kind of guy. That's what I get. So, uh, First appearance, Superboy in the Legion of Superheroes, 212. He's wearing a magenta-colored top, like a tight bodysuit and, you know, long sleeves. Then he's got a crazy little belt. It's just a weird loin. they got a lot, a lot of loincloths in the Legion of Supervillains. Uh, bare legs and some more purple sort of Captain America-like boots, and he's got uh, blonde hair. What do you guys think of this one? Uh, I think well, it makes sense that he uh, followed Esper last there, because it looks like maybe they met uh, shopping at the same loincloth store. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is again one of these sort of legion of super rejects person, and that that <laughs> issue two twelve includes also Microlad coming up and Calorie Queen. And in that issue, he basically says that he's the gold medal champion in Magno Ball and basically is just better than Rock. Um, and right. so is really embarrassed when he loses um, a battle when they basically switch um, their natural opponents. Mm. So and the sad part is Calorie Queen and Micro Lad are so much more memorable than him, though. Yeah. So Calorie Queen is like one of my favorite characters of all time. Right. So. People love her. <laughs> and Micro Lad actually has a pretty cool subplot that happens. Well, not cool, but horrible subplot that's more memorable later. Yeah. Now, Jim Mooney, if I'm remembering right, he's a Supergirl artist. Right? Oh, yeah. He drew the bulk of her um, Silver Age action run, basically like from her second appearance all the way through, basically. Uh, Kurt Schaffenberger took over later on, so he's really the Supergirl artist of the Silver Age. Very good. Now, do you see a lot of that here in this art? I really don't. I think mostly because it's 
small? Yeah, could be. Again, this is one of those things, like, the longer you look at it, the more you say, like, oh, maybe that facial expression is like Dick Malburn. Um, okay. Dick Malburn. Don't get the reference. I'm guessing that's a Supergirl thing. Oh, yeah, Supergirl boyfriend from the 60s. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, like, you're only you're getting that one, in. Sorry, bro. Okay. <laughs> Up next is Micro Lad, again by Jim Mooney. He is Lalo Muldroon of Imsk, so he's from the same planet as Shrinking Violet. He's fiercely patriotic of his home planet of Imsk, wanted to tell everyone how poorly the United uh, Planets was treating Imsk, or at least that's how he felt they were. And so he came to the Legion to spread the word. He, it's kind of interesting, he fully expected Shrinking Violet to just give him her spot on the Legion. Like he would just, she would go, oh, you're here now? Here, have my, have my job. And obviously they rejected him. So he joined the Legion of Super Rejects and later ended up joining uh, some Imsk terrorists. And these terrorists kidnapped Shrinking Violet and replaced her with a Durlin who impersonated Shrinking Violet. And then, of course, that's the story where Colossal Boy ends up marrying a Durlin and uh, eventually got caught, which is apparently a real reoccurring theme for this guy, and finally joined the Legion of Super Villains. First appearance, Superboy in the Legion, number 212, as we've talked about. And he's got a green jumpsuit with some uh, lighter green patches and red, looks like red sort of Lex Luthor hair from Earth 2. <laughs> you know, he became somebody that Shrinking Violet kicked the crap out of every subsequent time that she saw him after that uh, kidnapping. Woo-hoo. Multiple times we just see her uh, smash him. And I don't know if you guys were reading the book back then, but it came as a complete surprise when it turned out that, like, for the prior year that Shrinking Violet had been replaced. But then, of course, when you look back, there were clues throughout that Paul Levitt's kind of snuck in that you're like, oh my god, how did I not see that? Right. Well, how she suddenly, you know, turned and she, she, she had rejected him for years, Colossal Boy for years and then suddenly she had an interest in him, like, out of the blue. Yeah. So, yeah, things like that. And we talked a little bit about that in the last episode, too. And I just want to remind everyone the story with Colossal Boy and I can't, Yena? I can't remember her real name. Eula? Yara. Yeah. Anyway, Yara, thank you. Uh, Colossal Boy and, and the Durlin was long before Johnny Storm and Alicia Masters, the Skrull. Just saying. Legion was first. <laughs> All right. Up next, we got a full-page entry with our buddy Nemesis Kid. Ange, why don't you take it from here? All right. Nemesis Kid is a heart druiter from Myar. This is art done by the classic Legion team of Keith Giffen and Larry Malstad. He was admitted to the Legion of Superheroes with the uh, class of Feral Lad, Princess Projector, and Karate Kid in the time when the UP was at war with the Kuns. He, uh, on his home planet, using some alchemy, gave himself these powers where he would be able to deflect any attack that was coming at him, and he was elected into the Legion, but it turns out the whole time he was a spy for the Kuns and was trying to sabotage things. He was uh, ultimately uncovered after trying to frame Karate Kid multiple times, and at the end when the Legion tried to capture him, he tried to use his powers to block a number of the other Legionnaires' powers, and that seemed to overload him, and he sort of dissipated, was assumed dead. But then later on, it turned out that he just escaped using his powers in that way, formed the Legion of Superhero, uh, Supervillains, excuse me, um, with the plan to kill Legionnaires, uh, ultimately took over Orando and sent it to another dimension, got into a fight with Karate Kid and killed Karate Kid, and then then he himself was executed by Queen Projectra. His powers are the ability to adapt whatever power he needs to defeat his opponents, and if he is faced with more than one, he either sort of teleports and escapes or becomes powerless, depending on his level of concentration. And his look is basically, he looks like Chemical King, except he's wearing yellow pants. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah, I can see that. And his first appearance was in Adventure 346. He is really one of my favorite characters, so I I sort of asked that I do this. (laughs) Says a lot about you. (laughs) His reveal as being the head of the Legion of Supervillains in that Baxter run was brilliant, because at one point, 
point, you know, he's in shadows for like the first three issues. And you're like, who is running this thing? And you see um, the villain turn a Legion flight ring to signal the Legionnaires to come because they're going to ambush them. And so you think, oh, my God, this is a Legionnaire who has betrayed the Legion. But of course, he has a flight ring because he was a Legionnaire way back at the beginning before he took off. So it was a very good reveal. I also thought it was interesting that in that Baxter run, you know, you would think that if you have the power to negate anybody's powers that attacks you, that if Karate Kid was going to attack you, you would like turn into iron or something like that. But hit the power that kicked in was better karate. And he basically, <laughs> yeah, <what? laughs> he, so I, I was like, that's a fascinating way that that power would work. I think that he would become invulnerable or have like hand beams or something, but he just out karate him. And then, of course, when he faces Projector, his powers makes her illusions disappear, but she just uses an old-fashioned chop to break his neck. So you can't out-nemesis that. <laughs> well, he, he got the power of wax on, wax off. <laughs> yeah. <God. laughs> So yeah, a friend of mine, and I use the term loosely, sent me the panel where she, where Projector's standing over the dead body of Nemesis <laughs> Kid, and he's basically, and she's saying, you know, I executed him as my right as ruler, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's brutal. That would probably fall on somebody who celebrates this character, and it's one of their favorites. Just saying, Doctor Ange. <laughs> yeah, you know, worry me a little uh, bit. It was interesting because, of course, they were like, you know what, Projector, you just broke the rules. We're going to kick you out of the Legion, and she goes, no, this was my royal right to do this, and I don't care. She ultimately quits the. Legion anyways. Well, right, yeah. So I have a question. I thought I had, I had read, and maybe I have this wrong, you said he killed Ki uh, Karate Kid. I thought I read that they fought and he nearly killed Karate Kid, and then Karate Kid sacrificed himself to save everybody. I think That's what I kind of, Yeah, it's kind of semantics. I think this is what I would say. Okay. Like, when you see how beaten Karate Kid is, if he just mm -hmm. sat there, I think he would have died from injuries. So in my mind, okay. he did lethal damage to him, but he had not died when he was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fly into this force field thing and blow it up to allow the Legion to fly in and save everybody. So he wasn't dead necessarily, but I think uh, when you read that page, Karate Kid is like, I am going to die, so I may as well sacrifice myself before my, you know, systems uh, crash. Sounds like a role-playing game move. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody have a resurrection spell. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, moving on. Next page is three entries, again, these vertical panels. Again, moving away from the senior class pictures, we got full body shots of everyone. First one is all, <laughs> all Ver, which always makes me think of Cousin Oliver. Anyway, All Ver of Daxum, art by Ty Templeton. I shouldn't laugh, because this one's pretty horrific. Anyway, Oliver has kind of like Superboy-like powers, because he's a Daxum. And during the Great Darkness Saga, Darkseid sent Oliver to attack Tacron Galtos, and he wrecked havoc and nearly killed Chameleon Boy. I like the quote they have in here. They described him as an invasion force of one. That's kind of scary. I mean, but you think Daxamite, that's what you're dealing with. And anyway, he was stopped by Validus, of all people. Later on, he joined the Legion of Supervillains, and again, he was used by Darkseid against Saturn Girl and Lightning Lad. First appearance, Legion of Superheroes, number 294. Very plain sort of outfit. I mean, just looks like almost like a, a futuristic jumpsuit. Uh, it's purple and and, uh, more of a magenta sort of two-tone, and he's got, of course, the Daxamite black hair, because apparently everyone on Daxam has black hair. Everyone looks like Superman there. There's no, are there any blonde <laughs> Daxamites, really? Laurel Gand? Oh, there's one. Good call. But she's not even really, she's not a real one. You and I both know full well that she's just Supergirl in disguise. <laughs> so what'd you guys think of this one? So, in that fight, he basically is like barreling through bodies on Tacron Galtos. He's flying towards Chameleon Boy, who is powerless, and Chameleon Boy kind of does like a judo flip, and flips him into Validus's Intertron Tower, where then Validus just, you know, stomps on him. Oh, so uh, so that's kind of interesting. And then you, you didn't mention how he dies. 
This mm. was in the end of the curse when the Darkseid's plan was Lightning Lad would kill Validus, but Saturn Girl sort of saw through it all. And mm-hmm. basically, Old Vader throws a tantrum and is like literally lying on the ground, like banging his hands and feet like a toddler. And Darkseid just points at him and he turns to dust and blows away. Wow. Yeah, That's yeah. why you don't want to work for Darkseid. I'm telling you. <laughs> Oof. Now, I, I've read the Darkness Saga, Great Darkness Saga. Was, was his scene in there attacking Tacron Galthos, was that actually in Great Darkness Saga, or was that more like a retcon they tell you later it happened during the Great Darkness Saga? No, no, no. It was there. It was there because Chameleon Boy, I forget exactly why he was imprisoned, but. Oh, that's right. He was. He was imprisoned. Yeah. There, and he had like the little things on his antenna so he couldn't change shape. And so he's like, I'm, right. I'm a powerless guy and this Dak somebody is flying at me, the only thing I can do is try to redirect it. And so he literally does like a judo flip that puts him through the one-way door that they can like slide food into Validus. But once you're inside, you can't get out, and he just gets stopped. Put him in the gorilla cage. Okay. <laughs> I do remember uh, Chameleon Boy being in prison, so that that comes back to me. Okay. All right. And the Ty Templeton art is nice. It's simple, but I mean, it's just a guy flying, but of course it's Ty Templeton, and I, I love his inking. I really do. All right, up next is one everyone loves to say this guy's name. It is Radiation Roy. I can't say it. <laughs> Radiation Roy by Ty Templeton. This is Roy Travick of Earth. He is a, he was another failed Legion tryout guy. Ended up joining the Legion supervillains instead. His Russian ancestors, apparently because of his Russian ancestors, going down the lineage, uh, his body produces an excessive amount of energy is hard radiation and he must release it first appearance adventure comics number 320 first thing i thought it was chernobyl but i'm pretty sure adventure comics 320 chernobyl hadn't happened yet <laughs> so his costume is green and magenta at least in here it is he's got an interlax symbol on his chest and he's got these weird sort of fuzzy sleeves or shoulder pads what do you guys think about that i thought he was the love child of vulture and lex luthor Oh, <laughs> good call. I am t- good call. I am totally seeing that because he's bald. Yeah. Wow. Nice. He has the interlac R on his chest in case we forget who he is. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when Jeff Johns brought uh, back the Legion in that uh, Superman and the Legion of Superheroes run in action, he's actually yeah. horribly mutated from the radiation that's in him. And he's basically in like a containment suit. And all he wants to do is kiss Spider-Girl, who is his girlfriend. And she's like, oh, you disgust me. Oh, now, was he working with Earthman in that one? Yeah, he was. I kind of remember that. Now, who, really, who wouldn't want to kiss Spider Girl? Spider Girl, let's be honest here. But, oh, okay. I, I think I need to reread that. By the way, all right, I, I should say this too. Ange, last time on the show, he he gave a, a an Insect Trades recommendation where you recommended Supergirl and the Legion of Superheroes. Like, the next day, I was in a store and saw those on sale, so I bought all of them. So, uh, they better not suck. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, you'll be, you'll be surprised. It's good stuff. Barry Kitson and uh, Mark Wade. Well, I mean, that right there is good stuff. Stuff, so. All right. Up next, Ron Carr of Neptune, again by Ty Templeton. Now, the thing about him is he has a limited shape-changing ability, and uh, what it equates to is basically he's Flat Man from the Great Lakes Avengers, as near as I can tell, or if you prefer, Flat Stanley. He basically can turn two-dimensional and turn flat. He was rejected by the Legion, obviously, joined the Legion of Supervillains, and he's not really a hardened criminal. As you read this, he's basically just looking for a place to belong, and he tends to hide during fights, they say. First appearance, Adventure Comics number 314. The only thing I'll say is he joins the Rebellion in the five-year-later run, so he's actually working with the substitute uh-huh. heroes and becomes a good guy. Okay, okay. Well, he's got, a, a, by the way, a real light baby blue outfit with a strange sort of black section on his uh, torso, I guess, and then green trunks it's just a weird outfit and white pants or white glove uh what do you call it boots none of it really matches but he's got looks like norman osborne hair i think (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> it's an okay entry. We should really get to the next one, though, because it's a hot lady. So up next is Saturn Queen. And this is from, again, Legion of Supervillains. Keith Giffen and Larry Malstead. She claims to be from Titan, but apparently we're not quite sure if she actually is. She's part of these whole evil counterparts that we talked about with Cosmic King and Lightning Lord and uh, also Dynamo Boy, they mentioned here as well. And she has very similar powers to Saturn Girl, but is weaker, and she also has super hypnosis. Now, Cosmic King and Lightning Lord sort of made a distinction saying that there was almost two different versions of those characters. They don't do that with this one. It's almost like this is the same one that, you know, the the adult Legion villains that they met. Now, she's dressed very provocatively. She's got on black pants with, like, black, I assume they're leather boots because they gave it a real high shine as well. And then she's got just sort of almost like the top half of a robe, and the the cleavage is all the way down to her belly button. And God bless her, she's beautiful. Um, She's got red hair, and I have a real weakness for redheads. My wife's a redhead. So she's very sexy. I uh, dare I say she's almost hot. It's it's interesting that they make a point of saying she's weaker than Saturn Girl, because usually these entries, they talk about people being more powerful. Like we talked about Cosmic King and stuff like that. And first appearance is Adventure Comics number 331. My only comment here was yes. literally I typed out a, a note for myself. Wow, she is 1980s hot. <laughs> <laughs> That is true. That's very true. Good point. Very, I like very that. true. <laughs> now, in all fairness, you know, I because I'm a sexist jerk, you know, I say things like this. I should point out that almost every dude that we've seen so far in this comic is totally ripped and super hot. I mean, like, Lightning Lord himself has sort of got, the, like, the barrel-chested thing. But then Chameleon Chief has got the, you know, sort of late 80s, 90s, super hot, skinny guy thing going. Cosmic King's the weird one. So it is fair to say the guys are also drawn equally hot. All right. Up next. Oh, geez. See, I can't win here for hotness because the next one, three per page here, folks. It's Spider Girl who makes my heart go pitter patter. I, I kid you not. Art by Colleen Duran. So you know it's absolutely beautiful. She has got long, long, long red hair, much like Medusa from the Inhumans. She is wearing a very tight green, basically bathing suit with some webs along the top. Her name is Susapaka of Earth. She tried out for the Legion, but she didn't really expect to get in because all she's really got is long hair that she's got complete control over. Again, sort of like Medusa. She's not really hero material. She ended up joining the Legion of Supervillains Academy. Now, to be specific, apparently in the early days, the Legion of Supervillains was more of an academy where people went to train to be villains. It wasn't like the supervillain bad guy, you know, team out to kill the Legion as much. So she joined the Legion of Supervillain Academy, where she felt like she got acceptance, she got camaraderie, she got training. She was very happy with this. You know, she was pleased with that situation. And uh, then in, in five years later, she became very active, and she that's where I first came across her was in the five year later era. And she was a great supporting character in there. I liked she was kind of almost like a Catwoman. You know, I don't know if you agree with that, Ange, but that's how I felt she was. It was like Catwoman in that series, where she was you know, kind of helping the good guys, but doing bad stuff at the same time. First appearance of Venture Comics number 323. Do you know, does she predate Medusa, or does Medusa come first? I got to assume Medusa comes first. If I open a browser right now, it's going to crush my Skype. So I'm All not right, going to do don't that. do that. But <laughs> I suspect I suspect Medusa came first because she was really early in the Fantastic Four. Hmm. You know, yeah. And Adventure Comics, their first appearance was what two forty seven, isn't that right for the Legion? Yeah. So this is a good number of years. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, interesting. Something for somebody to Google on their phone, perhaps. While I'm talking, <laughs> Medusa. Medusa first appeared in 1965. So probably not this early, or probably earlier than this. Yeah. Your next job is to look up when Adventure. Comics 323 came out, Tim. Get on that. I'm, I'm on it now. <laughs> 
Yeah, Medusa, Medusa was Fantastic Four 36, 1965. I agree with what you said about her in Five Years Later. She basically was like a cat thief and uh, was sort of slinking around and then eventually fell into being on the team and right. ended up becoming a, a pretty good teammate. She had a big thing for Ultra Boy in that, if you remember, and he kept rebuffing her because he was like, no, I'll only love Tinya ever. Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember, like, attractive kind of like, wow, sexiness was a part of her character. I remember that much, yeah. Huh. Adventure Comics 323 was August of 64. Oh. Spider-Girl was first. Oh. Boy, that's Look at that. Mind-blowing. <laughs> Stan Lee was reading the Legion. <laughs> I knew it all along. <laughs> Excelsior this, buddy. Okay, long live the Legion. All right, up next is the Sun Emperor. I love this. You know, Sun Boy, Sun Emperor, very cool. Again, art by Colleen Durance. Again, so it is gorgeous. He has got the whole Fabio hair going on. Since we're following the uh, the the Fantastic Four theme, he's sort of like Human Torch. You know, he's on fire. He's got the flaming body and the flames around him. But again, the Fabio hair, and then he's got kind of an interesting bodysuit where it's basically just two pieces, but he's got little flame drawing lines on there. I don't know how else to describe that, but Nigel Douglas of Earth. Now, he started off, even as a young boy, as a dangerous kid. He tried to kill a dog, but it turned out it wasn't a dog, that it was an alien. So he had committed murder. As far as I'm concerned, either way, ew, creepy kid. <laughs> and he fell in love with a biochemist who used a secret and highly illegal lab to give him powers. And he was able to absorb ambient solar energy and release it in intense flames. However, one of the side effects was it also gave him megalomania. So he became the Sun Emperor. And in this, one of his megalomania bits, he actually ended up frying his lover. Real class act. Joined the Legion of Supervillains, became one of the leaders. And first appearance, Superboy, number 208. In the Baxter run, when they're on Orando, uh, he has a scene where he, there's like a serving wench who walks up and he just kisses her and fries her. And then like drops oh the skeleton to the ground. It's like really wow. this memorable. Like, he always seems like he's nuts. That scene just is like, it's just crazy. D- does he pull a Mel Brooks and look at the camera and go, it's good to be the king. <laughs> That would have been punch. <laughs> oh, wow. Now, I, I'm assuming by his name he was sort of a, a super boy, uh, sun boy analog and probably fought him most of the time. Yeah. No. All right, up next is Tarek the Mute, again by Colleen Duran. I, this is one of the more interesting ones to me. He is Benno Tarek of Earth. He got caught in a crossfire of the science police shootout, and Tarek's larynx, like, you know, your voice box, was actually destroyed. He recovered, and they paired him with a telepathic android, and this android would speak for him and serve as his bodyguard. He became very resentful of all law enforcement and ended up forming the Legion of Supervillain Academy. So he formed the original Legion of Supervillain Academy. He uh, seemed to be the legionnaire he battled the most. Was a colossal boy and even kidnapped his family at one point, which we'll talk a little more about in a bit. And a first appearance number Adventure Comics number three hundred and seventy-two. You, you know, for somebody that's supposed to have been the founder of the original uh, Legion of Supervillains, I would have expected his entry to be bigger. I, w- I would have coming mm. coming into this coming into this. I I wasn't familiar with the character. But having read the other entries where it's everybody's signing up for this team based on Tarek the Mute, when you get to his actual entry, I was kind of like, huh, I thought there'd be more to it. Yeah, interesting. Good point. Yeah, good point. I love the I love the idea of pairing him with a telepathic android. That's such a you, like especially for an older story. It's like a really unique sort of idea that this android does all the talking for him. It's his bodyguard. That's pretty cool. That's a neat creative science sci-fi kind of concept. All right, moving on to the next page. Another section of three uh, three vertical panels, and we get full body shots of everyone here. First one is Tear of Tyraz, which translates to War World, so Tear of War World. And folks, here you go. Here is your single and only Legion of Superheroes related 
character that made it into Kenner's superpowers action figure line. Look at him in all his glory. <laughs> Mohawk, robotic arm, the whole thing. Drink it in, folks. Art by Rick Stasi and Robert Campanella. He was a warlord on that planet, as I mentioned, and he has a giant gun arm, which is yellow, and has, you know, huge, huge, ridiculously large arm. And the arm is actually sentient. That's how cool it is. And uh, he battled the Legion on his own. He battled the Legion as part of the Legion of Supervillains. There's actually, surprisingly, considering he was probably one of the more known Legion characters because he had an action figure, there's very little information on him. First, uh, At least listed here. First appearance, Superboy, number 197. He gets a little solo run later on in the Baxter series where he has, like, a Warworld-type planet that uh-huh. Element Lad, Shrinking Violet, Ultra Boy, oh, and somebody else has to stop. Remember early in the Baxter run, they discover a controller making a Sun Eater and they destroy it. Mm. Uh, later on, the controller shows up and says, I was building a Sun Eater to destroy that war world. You destroyed my Sun Eater, now you go do it. <laughs> so he, he actually has like one storyline where he really is the solo person. Okay. Mm. Now, if you hadn't had the action figure, do you think they would have done that? I don't know. Probably not. Because it, it, yeah. it was sort of like around this time that I think that story was published. So probably around the time that that run is up. What, what an ideal character to look at from the Legion and go, okay, who, who out of this group of, you know, 10,000 characters characters can we use to make an action figure of, oh, the guy with the gun arm and the mohawk, welcome to 1985. You know, it just, <laughs> that works. <laughs> you know, it's actually kind of funny, because of the superpowers line, mm-hmm. I for years lived under the uh, delusion that he was actually one of Darkseid's minions. It, I, he looks like it. I couldn't separate that idea from my head until years later. In fact, it, there were, it was several times reading like Justice League comics with Darkseid going, where's Tyr? Why, why isn't he uh. Why isn't he here? He's the cool looking guy. <laughs> I totally get that. I mean, he looks like he belongs right next to Steppenwolf. You know, with that look, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I wonder if he had, and maybe you know this, Angel, like if he was redesigned from the way he looked before Superpowers and the Superpowers sort of amped it up for their figure line and then they just mirrored that design later. Yeah, I think the gun arm that he's sporting in this is different than his original gun arm, which looked much more like a pistol at the end of it, other uh, as oh. opposed to this like Kirby looking thing. Gotcha. Okay, that would make sense. That would make sense. And I remember when he showed up in the Legion Superheroes cartoon as well. So, yeah. All right. Up next, Zamir, who brought our friend Anjan. Uh, Zamir of Gildishpan, again by Rick Stasi and Robert Campanella. Now, he is an alien, very alien, not even remotely humanoid. Uh, his people have absolutely no interest in air breathers because they are a lesser species. However, Zamir was interested in them and performed unethical and tasteless experiments on these species. He has space warping powers, which which were sort of the cornerstone of a Legion of Supervillains plot involving Orondo. And later on, he assisted Universo. Now, to describe him... It's very hard to describe this guy, folks. He's sort of worm-like, but not quite. His body is shaped like the letter C. Uh, he has glowing ends on the two tips of the Cs, and he has one appendage, which is, has like a, uh, an arm sort of with a spike ball on it, but his whole body is bent up, like I said, like a C, and encased within a sphere of either liquid or gas. And his species played a role in the DC Invasion series. First appearance, a Legion of Superheroes number one Baxter series. He, he kind of looks like something you'd see in an alien sex shop. Oh, good <laughs> Lord. <laughs> I'm not going to say you're wrong. I'm not going to say you're wrong. But I am a little worried that that's the first place you went. <laughs> and that, Zamir, is the conclusion of the Legion of Supervillains. Woof. Now we move on to just characters. 
First one is going to be Leland Macaulay III of Earth, art by Rick Stotzi and Robert Campanella. But, folks, I wouldn't believe that for a second. It looks like a Dave Cochran, Cochran drawing to me. Anyway, he is a super rich dude. I mean, richy rich, you know, like 1% kind of guy. Uh, he's jealous of R.J. Brand's wealth because R.J. Brand keeps uh, having more success while Leland's losing money. And he began a vendetta against the Legion because of it. Leland wouldn't quit, never gave up his vendetta against the, Le- against the Legion, even though the Legion saved his son. He hired assassins and things like that. However, they can't seem to pin anything on Leland McCauley, very much like Wilson Fisk or Lex Luthor in the post-crisis universe. First appearance is Adventure Comics number 374. Ange, I imagine you have something to say about this guy. Uh, I can, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I he, he didn't he or was it he or his son that played a big role in Five Year Later? I think it's his son. I think it's Leela McCauley oh, really? Four who is in the Five Year Later uh, run, who definitely plays a part in that. And it might be okay. interesting because I think that it's Leela McCauley Four that appears in like one of the early Mike Grell uh, issues of Superboy and the Legion, who they save, and they're like, oh, maybe this will put us in in good stead with this father. Mm. So okay, and I don't know if I said first appearance. It's Adventure Comics number three hundred seventy four. I don't recall. If I said that or not. I think you did. All right, that's well, okay. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, not only is this a main character, this is a really main character, folks. We have come upon Lightning Lad. Tim, why don't you take us through it? Lightning Lad, uh, secret identity Garth Rands of Wineth, who we just talked about somebody else with a last name of Rands from the same planet. Hmm. Huh. Artist Greg LaRock and Bob Smith as children, twins Garth and Ayla Rands had an uneasy relationship with their, quote, mentally unbalanced brother, Mecht, a.k.a. Lightning Lord. The trio traveled together, and even more so once Garth got his pilot's license. When Mecht took their ship into a meteor shower, Garth had to take the controls for an emergency landing onto Corball. Uh, stranded there, Garth tried to lure the native lightning beasts to recharge the ship's batteries, but the trio ended up getting blasted instead. They didn't die, though. Instead, each team found that they now had bioelectric powers. After returning home, Mecht left to pursue his own interest. When Garth headed off to Earth in search of his brother, he became one of three teens to save R.J. Brand from assassination and became a founding member of the Legion. There, Lightning Lad and Saturn Girl began a romance that later led to marriage. Uh, Garth is... Garth is often recognized, though, as the unluckiest legionnaire, having endured a temporary death-like coma, the short-term loss of an arm, and the kidnapping and transformation of one of his sons into the inhuman Validus by Darkseid. Powers, he can release large amounts of electrical energy in the form of lightning bolts uh, that do physical and bioelectrical damage, which I find interesting because his brother only got the bioelectrical damage comment, not the physical damage comment. (laughs) Garth is also a master pilot, cleared on all of the Legion of Superheroes spacecraft, trained in the Legion's personal combat techniques, and flies via his Legion ring. First appearance was Adventure Comics 247. I mean, I I think I could say with with pretty pretty confidently, this is probably one of the more iconic costumes, don't you think? I totally agree. The uh, in fact, I was, I was gonna I was gonna say that's uh, of his costumes. This is my favorite. Yeah, the uh, the blue and white with the yellow lightning bolts. It it really jam- uh, stands out and is very recognizable, even for, even for somebody that that maybe isn't as familiar with the Legion. It's still one of those, uh, and maybe because he's one of the founders. Uh, one of those ones that's easy to identify. Yeah, I think this is the Cockrum one, right? Did Cockrum update this? If he did. 
didn't. I would be surprised. I, I don't know that answer, but Cockrum designed most of the cool-looking costumes. Yeah. i got to assume it probably is. You know, for being such an important part of the Legion, I have to say he's one of my least favorite. Whoa. I know it's crazy to say. Uh, a lot of where my dislike for him came in sort of the in a very odd time period, which was sort of like the Joe Staten time in the Legion, where he just seemed to whine every issue. And I was kind of just sick of him. Uh, and, okay. and unfortunately, it's one of those things like, you know, when you're 12 and you read something and you're like, oh, this guy, it just sticks with you for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> Are you, are you sure that's not because you want to lure away his sister? Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a perfect segue, but I'm going to hold you off for a second because I got a couple more comments. You know, it's funny. He's not my favorite guy either, but only because I, I mentioned this on the last time, last episode was in my mind, Cosmic Boy should be the leader of the Legion, even though he didn't do it very often. In my mind, Cosmic Boy will always be the leader. And because of that same parallel, I always felt like he should be with Saturn Girl. So I felt like Lightning Lab was in his way, which is completely <laughs> wrong. I mean, the romance is Lightning Lad and Signing Girl. There's never anything with Cosmic Boy. But in my brain, it's like, no! you know, One plus one equals two. They should be together. And so it, uh, it gets in my way. Now, one thing I also want to ask here. It says here, as you said, Unluckiest Legionnaire, and he survived a short-term death-like coma. <laughs> did he, Ange? Did he really survive it? Uh, it depends upon whether or not you want one story from the five year later to be canon or not, where he got replaced by Prody. And I don't know uh, what your feelings are about that. <laughs> I think that I'm going to say that he is him and that Prody died. Really? I, I'm okay with Prody taking over for Lightning Lord, or Lightning Lad. And, uh, yeah, so the story was, yeah, he, he dies and Prody sacrificed his life to bring him back to life. But in the five year later era, they say no, Prody took the form uh, of Lightning Lad and then lived the rest of his life as Lightning Lad. And so, meaning Lightning Lad never came back to life and Saturn Girl married Prody. And that's the, that's how it works in my head. Well, they talk about how he was such a hothead early on in his life and later on he was calm and such a nice guy. And so there was sort of a history point that you could say like, oh, that makes sense. You know, he became mellowed out because he wasn't him. So. Yeah. Hmm. My last comment is, uh, well, two last comments. You talked about the costume. If I remember right, when we get to the Jeff Johns stuff, when they bring the Legion back, didn't they like make him sleeveless and make this the blue red in this costume? Is that right? Definitely sleeveless. I don't remember the the color scheme. Okay. That was just off the top of my head. And then it, I will say about the drawing here, this is one of the few drawings that you actually get a little kind of stuff happening. Because most of these drawings are very static. Like the next one looks like it could be out of the Marvel Universe handbook. It's just <laughs> someone standing there with a blank colored background. In this case, Lightning Lad is actually uh, letting a lightning bolt crackle between his hands. And it looks, you know, a little dynamic. He's got, he's sort of leaning in an angle a little bit. So there's a little more to it. So, all right. Following up on that wonderful segue Tim gave us five minutes ago that I totally screwed <laughs> up. <laughs> Ange, why don't you tell us about Lightning Lass? All right. Uh, it is my honor to be able to present to you the hottest of the Legionnaires. <laughs> all right. I don't think there's any debate about that. Uh, I'm just going to put yes, that there out is. there. <laughs> this is there, there is Lass. definitely debate. <laughs> <laughs> this is Lightning Lass, Ayla Rands of uh, Winneth, drawn by Greg LaRock and Bob Smith. And she is six feet tall, so she's a tall glass of water. <laughs> Her origin, um, in terms of getting her lighting powers, is very, very similar to both Mechs and Garth, so I won't review that. But basically, when Garth died uh, in a fight with a Quindian general named Zaryan, she dressed up like him to take his place in the Legion. And so she was then discovered to be his sister, joined the Legion as Lightning Lass. However, when Garth was resurrected in the Legion Constitution, you can't have two people with the same powers, so she was going to get kicked out until Dream Girl used her science to give her gravity nullifying powers, so she had a period of time in the Legion where she was Light Lass, 
Early on in the Legion, she uh, had a romance with Timberwolf, and that relationship lasted. But after the Great Darkness saga, she really was overwhelmed by all of the tragedy that she saw and quit the Legion. He, unfortunately, did not and chose the Legion over her. She broke up with him and ended up going back to Winneth for a period of time. When the Legion of Supervillains gets uh, reformed, she gets kidnapped by Mecht, as we've said earlier, uh, who tries to brainwash her. And during a period when he was torturing her to try to get her to join him, he somehow uh, gives her her lightning powers back. She then rejoins the Legion, but as a much more proactive and fierce fighter, she forges a very special relationship with Shrinking Violet and becomes one of the more prominent characters in the Baxter run and even later in the Five Year Later. Her powers, as we talked about, are the ability to give bioelectric blasts that resemble lightning, but they also say she's quite agile and has some <laughs> acrobatic skills, uh, so she's got that going for her, and she's completed the Legion uh, personal combat training. I just think she's a great character for any number of reasons. But that arc where she leaves the Legion and returns, I think, was extremely well done. And she kind of went from this damsel in distress, like, oh, Timberwolf, save me, to this really fierce and determined and very proactive Legionnaire. So I thought that was great. I think that she was one of the first gay characters in comics, even though I don't know if they ever came right out and said it. You kind of saw the writing on the wall with her and Violet. Did that come about during the five year later or was it in play before the five no year? totally in the baxter series like at some point oh, um okay because you know shrinking violet also went through this sort of big change as well right with all of that kidnapping right. stuff she came out much fiercer and and so there are these issues where they're kind of like walking past each other in the hallway and they're like i feel like i've changed a lot in my life and i feel like i've changed a lot in my life and they kind of suddenly you just start to see them pairing up together uh, on adventures and things like that and so it really is uh, heavily implied but I'm also going to throw out something else that maybe she was is one of the first bisexual characters in comics because later on in the Baxter run, you may remember, she starts to flirt with Magnetic Kid. Mm. So hard to know. She ends up back with Violet. And of course, she's just one of the key characters in the five-year-later run, definitely rejoining with the Legion and sort of uh, being a great member there as well. So I just think she's great. Now, all right. There's a lot to unpack here with this character, by the way. First off, totally wrong in hotness. That's Phantom Girl. There's no real discussion on that. But I object. Did <laughs> share yours for the group? Shadowless. Okay, yeah. thank you. I'm, I, you know, people heard us debate this earlier in episode three, so yeah, just putting it back on the table for you. You know, we'd so, uh, uh, we'd be good wingmen <laughs> for each other. You know, Ooh. all of us working together. You mean <laughs> we're not vying for the same girls? <laughs> that's true. That's true. That is a good point. So the Timberwolf thing, I, I read that issue where they split up. If I remember right, didn't they pretty much just split up because Timberwolf sat down and Block told him a damn story that went too long, so Timberwolf didn't catch up with her when her plane took off? Isn't that kind of what really happened there? No, that's not how I remember it at all. I think that there's like okay. a scene where she basically says, I'm out. I can't stand all of the tragedy that we see in life. And if you love me, you'll join me. And he ends up saying, I had all of those horrible years early in my life where I had no one to turn to. And Legion was my family. I can't leave them. And she goes, so you've chosen them over me. I'm out. And she takes off. Right. But then he goes and sits down with Block and we get a flashback of some sort as Block tells him a story. And then by the end of it, he's like, wait a minute. And maybe I'm remembering this wrong. I remember him going like, wait a minute. No, I need to be with her. And he goes to catch up with her and she's gone already. Um, like, that that's that maybe I may have blocked that out just because it's like, what a dunce. Why didn't you go with her to begin with? And so I don't want to give him the, the opportunity. 
opportunity to redeem himself. <laughs> or I may have completely invented that story in my head, too, guys. So there's so many Legion stories to retain in, in the skull, and if it's not five years later, I have a hard time keeping it all. Um, did you want to describe her costume at all? Yeah, she's got, like, the perfect 1980s power shoulder pads on. Uh, <laughs> shaped like lightning bolts. She looks like she could be, um, you know, Maddie on Moonlighting. I'm dating myself. Um, and then otherwise, it's like a, a jumpsuit that has predominantly blue, but with a white stripe down the middle and blue boots. All right. And she's got the short cropped hair. That's fair to mention, too. Yeah. Okay. I, I, and I know Tim's probably bristling with questions, too, but I, I've got another one here. <laughs> Let's just go back to something for a moment here. Okay. So she can't keep her lightning powers, right? Yeah. Because of the Legion Constitution. So in a very casual sentence that I've seen repeated in dozens of places, it simply says, oh, Dream Girl changed her powers to gravity powers. What the hell? How does that even work? Yeah, I wish I could explain it. Uh, I think that uh, overall, there are these things that come out that make it seem as though Dream Girl is actually one of the smartest Legionnaires because she's right. like second in in the medical bay all the time, and she's one of the people that Universo has to you know put on his planet. But it seems as though it's all too convenient. I wish I okay. could explain so, it more. Now she's from Naltor, which means maybe she has access to magic. I don't know, but just like what? <laughs> Up next, we've got another one with three entries on a page, but they're sort of set up a little bit differently. We've got a full-size shot of Lucifer 7 of Hasaki, so you can imagine what uh, Thanksgiving dinner is like with the other six of those. Art by Jim Valentino and Robert Campanella. He is an artificial being who killed his creator. Yikes. Much like Russell Burbage. He, uh, <laughs> he stole something called the Concentrator, which can drain and reroute all kinetic energy across the universe. That's a pretty powerful thing. Now, he was jealous of all non-android life forms and ended up destroying a planetary system. He is a beefy looking guy. He's got just a, a simple bodysuit where it's, you know, like a, a muscle shirt going all the way up his uh, high collar. He's a little Wolverine-ish sort of like with crazy eyebrows is kind of how you want to say that. Anyway, first appearance, Secrets of the Legion of Superheroes, number one. So they sort of said retroactively that he appeared early on in the Legion's history. See, you just said Wolverine. I was actually thinking Timberwolf. Uh, yeah. Okay. yeah, that's probably more appropriate. Yeah, even though Timberwolf's a complete ripoff of Wolverine. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to draw my Legion analogs. I know. Well played, sir. Well played. <laughs> Up next is our first, uh, is it our first senior class photo? Or maybe your second? I don't know. It's, it's the senior class photo style drawing. So it's just a close-up of this guy's face. It is Magnetic Kid, but not the Magnetic Kid you would have expected. This young man's got a purple face with red hair. He is technically Magnetic Kid 1. He is Zanzan, or Zach, Zach, Zachzan of Murrah. Uh, I got all that wrong. Anyway, he's a spy from Murrah who is helping to prepare uh, for an invasion. He tries to join the Legion, and he has these uh, powers that he gets from a pill, and he uses the, these powers to attract and repel organic life forms. Joins the Legion, they set a trap for him, and he was caught. Again, art by Jim Valentino, Robert Campanella, first appearance, Adventure Comics number 337. Looks like he's the victim of the Purple Man. Yeah, he kind of looks like, isn't there a, a Legion applicant called Power Boy that has red hair and purple skin? <sighs> I remember there being a Power Boy, but I don't remember the details of that one. Hmm, all right. Up next is a group whose titles always makes me laugh, the Luck Lords of Ventura, so I like to think that Ace Ventura has something to do with them. Uh, Jim Valentino and Robert Campanella, they are mystics who gather power of chaotic chance, you know, because they're called luck, and they use it to influence the universe to further their grand designs. Now, for some reason, they believed that the death of Lightning Lad would lead the universe to a state of blissful chaos. 
so they tried to execute him three different times. Wow, what pals. First appearance of um, the, well, okay, there's more to the story here. There were some fake Luck Lords and then real Luck Lords. So the first appearance of the fake Luck Lords was Adventure Comics number 343. The first appearance of the true Luck Lords was Legion of Superheroes Baxter Series issue number 44, which was pretty much right before this issue of uh, Who's Who in the Legion was published. I, I think there might be an error here. What's I, that? I think their first appearance was on one of the lost uh, Doctor Who episodes of the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> Curse of the Peladon. They do look. I didn't describe them. That's a good point. They look like Alpha Centauri, don't they? They do. Uh, their head. Their head is just a giant eyeball, and uh, then they have like these cloaks with looks like green slime running down them. Basically, I will say that I got mentioned in a letter column once because I said I bet the Emerald Eye of Ekron is actually the beheaded head of a Luck Lord. And, uh, and in the letter column, they were like, "Interesting idea," but nothing ever came of it. <laughs> Interesting. Maybe that's what led them to come up with the idea for a second Emerald Eye. Mm. Hmm. All right. Up next now, we're on to another one of our main entries, folks. We have Magnetic Kid 2. Sort of like, see, I always like to say Electric Boogaloo after 2 every time. But <laughs> anyway, Magnetic Kid 2, and Ange, why don't you take us through it? All right. This is Magnetic Kid, uh, Paul Crin of Brawl, drawn by Richard Howell and Carl Kessel. He was, like all people on Brawl, born with magnetic powers, although his were felt to be uh, weaker than his older brother Brock. He did admire his brother, but he was also somewhat jealous of his brother's capabilities, and he didn't quite understand initially why Rock would join the Legion and put himself in harm's way. Then, of course, his house was fireballed in a terrorist attack, and his mother died, and he said, huh, maybe people should use their powers for good. So he uh, joined the Legion Academy, and when Cosmic Boy uh, retired, he ended up being sworn in as a Legionnaire in the same class as Censure Girl, Tellus, and Quizlet. Uh, It's interesting, they describe about how he lacks the fine control over his powers that his brother has, but his incredible eagerness to learn new applications may eventually give him the edge over his brother, and of course his power is to have magnetic powers. His look is pretty much the classic Cosmic Boy look of uh, sort of the the pink jumpsuit with the white shorts and sort of the four white circles across the chest, and even though they say he may eventually get the edge over his brother, since he dies in the Magic Wars, that never happened. (laughs) Absolutely true. So sad. So Yeah, it's pretty interesting if you read those later issues. Truly, there is no doubt that that lightning glass wants to sleep with him. She is like throwing throwing (laughs) herself at him. And he, you know, first of all, she's got to be like in her mid-20s, and he's... I think 16, and you think that he would Thank be like... Thank you, Mrs. Robinson. Yeah, right. <laughs> you think that he would be like, oh, great, but he's like, um, I'm really shy, and he always runs away. So it's a little bit, a little bit perplexing. You know, this costume here, if you flip back back to the Cosmic King page, it makes a nice contrast between how Cosmic King looks with the bad guy version of this outfit, basically. Yeah. I love that his name is Pole, like Magnetic Pole. I think that works great. <laughs> Really well done. And uh, didn't he get a different costume for the Magic Wars? Like a very Keith Giffen, almost five years later looking costume? Yeah, you know, later on in that run, you might remember, like, everybody kind of gets a strange uh, Keith Giffen costume. Uh, there were a fair number of pouches, but, you know, uh, Timberwolf <laughs> ends up wearing, like, a wolf pelt or a bear vest, something like that. And uh, Dawnstar ends up having much more, like, um, braided long ponytails. Uh, and his was a little bit off as well, almost like a suit, if I recall. Hmm. Well, it's 
you can't be any worse than the costumes they wore during the Emerald Dragon era. <laughs> yeah, and I had to cover those issues, so I agree. <laughs> I know. So what do you think of the art here, man? Um, I think he's got kind of like a youthful exuberance in his position, right? But it almost looks like he's prancing a little bit. So it's sort of like I'm trying to say, like, is he just an excited young kid or is he weird looking? <laughs> what do you think? Um, I wasn't thrilled by the art. Like, I feel like he didn't use the available space all that well because he's got the hands out. He didn't – he had to make the, the figure smaller so that it could fit in the box. I feel like if he had kept the arms down a little bit, he could have made that figure larger and fit the whole space. The, like, you, you described the face perfectly, so yeah. I just feel like there was a little bit of missed opportunity there. Richard Howell, I, I have a, a love-hate relationship with him and who's who, because sometimes I love his stuff. I just think it's totally dead on, and then other times I'm like, uh, it's kind of standard house style, didn't quite stick the landing. That's how I feel on this one. <laughs> you know, now that you mentioned it, his, his head looks maybe a little bit too small for the body. Yeah, look at the legs compared yeah. to that head. That's yeah. a good point. He's got like a pinhead, so. All right. <laughs> maybe maybe that's what Rock called him at home when they were kids. <laughs> but but at least there's a little bit of action, and we're not with the uh, Marvel Universe handbook. Marvel oh, handbook. that's, you know, look, look at Tim coming back yeah. with a positive thought. Yeah, good point, good point. All right, moving on. Now, this one's got four on a page, folks. Up here is Angie's favorite magpie. And uh, <laughs> uh, it is Merg Gutera of Agnitude. The, the, the thing I find funny about this guy is he calls himself the greatest thief in the galaxy or, or uh, in the universe, whatever, galaxy. Greatest thief in the galaxy, which also is a title claimed by a character we covered last episode, Ben Perez, which both you and Russell had some history with. But the funny part here is it says that, uh, here we go, greatest thief, a title both him and Ben Perez lay claim to, although Ben Perez is currently in jail, a point in Magpie's favor, which I find pretty funny. <laughs> Basically, this isn't how they lay it out here, but Universal hired this guy to steal a time chip from the Legion HQ, but the mystery was no one really knew it was Universal, so they kind of hid that for a while there. And ultimately, Dream Girl and Starboy stopped him in Branding Five's lab. First appearance is Legion Superheroes number 320. Now, his face, he would think he's probably from the same planet as Kanjar Row. I don't think that's the case, but he's got a yellow face with bug eyes. He's got a mustache and a little uh, soul patch, and he's got a, like a hair, almost like Superman hair, really. And then his, bo- his costume is very simple, but I really like it. It's uh, The bottom half is all black. The top is white, but it's a diagonal line that separates it. It's really a sharp-looking, simple, simple design. Except for the color of the skin, I was I was kind of thinking the Kanjar Row connection, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the soul patch just makes him look cool. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm going to say is I'm in Ben Perez camp. <laughs> I knew you were. I knew you were. And well, and, and Magpie's carrying a man purse too, a merce. So that's, that's point against him. All right. Up next is Mandala or Mandala, uh, art by Kez Wilson. I forgot to mention that, by the way. Art by uh, Magpie was also Kez Wilson. Uh, she is Terry Walmoon of Takron Galtos. Yeah, that's right. She's from the Prison Planet, folks. Just to tell you where we're going here, she's a Legion Academy member, but she is the daughter of a prisoner in Takron. Galtos, and the way it works is when you have a child there, you're able to keep the child with you in prison, much like what happened with Bane. But uh, by age 14, she was allowed to leave, so she left the prison planet and went to a private school. She really was determined to distance herself from her criminal mother and, uh, and an unknown father. She wanted to sort of make a name for herself. Her powers are to project thought spheres that engulf the target, causing hallucinations and distorting effects. And ultimately, again, she joined the Legion Academy to try and do the right thing. She's got sort of bobbed black hair. She wears a domino mask. And her costume is very revealing, very uh, intentionally sexually oriented, basically sleeveless. And then she's got a boob window. She's got giant slits along the, the calves. 
She's got like a black widow belt, but at an angle, and she's got these wrist gauntlets. But it, anyway, it's, it's very provocative, but uh, it looks pretty hot to me. So what do you think? I'm surprised that her first appearance is so late because this really screams kind of like a Mike Grell design with all of these big holes cut out of the costume, even on those gauntlets. <laughs> yeah. Like, it really looks like early 70s. So to hear that her first appearance is so late, I think is shocking. I mean, but, you know, as you say, uh, she is pretty provocative. <laughs> I forgot to mention that, by the way. It's uh, first appearance is Legion of Superheroes Baxter Series Annual Number 3. All right, up next, we got another one of these senior class photos. Morella Dow of Earth, art by Kes Wilson. She is a Hollowvid reporter from Metropolis tonight. She won the, wait for it, Sniffer Award for investigative reporting. It appears she had some sort of attraction with Timberwolf. Her first appearance was Legion Superheroes Baxter Series number 36. All right, last one on this page, another senior class picture, Marco Chang, still by Kez Wilson. Uh, he is a Metropolis councilman, so he's a politician. His son, Redvik, had apparently died, so he brought up murder charges against the Legion for not saving him because they had this Titanian, or like from Titan, Titanian psycho beast, and they used it instead uh, Instead of reviving Redvik, they revived Wildfire. But in the end, it all worked out. They had a plan. There's a reason they're reviving Wildfire first, as Redvik was ultimately revived, so the guy just turns out to be a complainer. Superboy in the Legion of Superheroes number 235 was his first appearance. He's got this wonderful snarl on his face. It looks like he's saying, like, you stupid kids, get off my lawn. (laughs) (laughs) I look at him, and he looks like every uh, non-speaking, angry dictator from a Doctor Who episode that takes place in the Middle Ages. See, I thought he he looked like uh, one of Darkseid's minions. He does, too. He does have very much a Kirby sort of face. He looks like Kanto or something like that, you know, but like the snarling, like, All right, up next, I love this dude. Marla, this is a half-page entry, by the way. Again, full body. Marla DeLatham, that's a dude, though, of Earth. Art by Wynn Mortimer, who I've never even heard of, by the way. He was the executive assistant to R.J. Brand, and he was the adult advisor to the Legion. He basically developed tests and procedures for the training with the Legion members, and Ultra Boy was Marla's recruit. Ultra Boy even went on to model his own costume based on Marla's, and if you look at Marla, you can absolutely see the influence of Ultra Boy there. And eventually, he uh, Marla felt it was unnecessary for him to have this job as the Legion grew up, so he took a different uh, duty within R.J. Brand's company, but he managed to stay in touch with the Legion and watched over them. First appearance, Superboy number 98, and I personally remember him from the five-year-later era, where he was sort of like the elder gentleman in the R.J. Brand Corporation that would help out the Legion. I I liked him a lot. Yeah, he's always kind of in the background with Brand helping out, and I'm surprised you haven't heard of Wynn Mortimer. He was kind of like a journeyman guy that was everywhere in the 70s, and I know him most for He did a very big chunk of the Supergirl stories in the Superman family book. So maybe I know him more than most because of that. I was going to say, you kind of like, that's what you call asked and answered. I'm surprised you don't know him, read the Supergirl stories in Superman family. So there you go. Got that one. Congratulations. All right. You know, it's one of those things, as soon as I said it, I'm like, I'm going to sound really dumb because I'm really dumb. So. <laughs> That'd be like me saying, well, duh, it happened in the Firestorm backups in the back of Flash comics. Yes. Jeez, people. <laughs> But you see the Ultra Boy influence on this costume. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I have, uh, I want to say his, this story where he and Ultra Boy go back in time to figure out, like testing Ultra Boy was reprinted in one of my DC digests I have. So I started reading that the other day and it's always fun to see him and Ultra Boy staying there in the same costumes. So goofy. Love the Silver Age. <laughs> Up next is Marta Ida Alon of Earth, again by Wynn Mortimer. She is Colossal Boy's mom. And uh, there's, we mentioned Tarek the Mute earlier, who started the Legion of Supervillains. He actually captured her and transformed her into glass as a ransom sort of thing to make Colossal Boy help them out. Eventually, she's freed from that. She becomes the president of Earth. 
And as the president of Earth, she was actually brought into conflict with the Legion sometimes and eventually quit the presidency after an attempted assassination. First appearance, Adventure Comics number 371, and she just looks like a futuristic lady wearing uh, red and green Christmas clothes. I'm going to call her the Barack Obama of the 30th century because the guy that follows her <laughs> definitely nearly destroys the universe. <laughs> Uh, and uh, we'll hear about him in uh, two pages. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. <laughs> wow, we went there. Okay. Uh, up next, another main entry, and it is Matter Eater Lad. And why don't you walk us through this one? All right. Matter Eater Lad is Tenzel Cam of Bismol with art done by Ty Templeton. So on the planet Bismol, the soil was infected with pretty lethal and deadly uh, microbes that was slowly killing all of the plant life there. And so the inhabitants ended up getting some natural capabilities of being able to eat anything to get energy for their body. So he ends up going to Earth to, to be educated and hears about the Legion and decides that he wants to join the Legion. So he does. Um, in uh, what I think is rather interesting, they just say that he's one of the quieter Legionnaires, which I wouldn't normally associate with him, although uh, he did have a cutting wit. Um, and while uh, in the Legion, he ended up being drafted into the Bismalian Senate, so needed to leave the team. Ultimately, he gets brought back to Earth because he has to eat the miracle machine to save the planet. Um, and eating the miracle machine made him go insane. He spends a period of time in sort of like a mental asylum, but he ultimately gets cured by Brainiac 5 and goes back into politics, which I think is fascinating. And that's where his story ends uh, at this point. His powers are that he can literally eat anything. And he has a green and yellow costume with some black accents, and it's pretty cute. The picture that Ty Templeton has him, he's like literally eating a hat. Like, I'll eat my hat if I'm wrong, so he's eating a hat. That's what I figured the drawing's got to mean, too. Yeah. He has a pretty big role in the five-year-later run. He becomes sort of like the, I would say, the comic relief of that book, where he often has like issues that are just a story of him that are much more humor-based amidst all of the heavy stuff that's uh, going on, and I think really probably got the height of his popularity in that book, and then subsequently his SW6 Legionnaires version. So they were really sort of like the jokers of that crew. He does have a small bit part uh, in the three-boot Legion, where he ends up being almost like a police officer for the United Planets, and uh, ends up trying to track down mech brands. Um, I think he's sort of a fun character. What do you guys think? I think he seems pretty fun, but uh, if you're going to call yourself Matter Eater Lad, I get the visual joke of eating a hat, but I would have gone with boulders or steel girders or, or something that really dr drove that point home. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the picture I have of him eating the miracle machine, it's like he's sitting cross-legged in front of the machine, and I almost think like he needs like a knife and fork in his hand. He doesn't have it, but... Um, <laughs> uh, and, but I think it's it's always hysterical that he's like forced to eat this wish machine uh, to save the planet and goes crazy. Like, can't they just use the machine to wish the threat away? But I guess not. Yeah, fair point. <laughs> now, it's funny. I have a warped perspective on this character because, uh, as I've talked about, you know, five years later was the first Legion I read. And as you just said, he had a pretty uh, noticeable part in five years later. And then as you read the Who's Who entries, he's so funny. He's so wacky. So to me, from my history learning, which was just, again, text-based, and then five years later, to me, he should be 
a big deal. He's like a cornerstone of the team. So to hear in these entries where they say he had an uneventful career and then not not a lot happened with him until then, it really kind of like it upsets me. Like, no, he's 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 like one of the main guys, right? He's just a funny one. But so I, I have a hard time accepting he didn't have a larger role before then. I also just it got to mention you know, Bismol. His planet is Bismol, as in Pepto Bismol. <laughs> and I did the research on this. Yes, Pepto Bismol is before this character was created. So that is an absolutely intentional gag. So funny. I like his a unique attack style. They talk about like hand to hand combat. They say his a uni- he has a unique attack style, which is teeth first. <laughs> <laughs> I love this guy. I love I love the drawing too. Him eating the hat. I totally get what you're saying about it. it would make more sense for him to eat a girder, but like eating the hat is just so funny. Cracks me up. All right, up next, we have five per page, because basically they were running out of pages, so they had to hurry up and finish this. And the first character is Mentala. Or Ment- I, I always said Mentalia, but the, there's not an I there. I always thought there was. And it's drawn by Grant Meum and Jim Sanders III. She is Delia Castile of Titan. She can mentally control or inhibit others' motor systems. Now, she wanted to join the Legion. But during the trout, she ended up losing to Telus. Telus got in, she didn't. So she joined the Legion Academy. But she was still kind of disappointed. She was kind of uncommitted and uncommunicative because she just, that's not what she wanted. And she decided she wanted to earn her place, sort of like what she heard the story from Bouncing Boy. And she infiltrated the new Fatal Five. She pretended to be a villain and joined the new Fatal Five. She got in over her head pretty quick. And then when she ultimately betrayed the Fatal Five to help the Legion, Emerald Embers killed her quite quickly. So it's a very tragic story, but also a very heroic journey. And I mentioned earlier the art by Grant Meehan and Jim Sanders. And I got to say, guys, it's a small image. It's kind of hard to see. But I think this is the hottest entry in, looking entry in the book. She is just <laughs> sexy as hell in this. She's got on – basically, it's a combination of black, green, and, and yellow. But it fits in all the right places. Let's just put it that way. She's got long <laughs> blonde hair, and she's a very pretty lady. So, oh, first appearance is uh, Le- Legion of Superheroes Baxter series, uh, issue number 14. So that's the issue that Censor Girl joins. So this was another one of the suspects that people thought could be Censor Girl because you meet her. This costume with the black, yellow, and green is very much like the very original Saturn Girl costume from Adventure 247. So if you look at them together, uh, it's very uh, similar. And so then, well, of course, Censor Girl had blonde hair, and Saturn Girl is like, trust me. And she kind of had telepathic power, so people were like, oh, maybe Saturn Girl wanted her buddy to get in and snuck Mentella in that way. You know, I gotta imagine it must have been a lot of fun trying to figure out that Censor Girl mystery while it was happening. Because for me, again, it's all been historical reading, so the Censor Girl mystery, I've never read the issues, and yet I've, know, I've known about it since the first time I started reading those entries. So it's, I bet that was a lot of fun trying to figure that out. It was a ton of fun, and they kept saying all of the clues are there, all of the clues are there, and at the end, when they revealed her, they actually said, like, here are all of the clues, so that you can sort of put it together yourself. Of course, remember oh, wow. that there was a big push that she was going to be Supergirl, right? Everybody was like, oh, she's going to yes. be Supergirl. Uh, so that was sort of interesting. Like, would they ever sneak Supergirl in through the back door, even though she had just died in the crisis? Yeah, that gets people fired out here. <laughs> <laughs> all right, up next is The Mess. Not a hot mess, just The Mess. And it's another one of these senior class photos. You've got this, honestly, it looks like Howdy Doody. And he's got little flies buzzing all around him. He, he's essentially Pigpen, guys, of the Peanuts, you know. And his name is uh, Mayor Quad of Earth. He's a Legion Redirect. Uh, his body attracts part of particulate matter. Again, he's like Pigpen. 
and he was rejected by the Legion, rightfully so, art by Grant Meehan and Jim Sanders III. First appearance, Adventure Comics number 330. Next is Modillus of Modo, Grant Meehan and Jim Sanders III still. He was the ruler of Modo, which was a haven for criminals, and the Legion defeated it. Now, it's a lot more complicated than this. I try to simplify it. The Legion defeated Modillus uh, by basically booby-trapping a bunch of money they gave him because he was taking money from bad guys. And first appearance, Adventure Comics number 337. He's bald, and he's got kind of like a like a crown of sorts on his face and he's got really dark hooded eyes up next is Angie's favorite presidential contender <laughs> uh, Mojai Desai I, oof, I don't know if I got that right of Earth Get Grant Meehan and Jim Sanders III he is president of Earth but he turned out to be a terrible president because he was under the hypnotic control of Universo uh, I wish that that could explain some certain things in our country but I don't think that's the case first appearance uh, Legion of Superheroes Baxter series issue number 10 uh, that issue actually goes over how they elect their president which is decided by a machine there aren't votes and so they show all of the different uh, people that uh, are up for election and already Universo is this guy's like aide-de-camp right-hand man yeah and of course Universo takes over the galaxy under his care how long did they drag that out Um, remember the Universal project was I think uh, issues like in the early 30s right Uh, so there were all of these times that you would see like this right-hand man like smiling wickedly with a glint in his eye that of course is supposed to be the monocle and then right before or right during the Universal Project it sort of all comes out okay alright and then our last entry on the page is Molecule Master still Grant Miam and Jim Sanders the third he is an android created by the Time Trapper and uh, the way his powers work is he breaks molecular bonds and reconfigures the released energy into blasts and force shields and uh, that's pretty cool power and he tried to steal the Miracle one, one version of Molecule Master tried to steal the Miracle Machine another version tried to destroy the pocket universe Superboy first appearance Superboy 201 and you know it's in one of these senior class photos, so you only see he's got like black hair and a black sort of cowl with sort of like a scallop designs around his eyes, all very black, very dark colors. And the face honestly looks kind of like a like a Kurt Swan face to me. Hmm. Actually, I, I thought you said Molecule Master, but I think I'm looking at a picture of John Sable. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Absolutely. Yeah. He gets destroyed because he's an android by Wildfire, who has returned. Everybody thought Wildfire died as Erg One, and he basically takes a boot of anti-energy to the face and gets like split in half. Uh, so I remember that image pretty vividly. When you say Erg One, is that what era was that? Help me out. It's like Cockrum era. So um, okay. it's like, I think it's like only a couple of uh, issues before the one that he first appeared that he gets destroyed, right? Uh, he's Erg One. He destroys some big, like, wheat threshing machine that is terrorizing the planet or something like that. And everybody's like, oh, when his suit exploded, he died, not realizing that his sort of anti-energy was still around. And then that energy makes its way across the galaxy to Earth because he knows there's a spare suit and he inhabits that suit and destroys the molecule master okay perfect all right i was getting that confused with the five year later era when they introduced like wildfire's brother yeah and uh, he was called erg something as well i want to say i don't remember that's right on it. and in the three boot yeah. era um wildfire comes back and is called erg one so they kind of lean on that gotcha okay 
All right, folks, and we are to the last entry of this issue. And again, it's a it's a main page, and it's a big character. It's an important one. It is Mon L. So, Tim, why don't you take us through this one? Absolutely. So we, it is Mon L, like like you said, uh, Largand of Daxum, art by Kurt Swan and Robert Campanella. Uh, so Largand was a biotechnologist and astronaut on the planet Daxum in the 20th century. Uh, while on a journey to discover new life forms, his spaceship was shunted into the Time Trapper's pocket universe where he met Superboy. Although he did gain power under a yellow sun, he had amnesia, which led Superboy to believe that he was a lost brother of Krypton and gave him a name based on his own Kryptonian name, Monel. He got his memory back when he was exposed to lead, a substance that is deadly to Daxamites. Superboy did manage to save him by sending him into the Phantom Zone, where he stayed for 1,000 years, which I don't know if that's really saving you. <laughs> uh, eventually, Saturn Girl developed a temporary cure for the lead poisoning, enabling Lar to live outside of the Phantom Zone for short periods of time, uh, which also allowed him to become a Legion reservist. Brainiac 5 later developed a permanent cure, which also allowed Lar to keep his yellow sun-based powers under a red sun. He suffers from periods of depression, thinking of all the years he spent in the Phantom Zone. This depression, though, has been helped by his love of the hottest legionnaire, Shadow Lad. <laughs> <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. <laughs> Hey, she can cure depression, so oh, points, points to her. While his powers make him one of the most powerful legionnaires, he is equally useful in the lab, where his training and expertise have made him a match for Brainiac 5. He actually created the alloy used for the Legion flight rings as part of his initiation. Powers under a yellow sun, Monel has uh, powers including super strength, invulnerability, speed, vision powers, and flight. Due to the serum that he takes to counter the effects of lead, he is able to keep these powers while under a red sun as well. He's familiar with Legion combat training, but most of it's pointless for someone with such great power. First appearance was Superboy 89. That costume, it, it's like a reverse Superman. Yes. Instead of the instead of the red cape and blue tights, we have red tights and a blue cape. And it looks pretty darn good. They leaned into that pretty heavy when he joined the Justice League of America. James Robinson version, they changed yes. his costume to make it even more like that. I think he even had an S-shield on it, but it was uh, the, like still the reverse color. Yes, you're absolutely right. And I actually was kind of disappointed that that didn't last a little bit longer. Mm. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of it. It, it, it. I love his sort of regal-looking costume with the the blue cape with the big yellow buttons that fasten it on and sort of the, the way the tunic is more like a shirt, you know, the way it yeah. kind of comes down below the belt. I, I dig this costume, best of all. I think it looks great. I love it. Now, uh, Ange, you, this character has sort of left the small comic book page and gone somewhere else, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, I have a lot to talk about in his Legion stuff, but he is sort of uh, Supergirl's love interest on the television show, although I'll tell you, he's not quite the the nice guy that I think this Legionnaire is. He's kind of a like a college frat boy in his personality yeah. um, on the show, although he is so inspired by a car that he's like, oh, I want to improve myself. Um, and maybe, you know, hopefully become worthy of your, um, of your love. So he's working on it. Have you noticed the, the way they dress him is sort of a reverse Tom Welling, super Smallville style? Like, Tom Welling used to always wear blue t-shirts 
and like a red jacket. <laughs> yeah. So sort of emulate the blue costume and the red cape. Whereas this guy, they put him in red shirts with a blue jacket or a blue backpack or something. So they, it's like the reverse of Tom Welling. And, and I didn't notice that. I got I to give credit to Michael Bailey who texted me that late one night. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even pick that up. I love it. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to let Ange take over in a second here. But for me, I loved him as Valor uh, in, in, the, the, in the 90s. They put him in the 20th century to kind of, they had to replace the Superboy le- lore where the Legion was inspired by Superboy, so they wanted him inspired by Mal-El. And so they, they made this whole thing where he was Valor in the 20th century and saved all these races and inspired them. And well, the series was sometimes hit or miss, but I did enjoy it quite a bit. And I liked the idea of him being Valor in the 20th century. I thought that was pretty cool. I've actually been debating going back and, uh, and trying to hunt those down myself. Shouldn't cost much. It was the 90s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I see them in dollar actually, boxes I do have- all the time. Oh yeah, I do have one quick question, and I I didn't get a chance to look up the facts, but as I recall, uh, Julie Schwartz had an idea that pretty much every five years, comic book fandom turned over, and so they could recycle stories. Wasn't his first appearance a recycle of another story, basically? Like it was a you know a guy comes from Krypton and doesn't know his name, and they think he's related to Superboy, and that whole thing didn't wasn't it a recycle? That's news to me, although it very well could be. People, uh, Martin Gray, uh, whoever, <laughs> write in and, and please confirm and tell them I'm not crazy. And that that was a recycled story, please. <laughs> Ange, what you got, buddy? Um, so I'll say that uh, in the Baxter run, um, there's an issue that's actually co-written by Steve Lytle, because this is Steve Lytle's favorite character, where the formula that keeps him not uh, safe from lead is uh, he's slowly getting uh, used to it, uh, inured to it, so that it's not working quite as well. And he really starts to go crazy because he's like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to go back to the Phantom Zone and, and really almost loses his cookies. And so they, I think they end cookies. up... Yeah, I think they end up having to put him in the Phantom Zone for like a short period of time until they come up with a new formula and then save him. So if you really want to see like how, you know, he, how what the PTSD that, uh, P, uh, that he has as for the Phantom Zone, that's a good issue. He, of course, dies at the end, I think, of the Baxter run, right? Doesn't he get, like, completely blasted by the Time Trapper in, the, in that storyline where they're going to avenge Superboy's death? And I think he gets, like, whole body burns that can't be saved, and he ends up dying. And, and Shadowlass marries him uh, using the ritual they do on her planet where they cut off their pinkies. So <laughs> she, she cuts off her pinky as a sign of marriage. And then, of course, he gets resurrected in the five-year-later to only fight the Time Trapper, kill the Time Trapper, and reboot the entire universe again. Um, right. And, I was going to – I was trying – was it Time Trapper or Glorith that that happened? No. So he ends up killing the Time Trapper, and then in the next issue, because the Time Trapper doesn't exist, Mordru takes over the universe, and that's when Glorith says, like, no, there needs to be a Time Trapper equivalent to block Mordru, so I'm going to go back in time and take his place. And so they kind of okay, do the soft reboot, and she ends up being the Time Trapper. And that's also how they wiped out Superboy that, from the the crisis uh, from the uh, post crisis. That's exactly right. They wipe out Superboy. They bring Laurel Gand in to be the because uh, uh, Monel no longer exists or something like that. And so because he's now in the 20th century as Valor, and so they bring in a Laurel Gand to be the Largand equivalent, Monel, and the Supergirl equivalent. Yeah, it's perfectly fine. Hmm. With that. But wait, Monel was around though. I mean. Because he shows up later during the, uh, oh, yeah, that's the, true. the Dominator invasion, that's so he doesn't get wiped out. No, she's just there to replace uh, uh, to, just Supergirl. to replace Supergirl. Yeah, yeah, I know a guy who does a 
Supergirl blog, he probably knows this stuff. <laughs> yeah, and some guy who also reviewed all of the five-year later books, so he should know that as well. Exactly, yeah, that guy should know this stuff inside and out. By the way, I've done my own research real quick. In Super Bo- Superman number 80 from February 1953, there was a story uh, called Superman's Big Brother. They introduced a character named Halk Carr, who it was basically the same story. He crashes in a ship, on a rocket ship rescued by Superman, who discovers that he suffers from amnesia. They give him, they find a note from Jor-El, all this stuff, and it's basically a, a prototype version of Largan. And then, so that's 1953, so then, you know, a few years later, they just retell the story with Monel. I'm going to bet that at the end of this season of Supergirl, he's going to sacrifice himself in such a way that he ends up going to the Phantom Zone, and the season is going to end with him opening up his eyes, being surrounded by Legionnaires. You heard it here first. That would be awesome. Yeah. I, I like your idea, except I don't think he'll wake up surrounded by Legionnaires. I think he will be in the Phantom Zone, and then maybe they show him coming out, but in order for him to come out and see Legionnaires, they would have to cast those actors, and they'd be locked into that if they ever get a Legion spinoff. Oh, that's true. I mean, we've seen a so Legion, get, yeah, we've seen a Legion flight ring on that show. So, and we, we, well, we saw one in Flash, I think, even if I remember right. We think, I think there was when he was running through the vortex on that. I think yeah. we saw one. Mm-hmm. But it, 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 by showing a, an actor or actress in a role, they're kind of it, st- it makes him be stuck with that. So I would imagine it'd be more like you know he see, he's in there for a thousand years and then he sees a, a portal and he's like, oh, I'm gonna go through here and then like or something, you know. Yeah, they could they could always do it silhouetted like they did Superman for the first uh, first uh-huh. season of Supergirl, uh-huh. uh, yes, yeah. or maybe like you only see a hand and they say you're safe and you just see the ring yeah oh that would be good oh that's okay we solved this uh, <laughs> greg berlanti greg berlanti you saved it you did the work for you don't worry you're all set well that's gonna do it for the entries the only thing left is the legion constitution which we talked the hell out of in the last half of this episode you guys have already heard ciscoid go on and on and on and on about the legion constitution so we're not going to touch that one again but, gentlemen, this is where we say goodbye for now. So please, I'd like you to pimp your stuff in the interwebs. Why don't we start with you, Ange? Where can people find you on the Googles? I'm probably most active in the social media aspect on Twitter at Dr. Ange 70 um, I run a Supergirl blog called Comic Box Commentary. Don't ask me about the name. And uh, <laughs> and I also am one of the Legion of Super bloggers, and I've kind of um, taken over Fridays as my own, where I did the five-year-later run. And depending upon when this comes out, I either am starting a new series that I'm reviewing or still touching on the end of the three-boot series. No. And Tim, where can they find you on the interwebs? They can find me on the interwebs on uh, on Twitter at Cord Industries One, on the cordindustries.blogspot.com page, the Phantom Skull Cave.blogspot.com, where I uh, do touch on Lee Fox Phantom every so often, and my occasional, probably not as frequent as Russell would like, uh, contributions to the Legion of Super Bloggers. <laughs> Well, you didn't tell anybody what the Court Industries blog was, but I su- oh, assume people could figure out that's Court Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle, yes. Sorry about that. And uh, and, and actually, then, while I'm talking about Blue Beetle, there's also the uh, the brand new Beetlemania podcast I do with Jay Jones at uh, SNGPod.wordpress.com. You're lucky you got to that because I was about to give you holy hell for not mentioning your <laughs> podcast, considering you're on a podcast, sir. Way to go. I am now. <laughs> So, all right, folks, that's going to do it for this issue and this episode of the podcast. So please be sure to visit Tim's items on the web and Angie's stuff on the web, all fantastic content. And when you're done that, make sure you're on the Legion of Super Bloggers website, legionofsuperbloggers.blogspot.com, and you know, leave some comments. Let the guys know that their stuff is appreciated. 
Uh, well, come back next time, and we're going to do the impossible task of tackling the last three issues all in one. Now, you're going to want to leave your feedback, though, because we are going to address your feedback on a separate episode of the Who's Who podcast. So go out to firewaterpodcast.com, go to the Who's Who show, find the Legion entries. Be sure you leave your comments there. Once we wrap up all of these, we're going to do a big feedback episode where we will touch on your comments, where you guys can tell us where we screwed up all of these things and got them all wrong. I love that part of the show. Also, don't forget, go out to firewaterpodcast.com to the Who's Who show, and you can check out entries from this issue and issue number three so you can follow along and see these awesome entries, except for the Kyle Baker art. Until next time, folks, I think all that's left to say, guys, is... Long live the Legion. Maybe I wanted to come up here by myself. Why would you want to beam yourself up to an unknown spacecraft? Because stuff. Monel, Monel. Are they bowing to us? Monel? Mother. Father. My son. Finally found you. Mother, father, this is Kara Zorel. Hero of Earth. Car, these are my parents. Queen Rhea and King Largand of Daxum. Which makes you... The prince.